Tuesday, January the 4th, 2022. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. And uh, hopefully everyone's had a nice couple weeks in the the holiday season as kind of get back to the real world now. This Like the start of this week is always like, oh, people back to school, back to work, kind of back to the normal schedule and the normal flow. And uh, we will be here with you and we'll start to get pretty consistent, I think, with the uh, with the schedule of episodes moving forward. So on this particular episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL playoff picture. We will talk uh, a little Sam Houston meet primer. Martha Clausen joins us to preview the meet. Then Sam Sherman joins us to talk about Sam Houston Thursday. We go through the full card for opening day. Then uh, we get into the book of Boba Fett, episode one, full deep dive recap and review with Matt Velasco and the old wrestling rewatch. Me and Andrew Champagne talk December to dismember, just an awful an awful pay-per-view, but it was a lot of fun to discuss with Andrew. So in the coming weeks, we'll probably have a show that comes out either late Monday or early Tuesday every week. On that episode, we'll recap the Book of Boba Fett, the new, there are seven episodes, so that'll be for the next six weeks. We'll have full recaps for you of that. We'll also have an episode, uh, we'll also have a couple segments that discuss some of the early to midweek racing. So that'll always be Sam Houston Thursday. And there will probably be a Wednesday uh, track in there, maybe even a Tuesday track sometimes. So that first episode, there'll be some Sam Houston Thursday, and then probably one other track. And then we'll get into, you know, recaps from everything that happened over the weekend with the NFL or with any other sports that have been going on. And then we'll throw the old wrestling rewatch on there. Then later in the week, you'll kind of get that same episode that most of you have probably been familiar with where preview everything coming up for the weekend, all the big weekend racing. So right now that'll be Friday, Saturday, Sam Houston, Friday, Saturday, Santa Anita, Friday, Saturday, Gulfstream or Tampa or Turfway or wherever there are big races, but we'll always have Sam Houston. We'll always have Santa Anita and we'll always talk all the football games going on when football's done we'll transition more to the nba and college basketball will pick up we'll keep having the weekly wrestling um recaps with chad cooper each and every week so yeah as the uh the calendar shifts to the new year we shift just slightly but kind of the same thing it's just going to be a little earlier in the week and uh some of the the shows that we'll be discussing are a little bit different whenever there's a new marvel mcu or star wars movie or show you know you're going to get a recap of that right here on that's what g said presented by better than dot vegas go give them a follow at btv bets on twitter that's where you get a bunch of free content live streams from handicappers and gamblers all over the world now, we have a great schedule coming up. We will be having live streams every week talking NBA, talking college basketball, talking whatever football is being played, USFL. We're going to have streams for the big tennis and golf majors and grand slams and tournaments. We will you know, get into baseball when baseball begins. We're going to have a lot more horse racing live streams for big racing days. Really excited for... A lot of stuff happened over at Better Than Dot Vegas. You can play every week in a free contest that they offer. Doesn't cost you a cent to register. You don't even have to fill out a bunch of stuff. All, all you do is you register for an account. It's free. You don't have to put in any credit card information or anything like that. And then you post some of your bets. If you go 0 for 20, it doesn't matter. But if you win each week, you get 250 bucks just for nothing. Just for posting your bets. It doesn't cost you a cent. 
Better Than Dot Vegas, the weekly showdown, totally free. Get involved at BTV Bets on Twitter. Kurt Angle going to be joining us for some live streams coming up to talk some NFL playoffs and to help us out with uh, the Royal Rumble and possibly WrestleMania pre and post shows. Stay tuned for more on that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the NFL playoff picture. So in the NFC, it's a little bit more settled than the AFC right now. So the NFC, we've got Green Bay is the number one seed overall. They've got the only first round by. They've got home field advantage throughout on the NFC side. The Cowboys have the NFC East division title locked up. Tampa has the NFC South division title locked up. Cardinals, Rams, Eagles all have playoff spots locked up. Six of the seven spots are locked in the NFC. So we've got the Cardinals versus Seattle on Sunday. We've got the Rams versus San Francisco on Sunday. If the Rams win, they win the division. If the Rams win, or so if if the Rams lose, Arizona wins, Arizona wins the division. Arizona loses, Rams win the division. So the Rams are up on Arizona right now. With the advantage, Rams at 12-4, and four, Arizona at 11-5. and five. They need a win and a Rams loss in order to get the division. The Saints are 8-8. Eight and eight. If they win and San Francisco loses, they're in. So San Francisco needs to win, or they need the Saints to lose, or they need the Saints to tie. Actually, San Francisco can win or tie, and New Orleans needs to lose or tie. So that's not going to be easy for San Francisco. They're playing the Rams, and they know the Rams need to win in order to win the division. And now it's going to be them dealing with, you know, the Garoppolo land stuff. 49ers, they win, they're in. And the Saints, they need a win and a San Francisco loss to get in. So that's on the NFC side. AFC, lots of weirdness because the number one seed is still wide open. So you've got the Bengals AFC North winner clinched, Chiefs AFC West winner clinched, Titans AFC South winner clinched, Bills and Patriots, they're both in. Those five teams are in the playoffs. The Colts, they just need to win. If they win, they're in. And then the winner of the Chargers-Raiders game is in. So Bengals, Chiefs, Titans, Bills, Patriots are all in. If the Colts win, they're in. Raiders, Chargers, whoever wins that game, they're in. And then after that, I mean, there's a million different things that could happen. But basically, if the Bills win their game, they're going to be the division champ. And so then that they would be the fourth division champ. Right now, Tennessee is the current number one seed. So they control their own destiny. Tennessee would get the number one seed first round by and home field advantage in the AFC with a win or a tie in a Kansas City loss. Kansas City, Cincinnati, New England. See, that's where things get tricky because the Bills, the Bengals are 10-6. and six. The Chiefs are 11-5. and five. Patriots are 10-6. and six, And the Titans are 11-5. and five. And so all of these teams still have weird opportunities to get the number one seed home field advantage I mean you even look at a team like the Patriots the Patriots clinched the one seed in a first round bye with a win a Buffalo loss or tie Kansas City loss Tennessee loss 
they actually have a shot to do that. Pittsburgh has a crazy chance. So they need to win an indie loss and the the Chargers Raiders game does not end in a tie. <laughs> it is fun to kind of look through all of these. But basically in the AFC, the Colts they play the Jags. They win their in. Winner of the Chargers Raiders game is in. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. And if those things don't happen, then we'll let you know exactly what happened. We'll recap it all and we'll start to preview those playoff games for you right here. And that's what G said. But later this week, we'll have our full game previews for every game with Eric like we've had for you every single game of the year. And it's coming up on week 18. Some teams have things to play for. Other teams do not. We'll try to make you some money nonetheless. Now it's time to get into the horse racing portion of this episode. First up, we're going to talk Sam Houston with Martha Clausen. Martha does such a great job. She's a writer, and she does press releases for a bunch of different tracks. You've seen her work um, through the years in the Texas racetracks at Sam Houston, at Lone Star in Louisiana. She does a great job at Delta, Evangeline all over there. Um, And then we see her at Indiana Grand all the time, thoroughbreds, quarter horses. She's such a wealth of information. She knows all of the connections, the owners, the trainers, the jockey. She knows the horses. She's a very good handicapper, gambler, but she's just a really good ambassador for the sport. Martha Clausen joins us. Let's talk some horse racing now and some Sam Houston opening day on That's What G Said. <laughs> Really excited about the next conversation we're about to have here. Folks, it is opening week over at Sam Houston. If you've been uh, following along, that's what G said podcast from the beginning. You know that Sam Houston is one of our favorite racetracks to play. We have had a deal with Sam Houston now. This will be year three where we'll be helping cover races every single day that they run. It's going to start Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for the first few weeks. And then they'll expand. They'll bring some Wednesday racing in. They're also going to have a really good Sunday day, which is the biggest day of the meet. We're going to talk about all of that with our good friend Martha Clausen. You've heard Martha on this show. She is such a fantastic ambassador for racing. You see Martha doing stuff in Louisiana with the races over there at Indiana Grand helping out. And then anything to do with Texas racing, she's always going to be there on the big nights, big days. And she's going to put great press releases out Help everybody stay up to date And uh, we're going to talk with her about all these key details And info for the Sam Houston meet Martha Clausen joins us again Martha, how you doing? Couldn't be better. We, uh, you know, we're just so excited about the upcoming meet. And uh, Gino, you know, we love working with you. Uh, if you think I'm a good ambassador, I think you trump me about 20 times over oh, in terms no. of thank you <laughs> of so much enthusiasm. Well, and you take it, you take it up the bar. You know, pretty much, or well, maybe at the bar, you might need to. No. <laughs> both, both. <laughs> you know, but you, you're always trying new and innovative things, and I think that's important for for racing. You know, we have to try different things to keep. Keep people, you know, sustain their interest and kind of keep them positive because there's been a lot of news that has been a little bit discouraging for some people. But people like you and me believe in our product and we want we want to grow the sport. And we are really excited because the racing starts just this week. And Martha, I'm actually right now, fingers crossed, knock on wood, you know, we'll see how everything changed. Hopefully things have been changing in the world the last couple of years, week to week. But I'm planning on heading out 
to uh, Sam Houston for the first time this year. I spoke with Frank about it, and I think I'm going to head out there for the Texas Champions Preview Day in the mid-February. I think it's February 19th that night when they have some stakes. So I think I'm going to come out there, and I'm going to help you out if you're out there and, and them on the broadcast in any way that you need. So I've never been to Sam Houston. I've never made the trip there. And so knock on wood, I'm going to be hoping to make my first trip there in the coming meet also. Well, I I hope so. I hope the travel industry is good and that you can come out. And usually the weather in February is really nice. And that's kind of a cool day because, you know, one of the things that has really sustained Sam Houston is the push um, from the legislation. You know, we don't have gaming here, but we got a nice boost from a House bill that was passed a couple of years ago that gave us added money. And one of the um, things that we're really supporting is Texas, the Texas Bread Program. So Texas Preview is like a kind of a preliminary round of stakes that will come and culminate uh in our um in uh texas champions day and this year the purses for texas champions day are a hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand yeah well we're super excited i'm telling you you know the the texas breads that i've admired and grown to love over the years you know it just keeps getting better the program the breeding program in texas is better people are super fueled that we have a little more money to run for so they're breeding in texas couple of tremendous farms here so you're gonna love being there for that night that'll be fantastic to have you on board so one of the things over the last couple of years it's just you were kind of talking about it there's there's a lot of um you look around a lot of other, a lot of racetracks or some jurisdictions and there's you know kind of just negative energy in the world of racing right now I, the last few years with texas racing it's felt the opposite it just has <laughs> been really positive the, like you said there was an influx of money that's come in and texas just decided you know what we're going to do we're going to put it back into the purses we're going to continue to have low takeout in a lot of these wagers we're going to do bright by the gamblers and by the horsemen and it's just been a beautiful relationship last year sam houston was setting all kinds of records they were getting purse influxes throughout the meet it was just incredible to see how much things have grown over the last few years on every level from the the broadcast to the hd to the social media presence to just every little thing it felt it feels like texas and the people over at sam houston who we're going to talk about now with their upcoming meet they've been doing it the right way well, you know, one of the biggest proponents of what has happened was Steve Asmussen, who's Hall of Famer, top top gun in the world, as far as I'm concerned, you know, because I know him quite well. And yeah. he and his family live in Texas. And he said, you know what? And and, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, but Steve was pretty honest. He said, you know, the days of, of horse racing, trying to get the drippage from racinos, it's got to end because it's not helping our product. We have to, you know, make our own product stand out. We have to get the money to have good purses and have full fields and all this stuff. He he was really, really, he felt really strongly about it. And so we have to be creative because we don't have casino gaming and we don't have sports wagering like a lot of the, you know, tracks, Louisiana has mm-hmm. it, Indiana has it. It feels, it gives you a lot of money for purses, but our um, governor and, you know, a couple people in Austin just do not believe in it. Uh, they, well, it's probably more complicated than that, but I'll be nice and say they don't believe in it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the fact is, is a couple really, really savvy, well-connected people help get this house bill passed. And it gave us $25 million 
a year to put in. And it was kind of from tail, from equine sales tax. So, you know, all the feed, all the uh, shavings, everything that you have to buy to be able to have horses um, went, you know, a portion of that went into the purse money and it helped us immeasurably. You know, Gino, I, I've been in Texas for a long time, but I also have, like you said, clients in Louisiana. For a while, I was going over there and all I was seeing is Texas trainers. Yeah. And then the last couple of years, a couple of them said, we're coming back to Texas and we mm-hmm. sure are excited. So I think you, 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 I'm glad you followed it. And it's been a long uh, process, but it definitely is, is working it's, out. Nothing's ever overnight, right? It just no. takes, it <laughs> takes a, a few months to couple years and then people start to realize like wow that product at sam houston is good the purses are better the racing is stronger and you mentioned steve asmussen when you have one of the top barns and the top trainers out there bringing some of the top top horses in to run it it it, you know you get the trickle down effect because everybody looks around oh the asmussen horses are there too and And then they want to send some of their horses to run for the bigger money. Let's right. talk a, about some of the great connections uh, in your press release. It starts uh, talk. It starts with uh, a, some really great information about trainer J.R. Caldwell, who just jumped onto the scene in the last couple of years. And in racing, it's something that we really love seeing people that put in the time, put in the effort, and and then they start to just improve their stock. They start to get more owners. They start to get more horses, and you see it just happening. And then last year. Wow, every horse that they sent out at Sam Houston was live. They had that incredible connection. Goncalves was riding a lot of them for oh, yeah, him, a yeah, lot of the yeah. winners. They were just, I mean, every horse was live, and I think they're really pumped and excited for a big meet again this year. Oh, he he's a great guy. You know, he's a he's a you know, the people in racing, and Gino, you know this from your years at TVG. You can love his hor- horses as much as you want, but the people are so intriguing. I mean, they work their butts off. It is so far from a nine to five job. We're all a little crazy with the schedules, right? We're all a little bit loony without <laughs> totally, totally, especially night racing. You know? Yeah. But uh, you know, J.R. Caldwell, he was all over the country and obviously had the real big superstar with Texas Chrome who went to the Breeders' Cup. And then, you know, Circuit to circuit to circuit 46 days and then you're packing you know your van and you're moving your whole staff over and he just got exhausted i mean he told me i just it was just too much so he sort of points to certain meets a year and basically said after lone star because now he's he, he was born up in the in Idaho and raced, you know, kind of raced, got his, uh, cut his teeth in the inner mountain area, but uh, he's been in Texas and he said, you know what? I love Lone Star. I live very close to there. I love Sam Houston, love the track surfaces and I'm not going to bounce all over. I'm just going to stay there, have my horses ready, you know, and that's what he did last year. And he has a full barn and he is ready. I mean, he's so ready and he's pumped up and he, um, you know, he was the, like the second trainer to, you know, head in when we opened the, uh, uh, backside for training and he's just pumped up and ready to go. He's a super guy. And uh, of course there's so many horsemen that, you know, we could write stories on each one of them and everyone would be different. That's what I love about what I do for Sam Houston. One of those fun personalities, Carl yeah. Broberg, who's always going to be towards the top. He's got horses <laughs> everywhere, every single, everywhere you look, he's got a bunch of horses and they're always winning and he gets creative with how he runs them, with where he runs them. And he, uh, he's really a fun personality too. I've had him on the show multiple times. He's, he's, he's a lot of fun to talk to. He'll be honest with you about oh. stuff. He doesn't hide away from any controversy or anything like that's what's great. He tried to be as straightforward as possible. Yeah. Um, he's got multiple horses, I think mm-hmm. nine entered on, yeah. uh, 
on yeah, opening yeah, he's day. got nine, and uh, J.R. Caldwell has nine, and you know a whole bunch of horses have multiple, a uh, whole bunch of uh, conditioners have multiple horses. But <laughs> Carl's funny as all can be. When I first met him, I was like, I don't, I, I can't, I've never, you know, I've never met anybody like him. <laughs> I remember, and he's tough to interview. I mean, thank gosh we've gotten to know each other, and so now you know I kind of get his humor. But I remember one time, one of my first interviews, he had a really nice Texas bread that kept winning everything, and uh, was a sprinter, and then all of a sudden puts the horse. I think. It was a filly puts her on the turf and she won and when I was doing my post-race interview I said well what <laughs> well Carl you know this horse been so good sprinting what made you try the turf and he goes fifty thousand dollars <laughs> you know and I was like oh you know I'm like I'm on camera going oh no you know but now I I know better and sometimes on social media oh he'll send some messages and it's like Carl or I'll call him for a quote and he'll tell oh, and Carl you know I can't use that and he just, he <laughs> just pulls my chain yeah he's pretty funny you know but yeah, he's great. Danny Pish, uh, you know, he's been around for a long time and he's ventured out all over and he, you know, very solid horseman as well. And and then some of the ladies, I love Mindy Willis. I don't know if you saw, you know, she had a couple really nice Texas bred champions. Mm-hmm. She loves her horses. She's real, real hands on Sarah Davidson, adore her, the whole family, her dad, her mom, they're all involved in racing. They've been around for a long time. And, you know, if you're ever doing publicity and you need a favor, you've got a, a child that maybe had a little issue and would, you know, a make a wish sort of thing to see a horse or pet a horse and you call Sarah Davidson, she will go out of her That's way great. to help you out. Yeah. Amazing. Lovely, lovely person. A lot of the familiar names we'll see Cravens, Karen Jacks, Katara, <laughs> all have uh, horses in. And yeah. uh, that's going to be Thursday night. And uh, Thursday, where we're going to have our first post, which at 4 o'clock p.m. Central Time, uh, first yes. post for Thursday. Yeah. And then we'll yes. have Thursday, Friday, Saturday racing for about a, about a month or so. We'll have right. the big Sunday uh, on January the 30th. Uh, yep. So that's going to be the Houston Racing Festival that day. Martha, wow, <laughs> we've got the Ladies <laughs> Classic, yep. the John B. Connolly, which are both graded stakes, yep. 400,000, 200,000. Then right. you have the Texas My- the Texas Turf Mile, Turf Bob Bork, which is 200,000. Yeah, we renamed Another- it. We renamed it this year it, really because cool. we lost uh, Bob over the summer. And um, Great tribute. Oh my God. You know, he's, he was an incredible leader and, you know, he started in, the man was just unbelievable what he did in his career. Cause he started in like, he ran Philly park and then at night he'd go over across the river and do a, I had a general manager position at a Harney's track. And I'd say to him, Bob, it's exhausting. How do you do it all? And he goes, well, you got to work, you know, and he set a huge standard. We all adored him. So, you know, it was, uh, he had left a, a few years ago, but you know, then he got ill and he passed away this summer and uh, his son, uh, Danny Bork is the um, assistant racing secretary at Churchill and the director of racing at Ellis. And he came in for the memorial service. And, you know, it was very clear that they wanted him to be remembered. And Sam Houston was a track that Bob loved dearly. So we're so excited about that. And let me tell you, that's a good, that's only in its third year. And each year you have these incredible horses. That I think it's going to be great at stake soon. It yeah, will be. I hope so. Yeah. It will Plus be. Our, our purse for the uh, for the ladies classic went up to four hundred thousand this year. Think about the horses that have been oh. coming out of that race over the last oh. few years. Latruska, yeah. you know, um, Midnight Bisou, Midnight, Midnight Bisou, yeah. just yeah. incredible animals that have gone on and have done so well all over the place too. Right. It's nice. I was just watching a race Saturday too, where um, you know, I'm starting to now at the third year as I watched these horses that have been running a couple weeks ago. I was like, I wonder if they're going to run in the turf sprint in a couple weeks in Sam Houston. <laughs> right, you know, it's right. start to look at the 
the nominations and stuff. So that is going to be a huge day. It's yep. going to be great. It's on Sunday, January the 30th. We will have a full, we'll do a ton of coverage for that. We'll probably bring you back on leading up to that week, Martha. We'll have live stream and we'll do all sorts of stuff to, uh, to really promote that big day. And then Saturday, February the 19th is the date that I actually mentioned. That's the day I'm planning on heading out there. Texas preview day. For Texas breads there are five Stakes races for Texas breads All of them $75,000 and all of them Are basically prep races for the Big $100,000 stakes that run On March 26th which is Texas Champions Day right yeah and I mean You know what I love about it is you get to see the Phillies you get to see the culture well, You know of course we have uh, the younger Horses and then we have the uh, horses That are a little you know older and then we have The uh, turf course the horse oh my gosh And the Richard King and our Turf course um, and I know you've Heard people talk about it I mean Pat Day Hall of Fame Pat Day literally said The Sam Houston turf course is the best Turf course I've ever ridden on And I've never never heard a horseman uh, Say anything bad about our turf course I mean Mike Maker pretty much his own Well you know I was jinxing him I feel Terrible because he pretty much <laughs> owned The Connolly he won the Connolly three Times with bigger picture Every time he brings a horse in, he wins. In the last two years, he just got edged out. He was his horse is always in the money, but he got edged out. And I, I kept talking about, oh my God, you've won it so many times. And then I said, this year I'm going to shut up and not yeah. say anything. Sorry, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> jinx him. I just want to celebrate it because he's a true. You know, one thing that's interesting about Mike is that, uh, you know, people have always said he's a turf trainer, but he's shown over the last few years he can definitely, definitely condition horses for all types of surfaces. And all types of distances. He's a very gifted uh, trainer, you know, hardworking guy too, obviously. So some of those big dates just to kind of keep an eye on right. Sunday, mm-hmm. Sunday, January the 30th, Saturday, February the 19th, um, um, February the 26th. There's a couple of Arabian great stakes that night, which is also <laughs> a nice one. And yep. then in, earlier in March, you've got the Darley night with a couple uh, Darley stakes races, the Darley Distaff and the Darley Sprint, and then right. the big night at the end of the meet, Saturday, March 26th, where we have Texas Champion Day, all of those $100,000 stakes races, and those are some of the big, big nights, but we'll have racing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week. We'll pick things up on Wednesday in uh, middle of February, right. and Martha, we're going to have some, uh, uh, we're going to have a new voice uh, behind the mic. We We... All really appreciate and loved working with Chris Griffin. He did such a great job there for so many years. Actually, Chris is the reason why I got connected with Sam Houston. He brought me in. I was doing, I did some work with Chris in some of Northern California fairs and stuff. And we talked and he said, Hey man, can you, you know, I've seen that you played some Sam Houston races. Can we, you know, maybe you can talk some Sam. I said, dude, I'd love to. And I, I love Chris. It was, um, it was a great, uh, it was a great relationship I had working with him, but we've had, uh, Nick Tamaro on this show many times before he's going to be taken over. Nick is a fantastic handicapper. Ooh. He's a really, really good, just a, a horse player and yep. someone that many people have seen and heard all over social media for years, very sharp. And now he's going to be moving into the booth. I'm really excited to hear Nick calling the races. Yeah, he he um, he kind of called a whole bunch of the quarter horse races less. And, you know, obviously it is not easy to call a race. You know, I don't know if you've ever been called no, in action. Not easy it. at it's all. Brutal. It's brutal. It's <laughs> brutal. But, uh, you know, he's got a really good voice. Obviously, he knows racing inside out. He breathes it. You know, I mean, he started, you know, he loves the, the sport. He 
his dad, you know, uh, kind of, he always did it with his family. And then he's only 37. He's a real young guy. He's got a wife and, and a young daughter and they live a little bit South of Houston. So it was perfect to have somebody here that really just loved racing and has a national presence. I mean, obviously does a lot of stuff for New York and he's an NHC, you know, he's played in the NHC. He's really, really good at what he does and he's got a passion for it. So we, we all love Nick. He's, he's, he's super intelligent. Like I did a little preview show with him and I actually used one word that was a vocabulary word. I forget what it was, but it was almost as good as his. And of course, <laughs> he gave me props for it, but you know, a very, very intelligent guy. So we're excited about him. And then we have Trey Styles, who uh, he's a Hall of Famer. You know, he's like played in the NHC like countless times. I forget. He gave me his stats one time. I, I filed it somewhere. <laughs> he's good. I like to give him grief. I filed it somewhere, buddy. I know all about you. And he's a terrific <laughs> handicapper and he puts together, you know, uh, creative pick four tickets and does some previews for us. And we're bringing in your buddy, Jessica Paquette. She's coming in for a couple of the big days too. And we have a good team. You know, I really love really great that. team. I love, yeah. I've, I've had yeah. all of them on the show multiple times, I know, Trey, I know. Trey, Jessica and Nick. And I just, yeah. uh, it's a great, great crew over there. Honestly, Jessica has been all over the place. She has had such a great year, year and a half now. I think so many people when, when, you know, Suffolk stopped, she like anyone for a little while, you know, you, you, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, when, right. when you're just not able, people don't see you quite as much, quite as often. And just the one opportunity, one or one opportunity for her to just kind of get back out there. Everyone's like, oh yeah, remember how great she was? And the, right. they all want, everyone wants to bring Jessica in uh, at those, at their tracks because she's great. She's funny. She has a really good personality too. She's just a, another one. We keep using that word ambassador, but they, they wrote that great article about her in the times earlier this year. Um, really love uh, doing work with her. So looking forward to bring her on Trey, Nick's going to be calling the races over there. And mm-hmm. Martha, it's so easy for me. As someone who is a gambler and who have a lot of people that follow my show and that, you know, gamble, they want to know your picks and this and that. Sam Houston is the best racetrack when it comes to the wagering menu, right. the, the takeout, the 12% takeout. And it's not just a, oh, hey, we have a 12% takeout pick five. It's daily doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, all 12%. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was one of the things that Bob Bork really, really revolutionized. And to tell you the truth, if you go back in into the history of a reduced takeout, Sam Houston under Bob's leadership was the first one to do that. And boy, it paid off because a lot of people, you know, you want to you you want to make a profit. And uh, sometimes when they see 25 percent or a little bit higher or whatever, and it's just like, wow, you know, but I'm really not making my money when I'm betting these things. So, um, yeah, no. So we've got a great wagering menu and, you know, really try hard to have full fields because that makes such a difference especially with the you know uh, three-year-old races where you've got some untested I mean first-time starters and you see somebody come we've had some huge payouts we've had horses that have paid you know ninety dollars and uh and then if you get one of those if you beat I mean the pick threes pick fours if you beat one or two favorites in there you are sitting on a ton of dough and my best hit of the last couple years was at Sam Houston last year I made 10 grand I actually didn't I gave out a ticket on the air and didn't and ended up playing the pick four and not the pick five and the pick five would have hit the whole pool for like 30 grand. I ended up yeah. making like 10 myself that day. It is just like you said, you beat one or two right. and it's, Oh, it's so nice. It just, I'd never have to, I never have to lie or BS anybody about why to play Sam Houston because yeah. they, they know that the, that the takeout is going to be perfect for you. You're going to see it in every industry. People that follow sports and basketball, football, everything, baseball analytics, Everybody, we have so much more information now. Everybody keeps track of everything so much more. And I think when, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago, takeout wasn't as big of a thing. You know, I don't right. think people 
sort of talked about it, but when you really do the numbers and you start to watch the 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 pools that you bet into and the wagers that you make, and you see the difference between 20, 24 take percent takeout and 12, like you get at Sam Houston, it is right. night and day. It can really change your, you know, your bankroll. It can really change how much money you're making. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it just sort of shows to me, it shows uh, the horse players that we care about you, that we want, Absolutely. we want to retain your business. We want you to follow us and talk about us, you know, in your, uh, in your Twitter feed, you know, feed in your Facebook and all that. And then, you know, obviously we grow uh, the sport and some of our followers, some of our and I know you've had Sam Sherman and some of those guys, and they're under unbelievable handicappers and they're so competitive with each other. I just mm-hmm. love that part, you know. And then they show their tickets, <laughs> Broberg. I mean, like it's like they don't they do not hold back. There's no no. Secrets. And I think they really want to you know create excitement and share the fact that it can be very profitable and you have to take some risks sometimes, obviously. But uh, if you do with our lower uh, takeout, you're gonna really really make some money. The last few years, there has been just a, a different buzz when it's uh, when when there's Sam Houston racing. There there is with social media, which just um, when it's a uh, you know the, a day that there's Sam Houston racing, people are getting excited, like you said, sharing their tickets, talking about horses they like here and there. I know um, I'm I've been linked up with uh, with Stable Duel. They've got some huge. Uh, they do the the sort of like a fantasy horse racing games, the horse racing contest, and they've got yeah. huge games coming up all week long at Sam Houston. Also, so anyone out there who's a big fan of Sam Houston, check out those Stable Duel games. You can play in, in those and you know, I'm sure you'll find a few horses and you're going to go bet those at Sam Houston and yeah. you're going to go back and forth. So uh, Martha, you and I will sit here and go on for hours and hours and hours <laughs> talking all the great stuff about <laughs> Sam Houston. Is there anything else that we missed that you want to do a hit on before we get out of here? Well, you know, I just think we have some fun, you know, family uh, days planned as well. I mean, we have the wiener dog races coming oh, up. Yes. And, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and just a camel and ostrich races on uh, this is in March. We go March 11th. We got two nights of the camel and ostrich race. Too bad you're not there. For that we can put you on a camel. No, I'm gonna say maybe I'll no. get. A, I'm gonna have to no. find a way to get over there. <laughs> no, I tell you what, you you know Jim Mulvihill, don't you? Jim, oh uh, yeah, I love Jim. Jim is so funny. Well, he's, I'll tell you a funny story. He used to be the uh, uh, publicity director at Fairgrounds, and I'd go over there, and I think uh, they had the camel and ostrich races. They decided to do it during a quarter horse meet, and I was over there, and he had this uh, absolutely adorable weekend meteorologist that was out there, and she said, "I ride horses. I'll ride the camel," and the guy <laughs> will tell you, "Do not." Use a crop. Do not whip them. No. Let them do their thing. Don't and show she, them. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. She decided she was going to win, and so, <laughs> so she. I, I hope Jim listens to this because the funniest thing I've ever seen. So she gets up there and she's all gung ho, little petite thing, real, real, uh, you know, real. Um, just looked like obviously she rode and she was athletic and everything. She got after a camel and he wanted nothing to do with it. And he literally, you know, they're like twenty feet in the air. He yeah. bucked her off, and all of a sudden oh. you see this little girl flying eighteen feet over the camel. Flat into the track, broke her collarbone, oh, and, no. and which isn't funny. It's terrible. No, I'll no. never forget. We took a picture of Jim, and he put his hand on his forehead, and he was just shaking his head, saying, "Oh God, oh God, no!" You know. So I can never, as much as the public enjoys the camel racing, you'll, I will never get that image. You'll, out of my you'll always think about that. Always, that, always, yeah. Great events too. That's that's what's nice about Sam Houston. They're just um, thinking outside the box sometimes, wanting to get people. Out right. to the track, um, even on opening night, I believe there's going to be a an event on Thursday. Ownership. The yep. ownership mm-hmm. group, which is yep. great. Um, Fred Fowler and then um, former Houston Oiler, Dallas Cowboy NFL star Mike Renfro, they're yep. going to be on hand for an yep. owner preview event Great. in the suite yeah. level. Right. So mm-hmm. you can meet trainers and owners. You can find out everything about the uh, 
ownership experience. So right. and that's uh, sponsored by Texas Thoroughbred Association. And again, like they're putting some money into really trying to get uh, the awareness and trying to make some excitement. So I want to send a shout out to them. They're great people. And, uh, you know, they're really a nice partner to work with. You know, we don't probably give them the credit that they, <laughs> they deserve for making uh, Texas racing great again, but really good people. So other than that, you know, just follow SHRP.com. We got a great website in terms of putting all of our stories up and putting the latest updates and any of the, you know, uh, weather related situation. If a race is off the turf or, you know, the rails or, you know, all that stuff. Frank did some work with the turf rails this year and we'll go 30 feet out. And that ensures that we'll take care, a little better care of the turf course and maybe can run a few more turf races this year than we were able to in the past. So lots of updates. We'll share it on social media. And of course, we're so excited about being on the show with you and of course having you there in person you can have we'll take we'll go out for some mexican food absolutely you, you're never going to want to eat mexican food in california <laughs> I, I, was, I was gonna say I, absolutely no i yeah. look forward to it so much, it so much and fun. martha will be following along with you at martha c-l-a-u-s-s-e-n on twitter is where you can follow martha and she will always post all press releases really good information there some of those other uh follows on social media on twitter at shrp and at SHRP Racing, you'll get information, betting stuff, changes, scratches, anything cool that's happening at Sam Houston. You'll get those there, and I'm going to do my best always to pass that information along, help share it, help let everybody know, like you said, days where there's changes, scratches, anything that's happening uh, at all at Sam Houston. I'll always try to be an extra pair of uh, eyes and ears and pass that stuff along. Martha, I look forward to talking to you so much because I just I love I've had such a great relationship with Sam Houston. I always enjoyed uh, interacting with you. Sometimes I think it was at Los Al talking Los Alamitos <laughs> when I'd be out there and when I was on TVG and TVG, yeah. Every yeah. time we talk, it's just so much fun. Um, I think we both are just very like minded and we we love racing and we want to do everything we can to to help it to help it succeed. Absolutely. I love working with you too, Gino. So thanks for all your good work. And, uh, uh, you know, not just for us, but for the entire industry, we'll look forward to sharing everything about Sam Houston Race Park with you and your followers and your listeners as well. Okay, we'll set it tentatively to bring you back the week of uh, of Houston, uh, uh, the Ladies Classic and the big racing festival, and then we can uh, we can pump all those big races. We can take a look at some of the entries and see who who some of the big connections have shipped in. Yeah, well, we'll know something. We're actually closing uh, for the racing festival on the 19th. It's coming up pretty quickly. Yeah. I haven't heard, haven't heard a little. I don't want to share too much right now. I've got a little piece. Of, I was a little disappointed because Latruska, you know, uh, Fausto Gutierrez said she was going to race again this year. But he's, you know, he just wants to give her a little more time off so she won't start until Keeneland. But we loved her and I loved meeting him. You know, he got a lot of publicity. Nobody, I don't think very few people knew who Fausto Gutierrez no. was. But then, boy, and he just said that. Latruska, the mayor, she's just unbelievable. And so these are the type of things that have really, really gotten us pumped up. And, you know, we're just excited to see who's going to come in this year and see if we can have another, you know, between Midnight Bisou and so many of the other uh, ladies classic winners, we followed them all, all year and they win the Apple Blossom and then they go to Keeneland and they just, they're winning grade ones all year long. And it's like a thrill for us. And we're on pins and needles, so excited for them. But she'll probably end up, I'd be surprised if she didn't get, an Eclipse Award for the top uh, female, of yeah, course, yeah. horse of the year. You know, that's a little bit out of the range, but but we love her, and he's a great guy, and you know, hopefully we'll have an even more exciting stories to share with you as we get closer to the festival. Every year at Sam Houston, bigger and better. The quality racing, the competition, that awesome low takeout for the horse players. And Martha Claussen, she'll always be uh, letting you know everything happening over at Sam Houston. Thank you so much, Martha. You have a great rest of your week, and uh, I'm so excited for Thursday. 
My pleasure. Thank you, Gino. Do not go anywhere, folks. We still have plenty more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. And when you download that Stable Duel app today, which is Tuesday, you can look for the the rest of the week and, and see what's happening. Because on Wednesday, January the 5th, Gulfstream, Penn National, Parks, Tampa all have contests. 15, 25, 50, and $100 games. On Thursday, you've got Gulfstream Park. They have a $10 game, a $100 game, and a $25 top five or excuse me, uh, the $10 and the $100. Then Sam Houston has a couple big games. There's a free ride, Sammy Houston free ride on Thursday, $500 in prizes. And they have the opening day $30 contest, $6,000 in cash prizes for Sam Houston opening day. On Friday, 
Gulfstream, San Anita, Tampa, and Sam Houston. Those tracks are going to be kind of the consistent stable dual tracks for a little while now. Gulfstream, San Anita, Tampa, Sam Houston on Friday. You'll also have those same tracks on Saturday. A $60 game available, $15,000 in prizes at Gulfstream on Saturday. They have a $100 double up. Uh, Santa Anita has a $10 game, $1,500 in prizes. Tampa has a $150 double up. And then Sammy Houston, the $40 game, $5,000 in cash prizes. Sunday, Golden Gate, Gulfstream, Santa Anita, and Tampa. Really pumped about the upcoming stable dual schedule because I'm going to be doing Santa Anita and Sam Houston every day they race. Think about all the options we're going to have to make money at stable dual. And they've got a big one coming up. Next weekend, the Bash at the Bay. And you can go and hang out on track at Tampa Bay Downs if you want to. January the 15th, live next Saturday. It's a player's it's a, a player's day. Great day of racing and a huge contest. A $30,000 guarantees guaranteed prize pool. Join in the fun on track by emailing to let them know you'd like to attend. There will be a buffet lunch, beer, refreshments, and a great racing day multiple stakes for more information get to stableduel.com and I'll continue to tell you about that over the coming days so that's the uh, the stable duel schedule for the rest of the week right now we're going to get into handicapping opening day at Sam Houston love this racetrack they have 12% low takeout in every daily double every pick 3 every pick 4 every pick 5 and you compare that to other tracks where maybe they'll have one Pick five, that's a low takeout wager, but everything else is up in the 20% and above. This track cares about you as a gambler. They want to put money back in your pocket. They've improved the product. They've improved the broadcast. They've improved the social media presence, and they are just doing better and better each and every year. And Sam Sherman, who's a great handicapper, he joined us a bunch over the last couple of years to talk about Sam Houston racing. He is back to help us out. We run through the full card. We spend about 45 minutes talking Sam Houston for Thursday. Get those past performances out for Thursday, January the 6th, Sam Houston. Gamblers rejoice. The track that is the best friend of the better is back. Sam Houston opening day on Thursday, January the 6th. And we are very, very lucky because when it comes to Sam Houston, we have really developed some great relationships over the last few years with some sharp, sharp people. And the gentleman joining us now, you've heard on this show many times over the last couple of years, we've been very lucky to have him. And uh, he knows Texas racing as well as anyone. He's a great, great handicapper and gambler. And he's actually had a really good year stepping out. Sam, he used to tell us, you know, oh, I only know Texas that well. I don't know these other tracks. And I saw your name up on the top of a couple contest leaderboards this year. You were doing pretty well all across the country. Yeah, it's been a great year gambling-wise. I uh, won the Cigar Mile Handicapping Contest a few weeks ago. So that was a blast. Qualified for the NHC in Vegas. So, so far, so good. And uh, you, on the ownership side, tell us a little bit about how that's going. You've always uh, dipped in. You've always had a couple horses over there that have been uh, running in Sam Houston, Lone Star. What uh, What is it looking like for you right now on the ownership side? Yeah, I think we have four horses right now stable at Sam Houston between horses I own 100% of. I own a couple 50-50 with my trainer, Austin Gustafson. Um, got in the breeding game a little bit, so hopefully you'll see some of those babies appear. Um, not this, not in 2022, but in 2023, so... So far, so good. I'm sure we'll be looking to claim a few. I already see a couple on this opening day card that look kind of interesting maybe to claim as well. 
Great. Well, we always love uh, seeing where you go because you're you're such a good gambler. You have such a good eye, and you put your money where your mouth is in all parts. That's that's what <laughs> we want here, right? And you'll step up and bet, bet at the windows. You'll you'll get involved uh, in the ownership direction, and uh, you'll you'll share your opinions here. Never afraid of uh of uh, taking a stand. That's why we love having you on. That's why we love talking with you. And man, isn't it exciting? I would imagine for someone like you, like for me, I covered Sam Houston a while back on TVG, and then you know there would be a for a year or two where I maybe just didn't play all that much. And then the last few years when uh, Chris Griffin, I knew pretty well, I, I started helping out and, and covering the races a little bit over there. And the, the buzz over the last three years, Sam has just been awesome. Like every year it's been bigger and bigger last year. So many people online posting tickets, talking about Sam Houston in the, you know, the, the com the common like push the last few years, I think has really been, we're get, we're becoming takeout snobs, which is great in handicapping and gambling. We should, we should be very cognizant of what we're doing with our money and how much we're getting back. And I just, I love seeing so many people excited for Sam Houston. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Sam Houston is the best track in the country with respect to takeout on multi-race wagers, you know, the pick three, pick four, pick five, they're all at 12%. I think that the low takeout that's coincided with the purse is almost doubling thanks to, you know, a law that the Texas legislature enacted that basically added 12 and a half million to thoroughbred racing purses in Texas. So there's a lot better horses at Sam Houston the last few years mm -hmm. and then really started to pay attention to the takeout. So the, the multi-race ragers, um, yeah, they've generated a lot of buzz. Definitely. It's perfect because look, the money comes in, they put it into the purses, the horsemen come over more bigger fields than the betters look and they go, Oh wow. Bigger fields, turf and dirt racing. We've got all these options to bet and everything is low takeout. You know, some tracks will do the 12% takeout or 15% takeout pick five, but then it'll just be like the early pick five. And then everything else is still up in the twenties. It's so nice when you can you like whatever races you like, sometimes it's just, ah, you know what? There's a pick five, but there are like two races in there that I just don't love. It's so nice when you can just hammer home a double or a pick three and not have to worry about 20, 20 double the takeout that you would at, at Sam Houston, 24%, 25 at some places. It's just, uh, it's frustrating, and that's why we're going to put a lot of our bankroll and a lot of our focus over at Sam Houston. So we're going to be running Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for the first about a month or so. January the 30th, they'll have that big Sunday day where they have all the stakes for Ladies Classic. And then in mid-February, we'll start to pick up some Wednesday racing there. So Sammy Houston starts on Thursday. If you want to follow along, Sam and I are going to roll through the full card. Probably a couple of races where we won't spend all that much time on if they look a little chalky. But we'll give our opinions. And um, we are looking at January the 6th, Sam Houston race number one. Sam, so to kick things off, we have a $5,000 non-two on the year. So not, uh, not have two wins since July the 6th. They're going to be going a mile on the main track. And just as far as the uh, morning line is concerned, we're going to get a lot of money for the Carl Broberg trained Tesuke, who actually just ran on December 30th. So it's going to be wheeling back in seven days. So I think they're actually going to have to scratch that horse because uh, she doesn't qualify for the condition. If you look closely, right. she won in October and then just won a few weeks ago. So um, I think Tesuke probably will not be in this field. Carl does have another horse. See what's next that um, I hope takes a lot of money because that's not the one I'm looking at. I'm looking at no. Brandon um, who will inherit the whale, rail with Leslie and J.R. Caldwell. If you go back and just look at the races that she's been in, where she's been in for a tag, she's won all of them, um, except for her last race. And she had a pretty good excuse. The horse that won that race was one to five. 
and won by 15 links. And she read, she was fine. Yeah, yeah. She, she wasn't bad. There's it was a, open 7,500. That's a way different story than this time restricted 5,000. Right. So that's kind of one key that I look at is courses dropping into beaten conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, run well and open, you know, open 7,500. Any Philly or America could be entered there for 7,500. But kind of like we were saying, you know, Tasuke looked like the favorite, but since she won recently, now she can't run against these horses. So if you kind of look at courses going from open claiming conditions to these lesser claiming conditions, a lot of times they can run really well. That's kind of why Break It Dawn is one that I really like in here. Yeah, I think she's a must use. She should be running late, running on late and uh, probably the one they all have to hold off. One that I'll probably throw into some early exotics also. Um, is the six bold legend You know she kind of looks like she might be the quickest She's drawn outside She fits the conditions pretty well Because she these are horses who have not won two Since July 6th I always like to look at horses who haven't been beaten a whole lot In that time period She's only run twice since then And she probably needed the last race She should step forward here She's actually run well at Sam Houston There's really no world beaters in here She actually outfinished high class Euro And flashed more speed in uh, when she faced that one At Sam Houston last year So I agree with you. The two, I think, is the horse to beat. Maybe a, a sneaky horse with a little bit of speed. Bold legend. But I'm I'm not as high on... Yeah, I wasn't even as high on the one. And now with the, the likelihood of not running in there. And then the three, high-class Euro, who will probably take some money there. But comes up from Oklahoma bred races now to open company. I know that was a 5,000. But those state-bred to open races are, aren't the easiest move either. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, I mean, really, because of the Oklahoma purses over the last decade, the Oklahoma breeding program is not as bad as people might think um, versus the Texas breeding program. The person yeah. jumped up over the last couple of years. So if you ever see a horse going from an open condition to a Texas bred uh, race, I always like to say that's the biggest drop in class in racing that you can have. Um, so if a horse ever does well in a Texas bred or an open condition, it drops into Texas bred. That's really one that you have to pay attention to. That's the opener at Sam Houston <laughs> on Thursday. Let's uh, move along to race number two. So the second race is where you can play that pick four, twelve percent takeout on the uh, the pick four there, which is just so nice. We've got maiden fifteen thousand dollar claimers, five and a half furlongs the distance. So you'll have the three hush hush is a second timer who debuted over at Turfway on the synthetic, ran pretty well to finish second from the rail, came closing. That was at six furlongs. The five is uh, five to two on the morning line. That's Izanami, who's just making a big drop down in class from open maiden special weights and comes out of a race that's come back really, really well. Where the second and third place finishers both won maiden specials next out. Who are you looking at to using some of your exotics in this race? Right. So I don't really like either of those horses. You know, Hush Hush is one that we actually took a look, pretty close look at it claiming. And I think, you know, if she gets off the synthetic, I'm not sure she'd do so well. If you look at all of her workouts on the dirt, they're all just 7 of 8, 20 of 20, 18 of 18, 24 of 31. Um, so I, she's pretty vulnerable in here, I think. Especially at I, five and a half, right? You yeah. know, like she'd maybe at like six and a half or seven or like one of those more tricky distances. But this things would need to go pretty correct for her to get the right kind of trip, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know she broke last, but I mean, she didn't break bad. She just broke last so and then like, settled yeah yeah so the one i kind of like is bearing special um we were talking you know a couple minutes ago about how the oklahoma breeding program isn't that bad and if you you might be able to get a pretty good price on this one if you look at her last race uh fourth by 10 and three quarter lengths she kind of had some issues around mm-hmm. turns. she was making a move a horse kind of shifted out stopped her momentum 
but then she still passed horses on the way home. Um, so if you're looking for a price in here, I think uh, if you look at Bearing Special, that's one to, one to definitely take a look at. And, you know, she she's got a little bit more speed than it might look like just at first glance. She actually broke really well, but the it was a small field. It was just there was a field of six and the the other five all were forwardly placed. They all wanted to be on the lead. So she kind of took back a little bit. She wasn't even that far out of it. But like you said, there were some issues. She kind of got in a little traffic. She kind of got pushed a little bit. And I, I thought it was pretty deceiving. And the number came back low. So you might even be able to get a little bit better price. There's no monsters in here. I'm absolutely using her in multi-exotics. I completely agreed with you. Hush, hush. I, I mean, if you're playing tries and stuff, I wouldn't completely dismiss her because she'll probably come running late. I, I don't l- completely need her at a really short price. Izanami, I just don't know if she's even got any ability. She just didn't show anything. She gets Lasix for the first time. She comes out of a good race. Um, she has a couple winning sibs, but... I mean, I don't want to take a really short price on her. The, the one who I'm going to get a little crazy with and throw in, and she probably can't win this race, but she's going to be a massive price, is Mom's Prayer. She, so she's a five-year-old mare. She's only made four career starts, and she got trounced last time we saw her. But look at her races. This is going to be the, the lowest spot she's ever been in. She actually faced maiden specials, open maiden specials in three of her four starts. Her race is at Sam Houston in 2020. One of them really wasn't bad, and we know she's got speed. I mean, that's just got to be the game plan. Get her out. Just try to send her hard. These connections don't win a whole ton. But I just don't think this is the greatest group in the world. And maybe she can get out front, get a little bit brave. I'm going to flop her in some under spots and maybe in one or two pick fours. But this, that's the kind of race when you do it, when you just don't love the favorites and you don't love the short price horses. Because I don't, nobody in here scares me. Yeah, I agree completely that nobody in here scares you. Um, if you want to, you can have mom's prayer all to yourself. Um, <laughs> The jockey only getting 18 mounts. Oh yeah, they don't win a they don't win a ton at all. If you if you use her, I mean, I think you're going to get better than 20 to one on that horse. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of money is going to come in on Hush Hush, and frankly, I'll be pretty surprised if she wins in here. Yeah, that's uh, race number two at Sam Houston Maiden 15 Claimers. Let's get to the third. We go to the Texas bred Phillies. These are three year olds, five and a half furlongs, the distance. Expect the boss is coming out of a Texas bred stakes race, finishing second as the runner up actually took the lead there and opened up a couple lengths in the stretch and looked like she was going to go on and win. And then she, uh, the horse on the inside just kind of battled back and won. but she's shown some ability. We're also going to get some action. You'd imagine for the entry in here for Karen Jack's Texas thunder debuted in a stakes and finished third there. A couple of first timers who may take a little bit of money. Where are you going to head in this one? Yeah, I think I'm going to try to beat the Asmussen 9 to 5 favorite in here. I watched back the races uh, that she uh, ran and I wasn't overly impressed. I really like the entry in here. Uh, Texas Thunder, the 1A, was my favorite horse at the at the Texas sale where she sold for over 100,000, which for a Texas bred is a significant amount of money. And she debuted in a in a $75,000 stakes race and got beat by Eagle Express, who went on to run in a grade three at Saratoga. It's a G thing, a winner. And she didn't look terrible. You also no. get, if you know, you take really like her, you get a bonus of an unstarted horse. Um, I'm Lucky Charm, the one who has two siblings who are both one made in special weights. So I think if you want to try to beat the Asmussen nine to five in here, I would look towards the entry. I think you'll probably get every bit of seven to two just because everyone's going to gravitate towards that Asmussen horse. I agree. And I'm not as much of a fan of the two on the Sky Traveler because the, the rail draw either. I think that might put her in a little bit of a bad spot because Texas Thunder is pretty quick. 
from the outside and, and if she breaks well That's going to make I'm a Sky Traveler get into that Stocking spot where you can make it the shuffle On the inside I thought the entry Was very live in here I thought the um, if you're trying to beat the chalk um, The three like I prefer the three over the two I'm not as much on the two you know expect The boss sure can win Heaven's Princess was also one that I might Throw into some tickets or at least in some underneath Spots debuted against open maiden specials Then faced uh, Texas Bread maiden claimers and was you know, okay, it was a good start. Was kind of in between horses. The stable mate flew early, opened up, and then won by five. And this one lost the battle for second that day. Just never really had a shot. Third place finisher came back and has a run or third place finisher from the debut has come on to run pretty well as a five time winner, Louisiana Bread Stakes winner. So, yeah, we don't necessarily love the favorite in here. Five and a half is probably kind of pushing. This is a horse who's opened up a couple times and spit it out too. Now you're going to go. You know, five and a half. Not not as if Steve has a problem getting horses ready to rock, but I just don't know how far she really wants to go. She hasn't shown uh, all that much uh, kind of stick. So maybe another vulnerable favorite here early on the card at Sam Houston. As we take a look at a couple with a, a strong entry, you get that two for one action. You mentioned with I'm a lucky charm, dam's a winner, have to uh, no mas tequila, Texas bread, uh, you know, multiple stakes placed, and a couple multiple winning sibs, barn capable, two for the last 11. With first time starters, they won with one at Remington on December the fourth at four to one. So, yeah, if we get, I agree, you'll probably get four to one on on the entry, right? Yeah, I would be stunned if you didn't, just because I, I think everyone's just going to see Asmussen second, even money, morning line favorite. It's going to be a huge favorite. You yeah. know, he's thought much of this horse. You know, he takes Texas breads to all the other tracks that he runs at, and he didn't. <laughs> you know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's not overly high on this horse. Uh, if he was, you know, she would have run sometime since July. So I think, you know, it's kind of continuing a trend of the first couple races with some vulnerable favorites. Let's get to race number four, 25 non-two claimers, seven furlongs on the main. As far as the morning line is concerned, the eight queen of the lane, the seven loot scoot and boogie going to take a, a good amount of support in here. You've got the lightly raced math mystery with some upside, who are some of the horses you're looking at in this one? I'm just looking at one. I think Queen of Lane will just overpower this field. Um, you might be able to get around two to one just because, once again, you know, Steve has a horse in here um, that's coming from Kentucky that people might like. But, uh, I mean, if you look at her last race, she ran pretty well. And that's basically a stakes race. You know, Ellstown stakes winner. There's a horse quick, quick, quick in there that she beat who's a stakes winner. Not really sure why JR. Entered her in that race, but um, you know she ran well. Second off the layoff here, I think there's a lot to like. Queen of the Lane, you know, that's kind of looking like a single in that early pick four to me. Yeah, some of the earlier races were chalks that we thought may you know be worth taking a shot against. I don't think that she has won the couple of races she's run on the main track are very good. She's going to go second start off the long, long layoff. She definitely feels like the horse to beat. I'm not high on Loot Scoot and Boogie, so yeah. I would. Sort of agree with you in that if you want to play Maltese and single queen of the lane I have no problem I do like a couple Price horses that I think have an Opportunity to run well underneath I, I don't know if they could beat queen Of the lane so maybe pro- Maybe horses I wouldn't want to put as much In in your pick fours but In exactas tries and supers I thought both of the inside horses had a shot Just from like a pace standpoint There's not that much speed in here and I wouldn't be shocked to see Flew by you just try to get really aggressive From the inside His uh, Her best race came going seven furlongs And she actually comes out of a couple pretty good races Prior to the last I think we can just oh, She went a mile and an eighth she didn't want to go that far She opened up and then faded 
And the the November and October races at Remington Those are actually pretty good Simply Sovereign is stakes placed um, A horse named It's All in the Notes Won an open allowance race at Oaklawn Park recently So Flew by You and Black Magic Lady Are under horses But of the early races This feels to me like Probably one of the safer short price horses To use with Queen of the Lane Yeah and I guess the only thing I'll say is If you want to bet an exacta or a try or super I think you should only do that if you're pretty darn confident about that race. And the reason is, you know, just go back to the takeout. You know, you're at 12% for the multi-race. Multis. Exacta, you're at 21%. Trifecta, Superfecta, you're at 25%. So it's almost double the takeout for those for those type of bets. So And sometimes you're better off honestly playing multi you're playing two pick threes or pick fours and playing one of them as a spread and just throwing in some of the bombs that you like. And if they do hit you know, those are the races, those are the times where you make, you know, you hit a pick three or pick four that pay massive. So, you know, maybe you play your bigger ticket where, and that's just a great point, you know, always want to hit on because I'm not exactly much of a, an exact to try super player myself. I'm more of a multi race bet to win kind of player, just that's the way I handicap. So if take advantage of the, of what they're giving you at Sam Houston. You know, take advantage of that low takeout. And if you are someone who plays more exact as try supers, maybe get into some doubles and some pick threes here because it's just going to help your bankroll. It's just going to help your uh, your wallet when you make some money. Let's continue on, Sam. We get to race number five now. It's a good race. We've got a, a non-two optional 50. They'll go a mile on the turf course here. We've got Revenir. Only, only two horses in this race have run on the turf, Revenir and Screwball. Revenir was a pretty good second, and Screwball won in his only turf start So I guess just from a conversation point We can start with them as the horses who have turf experience Yeah, I'm not going to use either of those uh, There is a horse in here that <clears throat> Excuse me, I mean Might be like a second mortgage Type situation, and that's Dude Perfecta This is a nice horse This <laughs> is a really impressive animal I'd be, you know, they bought this horse for 32000 I would be stunned if they didn't get You know, six-figure offers for this horse Just after the first time it ran if you just look at the running line on the form, you know, it says broke slow, three wide driving. That doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, he spotted the field 10, 12 links. And I mean, he never looked like a loser. They have something really here with Dude Perfect. I agree with you. You know, he's never routed, never been on the turf. Um, dialed in, I mean, distance horse, the dam uh, has some turf pedigree. Three and, wins on the turf, multiple stakes placed. Yeah. Yep. So I think I look at the pitch horse and see, oh, Springboard Mile, oh, Clever Trevor. Um, I mean, the horse was 35 and 45 to one of those races. So, I mean, he showed up, but I mean, he, no one really, really loved it there. And Screwball, the one horse, I, I went back and watched the race. It was okay, pretty low speed figure. No one from that race has come back to do anything. He just uh, kind of kept going, you know, you just kind of, it was like a, it wasn't a, it was weird as it was a trip that doesn't normally win on turf, you know, it was just kind of like a three wide trip kept in the clear and nobody else really made a move and he sort of just fell into it, you know, so I, power to all, like, credit to him for winning that race, but like you said, it wasn't visually over, uh, overly impressive. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that Screw, Screwball won the race, it was more like everyone else lost the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I agree I think, though, dude. Yeah. The, this guy was good, man. Dude, perfecta. The uh, five siblings of his raced on the turf. Three of them are turf winners. Now that was and that was against open maiden special weights, and he didn't look like distance should be any issue. We know he's bred well. You mentioned the race. I mean, he was moving in between horses. He started to roll, and they wrapped up on him late. I, I have him uh, stacked up on top two, and another that if 
you know, the pitch horse gets a little money because he's dropping out of a stakes, or if a couple of these take more money for some reason. I mean, if Dude Perfect is over five to two, I, I think I, he. I'm just expecting a lot of him. I think he's a really nice horse. I mean, if Dude Perfect is anywhere near five to two, I'm going to go up to every single person I know. <laughs> I'll take money at ten percent loan. I'll just pay you back after the race. <laughs> I mean, this horse is the one I want the most by far on this card. Yeah. Uh, that is Dude Perfecta in race number five at Sam Houston. They're going to call it Sam Sherman Houston after <laughs> race five if Dude Perfecta wins. <laughs> we move to race number six. This is where you can jump in and play a late pick five here. Five and a half furlongs on the dirt. The two Lady Avenue, your three to five morning line favorite for Steve Asmussen. This is a really sharp runner who has won now what five of the last six for Steve. Yeah, and I mean, the only race she lost was around two turns at Delta Downs. Um, I guess that's another thing to point out. If you see six and a half furlongs at Delta coming into Houston, just know that's a two-turn race. It's not a sprint. Um, yeah, I mean, she's three to five. She should be three to five. She's going to be singled on everyone's, you know, late pick five. Uh, I might not even play the late pick five, just not play this race. She... She's three to five for a reason. I think she'll be every bit of three to five, and I'm not really sure I see anyone in here who can beat her. I'll give uh, a couple if people are trying to, but I agree. She's 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 the one to beat, and and that's a great approach too. Is that if you know if you like a horse like the or if you look at this race and you go, okay, she's three to five. I can't really personally find a whole lot of reason to play against her. I know everybody else is going to single her. You don't get any separation or any advantage. Just don't don't play the race. Play the next race and play a pick four, especially when they're all twelve percent. You don't have to worry about the fifteen percent takeout in the pick five and then twenty five in the pick four. That's not an issue at Sam Houston. Wait till the pick three or the double, or just you know wait till you you know find a sequence that you like a little bit better. Now, if you do say I don't like her and I want to beat her, I thought the five was a little bit interesting. Uh, pick up the phone. Who has maybe some races to go back to that you can you can kind of um you can circle so. Last time out, six and a half. We can kind of put a line right through it. Two starts back on the turf. Ran into a horse that has won three in a row and four of five named Icy Charlie. The September races at Remington are the ones that are, are really intriguing. That September 25th race, the one where she sat just off. She earned a big number, and that figure actually stacks up pretty well with what Lady Avenue has been running. And if for some reason anybody else is able to put pressure on Lady Avenue in here, she might be the one who can sit third. I love, uh, you know, you you talk uh, and for years have been talking about Luzzy. What's nice is that he will put horses in a really good spot. So this horse should be maybe sitting third. And if she's good enough or if Lady Avenue falters, it won't be because pick up the phone didn't get a good ride or wasn't in striking range. It'll be just because Lady Avenue is in great form. So, yeah, five for me if you're going against Lady Avenue. Six would be another one if you're playing some multi-exotics who might be kind of a nice under at a price horse who's you know just got some decent races that fit kind of stack up with the rest of these but if she gets a length on the field early sam lady avenue is going to be pretty tough yeah and i mean she's not just winning these races i mean she's crushing like five and a half five year down four. those numbers and figures could be a lot bigger than they are too if she was being asked and she was all out and she's beat a bunch of horses in this field i guess you know if you do want to play the pick five um, yeah, I do what you do, maybe single another horse. And then if it doesn't work out, like we said, you know, 12% takeout pick four that starts in the next race. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're better off ripping a ticket up and then just going, oh, okay, then playing the chalk chalk that everyone else is going to play. It's just, it's, 
half of the more than half of the battle when it comes to ga- uh, handicapping and gambling is the gambling, right? We all do so much of the handicapping, but then it's okay. What's the approach? How am I going to attack this? Spend, make an effort if you're listening to this every day for this new year resolution, even if it's five extra minutes, when you sit down before you put your wagers in, just spend a little bit more time formulating your bets. How do I want to approach this? What sequence do I like the most? What's my strongest opinion today? I want to make sure if that hits, I make a lot of money today. That's how you should be thinking. If, if a horse is three to five and it's going to be, you know, most likely winner going to be on everyone's ticket and, the takeout is the same in the next race. I get it. You know, if the pick five is a 12% takeout, the pick four is over 20. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I do want to play the pick five, but not in this spot. Right. Exactly. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you, if you like another horse and, uh, and you, you hit it, I mean, you're going to be in a great spot. So yeah, if you like another, have an opinion, definitely play it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the whole pair of mutual, I mean, the, the deal is you got to find, opinions that everyone else doesn't have so mm-hmm. throwing a three to five on the ticket because you think she's going to win doesn't make a whole lot of sense um especially with the uh way sam houston set up and a lot of people do that naturally like if you're someone and and when and i am like we have our conversations we're looking at the races always as okay how are we beating the favorites right and a lot of people don't necessarily start that way but that's kind of the way you should start every race and say okay who's the favorite can we beat them now or what's my line? What what price should this horse be? Okay, and and kind of give in your in your head. Okay, if this horse is this price, this, and then if they're that, great. If they're not, boom, you can skip. Especially at Sam Houston, like it's it's the best of all the tracks to not feel forced into oh low takeout pick five, high takeout pick three, high takeout pick four. Nope, no worries here with any of that stuff. Get yourself involved in the late double if that's where your best opinion is. It's only going to be twelve percent. We're jumping into the late pick four now. We've got Texas bred first level allowance runners. They're gonna go six furlongs on the dirt course here. And we have a big field signed on. We've got the six and seven who are horses who will probably take a good amount of support. My golden M coming in from open races. You've got Hulin, who's also faced open, but uh, beat claimers last time out for Broberg. Those two will take money. Sir BB's also coming uh, out of open races. Connections don't win a whole ton there. Those are three that probably take a lot of support. But who are you looking at in this wide open race? Yeah, you know, this is a fun race just because I'm familiar with with a lot of these horses uh, because of their Texas spreads. And I think Ghoster, the one, will probably get a significant amount of play just because it's Asmussen Elliott. I think Hewlin probably will, too. It's a horse that everyone down here is familiar with, run a lot at Houston and Lone Star. The one I'm interested in is my Golden M. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mentioned earlier, you know, going from open company to Texas spread, biggest drop in racing. This horse has run some really good races against open company. And then, you know, the last race wasn't great. When it says broken the air, once again, you know, the chart callers at Remington aren't great. I mean, it was almost a situation where there might have been an inquiry for the starter, like holding on to the horse. It was he had no shot. It was like he, he dwelt. He completely missed the break. He was more than 10 out of it. And then he just he never had any opportunity in that race. Never. It was yeah. over. But if you look at all the other races, you know, just one is maiden by a neck, second, second, second. Um, this horse is always in these races and then gets to drop in against these Texas spreads. Uh, I think it got a really good shot here. You might end up getting, you know, not a great price, but a little bit of a price just because there's Asmussen and Broberg in here. 
and it's a big field. I agree with you. This is going to be a single for me in some late exotics. And if this if this horse is in uh, sort of like what we were saying with the other, if he's in the five to two ish range, I'm going to make a nice win wager on him because he just fits. He's got so much more speed than his last race too. Because all all of his other races, he's going to be close up. He's going to be tactical, and he just never had a shot last time. Put a line right through it. Play him off of his form prior to that. And what's nice is because of that, you'll get a little bit more uh, value built in. In uh, the huge drop in with Texas Breads, yeah, I got the six, my golden M as the as the horse to beat in a major player. I mean, like the three Sir BB, it's just the connections don't win a whole lot, you know. But the horse fits. It's just as far as like a class perspective, coming out of some of those open races, the races against Texas Breads were super competitive, and um, you even see a, a stakes placing last year. The lone win came at Sam Houston, was behind a horse who won next time out, but. Just you know, under type horse. I just you'll probably get a pretty nice price. Yeah, you know, a senior BB. I'll just let the Chocolatana family beat me. You know, if they yeah one for thirty eight. If they win, you know, congratulations, great, um, good for them. Um, you know, Hewland's interesting in here. It's just it's just going to be such a short price. I think Hewland's going to go off as a favorite. I don't think he'll get five to two. And you know, winning a fifteen on three at Delta is not the most impressive win in the world. So, yeah, I think my golden M in here really fits, you know, big field. I think you'll probably get a decent price on that horse. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be uh, the play for me and Sam here. One more worth mentioning, um, I guess. Well, Dustin was one that uh, has shown some good, you know, some good races earlier on. Hasn't quite been as uh, as successful lately, but comes out of a couple open. And then you've got the very, very capable. Anytime I see a horse with really good speed and with Luzzy jumping aboard, it's just like the perfect marriage. Gradester is a horse who... You know, did beat open a few starts back. The last couple races weren't as great, but he's a really kind of one-dimensional speedy type horse. So if there's other speed in a race and he's going too fast, he's just going to falter. If he clears, he gets a little bit brave, and he's proven at Sam Houston for some really solid connections. So maybe uh, he's a horse to to flop into some exotic, some way, shape, or form. Greatster. Let's get to the eighth race. Start of the late pick three here. Ten thousand non-winners of two. Big thanks again to Sam Sherman for helping us out as we continue through the opening day card at Sam Houston. Remember, twelve percent low takeout in all of the multi exotics. So maybe uh, you, you're late to the uh, the party, but you just join in for the uh, the eighth race, and it's like, oh wow, I can play a twelve percent pick three here. Six furlongs on the dirt. Who are you looking at in this race, Sam? <laughs> I thought this one was pretty tough. I think. You know, on a lot of these multi-race raiders, there's going to be a lot of people using a bunch of these horses. So it might be a good race to narrow narrow your ticket down. One I thought was interesting was Wicked Rebel. Um, you know, coming from the East Coast back back to Remington uh, last race. Ran okay. Um, kind of got a little too far back. If it's a little bit more forwardly placed, uh, I think it'll have a shot. Um, you know, the Deodora horse, he's pretty lucky. That'll probably be the one taking all the money coming in for Kentucky. But, you know, I think if they like this horse a lot, it probably would be at Oakland, not at Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's one to maybe take a stand against. Carl's horse looks pretty beatable. Uh, Kaching Bling didn't really like the last race. Three-time Charmer looks interesting. There's just a lot of horses in here that, that have a shot. I think Wicked Rebel at ten to one might be one to to take a look at for everybody. He, he's on one of mine and uh, on one of my tickets for sure. The horse who I want to mention is the number nine Beggar. So he is going to go third start off the long, long layoff. Now he didn't race from fe- uh, February to November, 
And in his last two starts, he drew the inside. And for a horse with his running style, he's got some speed, but he's he's kind of like a tracker also. It's not the easiest spot to be when you draw the rail because you get kind of shuffled a little bit. You're sort of forced. You're in between. Neither of those races were all that bad. And he, you know, you look at a horse two starts back who won for 7,500 non two at Remington next out. I just don't think anyone in here is that scary if you're throwing horses in. That are prices maybe throw throw him in what's wrong with the January 22nd race at Sam Houston when he finished third against the 10 non twos at this level that race would stack up pretty well in here six furlongs concerns me a little if this were like five five and a half Mm -hmm. I might like him a little better but it's like you said there's nobody that's all that scary in here I'm gonna flop him in with a lot of others yeah and I think you know there's another one in here finding silver absolutely uh, the SoCal horse yeah the issues though is Danny Caldwell has been like leading owner at Oakland for a long time. Um, if he liked that horse, you know, it'd be at Oakland. So it's just kind of a situation here where, yeah, there's some decent connections, but they race it, um, you know, I guess better tracks with bigger purses. If they really liked those horses, they wouldn't be here. So those are ones to maybe take a look at and play against as well. Such a great point and, and such a, a, a good reason um, to follow along with Sam a lot of times when he's telling you stuff because Knowing these barns, knowing these connections, it's something that you'll learn. Like you said, he's pretty lucky, was claimed for 10 and could is running in here for a purse of 13,000 in a spot that's a lot softer, right? He's a much likelier winner here than he would be over at Oaklawn. But over at Oaklawn, this same horse that they paid 10,000 for would be running for a lot more money. And yeah, he, he just. $25,000. So double the money. Yeah, like double the purse. So. This, it's it's worth mentioning that there's a reason when horses when when barns have a lot of horses like that sometimes you know the bigger barns the Asmussen's the Diodoros the Brobergs even there's a reason when some of those horses show up here and not other places and what we always build into it Sam those horses are always going to take money yep. they're never going to be like, good prices they're never going to be value so we're always they're always worth Almost almost always worth playing against Because they're just going to be way shorter And more undervalued than they should be 100% I mean people down here Are pretty familiar with Danny Caldwell So they're going to see that horse be like oh this guy Wins a ton of races Um, But there's you know you just got to look into The connections a little bit and figure out why is this horse In this race Um, And that that last race is kind of one to really Take advantage of I think Let's get into the late double We've got race number 9 This is uh, an open maiden special weight 6 furlongs for maidens 4 and 5 year olds In this spot you have a couple towards the outside That have shown some good success so far Early on in their career Sam's time is now going to come into the Broberg barn He debuted at Keeneland And he was a really good third Now his work pattern's a little Quirky um, with just What we see with with published stuff But he's coming into Broberg's barn And and, you know anything that he's done recently Is is good enough to to really compete with these Coleman Creek has speed to the outside there And Paluxy Does have a little bit of ability From the inside he's shown a couple good efforts Those are the three that'll take the most money In here Um, are you looking at those Are you going elsewhere how did you approach race nine you know, I'm, I'm looking at those, but I guess the issue I have with the with the two likely favorites, Sam's Time and Coleman Creek, is they're both speed and fade horses. And so, right next to each other, too. Right, exactly. Kind of hoping that maybe they'll get into some sort of speed duel, do what they do, and fade. So you got to find someone, I think, who has a shot to close. And I think those are the two inside horses, Plexi and Cairo Warrior. 
Yeah. Uh, Lexi just ran against Coleman Creek last time. I thought ran pretty well. Coleman Creek just had a great trip in that race, like dueled mm-hmm. with, I think, an 85 to one shot. And then the eventual winner of that race is a $600,000 Tappet horse. So neither of those horses in this race should have won that race, right? The $600,000 yeah. Tappet. So I thought they ran pretty well. I like Pilexi. Pilexi galloped out past Coleman Creek. Um, Cairo Warrior, you know, it looks like cutting back in distance um, might be able to, to move past those horses. I think, you know, if Sam's time runs back to uh, his first race, I mean, he crushes this field. But kind of continuing the theme, um, you know, this is a $36,000 race. The Oakland maiden races are 85000 Why is this horse here? Probably because it's not not that great yeah so i think maybe if you think those horses get in a speed duel and fade try to find a closer and i think Pelexi might be that horse maybe Cairo warrior um i don't know do you see anything yeah, else? nope and i think it's Pelexi. and you know what normally the rail would concern me a little bit but i think with the way this race is going to play out he's not fast enough to where i think the rail will hurt him and what i mean by that is he should just drop back and make one late run Yep. You know, he's not going to be kind of in the like, oh, I'm trying to press the pace and then I get shuffled back because I'm like two lengths behind. For him, it's just, hey, drop back, let those horses go at each other and make the one run. And I completely agree. Like, I like Paluxy in here the most. Uh, I think he gets the trip it, for a lot of the reasons that you said. Sam's time, there's just something a little weird about him coming into this race. And sure, if he shows up and he shows that, you know, that effort that he showed in his debut. Then absolutely he wins this race Coleman Creek, you know, I think he's speed and fade And Cairo Warrior would would be my other horse to use And another thing you just like with Cairo Warriors I, I've mentioned it a few times The thing with Luzzy that you, you like is he's just a very aggressive rider Now, I don't think that means he's going to put Cairo Warrior on the lead But if this horse doesn't have to be maybe 10 lengths behind And instead he can be 6 or 7 Well, sometimes that's enough to win a race like this You know, just getting a horse a little bit more Into the race than dropping way, way Out of it, so I'm with you The two inside horses, for sure Are are plays for me in the uh, in the Late exotics, and I'm not All that intrigued by Sam's time, you know, in here At a really, really short price I, I prefer the other Sam, Sam Sherman Than, than this <laughs> Thank you uh, yeah. I'd be pretty surprised if Sam times one, Sam times one. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's a weird spot for this horse to be in. Let's close things out. We got the $5,000 time restricted claimers. These are the beaten claimers who have not won a race since July 6th or which have never won four. And you look at the, uh, sort of where the, uh, the money is on the morning line horses like the seven Jenna's gun runner probably get a good amount of support. You got Mr. Chopper, uh, Mr. Shapur, who's taking a big, big drop in class towards the outside. Cat second, Silver, Caldwell, and Luzzy also looks pretty live. Who are you looking at in here? Yeah, I think Cat second, Silver would probably be my top four, top uh, choice in here. I think we'll get every bit of four to one. Um, if you just look at the form, you know, 10 starts in Houston, three wins, three seconds, and a third. Um, horse has done really well on Sam Houston. Um they had to enter this horse in in this open race just because the the Texas bread race didn't didn't fill. So that's why this horse is here. Um, and yeah, Mr. Shapur was interesting on the class drop, um, but uh, I mean, just just gotten killed in this last few races. I so. know it's so hard to get excited about a horse that's been beaten that badly in every start for the new barn too, right? right. Like all of the all of the starts for the new connections haven't been very good. And um, I'm with you on, on Cat Second Silver. It feels like, you know, when 
the the outside draw doesn't really bother me at all with his running style. I think it actually could kind of be nice. He can just kind of stay in the clear. He can stalk pretty nicely. Feels like he fits the conditions of this race really well too, because he's a nine time winner. So he's under the horses who have not won a race since July the sixth. And when you look back at his last victory, his last victory came at the end of June. So it's like a it's it, he looks like a horse that was this race was written for almost. It, it just perfect, you know. Yeah, and I mean. A lot of times these horses that have won, you know, nine for 57 with 14 seconds, they're pretty darn tough running against a bunch of these horses that have won three times. Um, really experienced, does really well in Houston. It looks like Caldwell's kind of got his form back in that last December race, ran really well. Um, I think Cat Second Silver is the one in here that I would I would really take. And this is the piggyback on a point that you've been making throughout the, the, car, the card and we've been handicapping. Look at Cat Second Silver's form. Just moving from the open races to the restricted races And just look at the finishes of of Cat Second Silver, right? You move from a tougher race at Remington in August And then like three races in a row where you're facing open horses And then you back in against time-restricted claimers And you pop with the second where you take the lead And you show that that you fit Like that, that right there is the template of Wow, look at the difference between an open five claimer And then dropping into one of these time-restricted or beaten claiming races yeah, and I mean, it's one of the reasons that we don't claim horses out of those beaten conditions, because if you claim one and it wins, then you have to jump back in these open races, and then you have to wait six months to try. try yeah. to <laughs> exactly. So, so if you think of it in that situation, you can really understand the difference between these open races and these beaten races or time-restricted races. It makes It makes a huge difference. We are very, very lucky to have linked up with Sam Sherman uh, over the last couple years. Sam is a fantastic handicapper, as you heard. He knows this circuit in Texas really well. He knows Sam Houston and Lone Star, and he, he knows you know, he knows horse racing. But uh, as getting in on the ownership level has um, has really kind of you know I, I think it's helped your handicapping too, right? It does help you when you look when you just start reading the conditions, you start understanding what the options are. I loved hearing how many. Um, Times that you mentioned, oh, you know what? They probably could have gone to a better, a better track, or not better, a track run, you know, run for a little bit more money against tougher competition. But they go that that's kind of all stuff that's got to be built into your handicapping. And we're very lucky to have you join us, uh, Sam. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gino. Enjoyed it. Sam Sherman, give him a follow at Sam uh, at Sherman underscore Sam on Twitter, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be taking advantage of Sam uh, all throughout the meet. We're gonna get him back on here as many times as he will join us. Good luck uh, opening day. Good luck all weekend, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll uh, finish up and uh, wrap up some of our thoughts on the opening day card for Sam Houston. Big thank you to Sam for helping us out. Make sure to give him a follow. He's a great, great follow on social media. If you're playing the races there, he'll always give you some tidbits on horses to play, play against, and we'll try to get him back on this show uh, as often as possible throughout the meet. We're going to have a live stream on Thursday on Twitter that's going to be streamed from my uh, Twitter account. It's me, Gino B, and also from Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. We're going to do the live stream at... Five o'clock. We're gonna do the live stream at three o'clock p.m. Eastern time, because the first post at Sam Houston is four Central, so five Eastern. We're gonna do it at three Eastern, maybe about forty-five minutes to an hour, and we're gonna share all of our thoughts on the opening day card. So if you want more information on the card, then set your alarms for three Eastern on Thursday, a couple hours before first post, and that's when we'll have a live stream. Follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. 
Uh, just some kind of quick reminders in the opener at Sam Houston. The six, I look to a bold legend uh, along with the two break at dawn in the second at Sam Houston. The seven mom's prayer is my long shot play. I'll be using along with the six with the, you know, the three is of the short prices, probably the one I prefer more than the five, but uh, hush, hush. We'll come running late. Let's see if they can hold them off, and maybe we can get crazy with the uh, the seven. Sam like the six bearing special. In the third, I did lean towards the uh, the entry there of the one. The three, expect the boss is going to take a lot of money. I do prefer the three over the two. The six, Heaven's Princess is another one if you're looking to get more creative in, in uh, and look for a, a price there. In the third, in race number four, one and two would be the price horses I like. I do think the eight was a very logical favorite, and the horse to beat wasn't as high on the seven, Loot, Scoot, and Boogie. The four, Math Mystery, probably used in some spots as well. So uh, one, two, and eight, would I'll try to build them around with the eight, the horse to beat, and the one and two, maybe some other prices to include with, uh, with them and, and some other wagers. In the fifth, the four, Dude Perfecta, is who we both discussed. Really liked that one. Um, and then the the two horses who ran on the grass are the six and the one. You probably want to use them in some exotics. I prefer them to the five Inca Empire down cold. Again, if you're looking for others, but Dude Perfecta will be the one for both uh, Sam and me in there. In the sixth race, I thought if you're trying to beat Lady Avenue, the five pick up the phone would be the horse that I was using. In the seventh race, start of the late pick four there. Love the six, my golden M. Have them stacked six, four, nine, three as the horses to include in some exotics there. Really big fan of my golden M. We move to the eighth race. The nine horse was the one I thought in a pretty wide open race. That is Beggar. And the Beggar's 15 to 1 on the morning line, so a great stable dual horse to use. The six finding silver is another. The three, he's pretty lucky. And the two, they'll take some money. They would be no shock, but you know, the two, I'd like six and a half or seven better. The three, we talked about with Sam. Why do they show up here and not at a, a different track? Ninth race, the one Paluxy. I just hope that he gets the kind of trip needed. The seven is the one to beat, but with the outside pace signed on, hopefully Paluxy. We'll, uh, we'll have those two outside horses kind of soften each other up and the one can come running. And to close things out, had them stacked 10-2-8. Mentioned the 10 with uh, with Sam. We both like Cat's second silver here. And uh, three or four horses throughout the day that we're both going to be on. This will be one of them drawn well to sit, to stock. Anything over 5-2, to two, I'd make a win wager there at Sam Houston. Super pumped, folks, for Sammy Houston coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week. We'll be talking all about it on That's What G Said. We'll be talking all about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, too. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in many ways, like buying, selling, leasing. She can help connect you to the right kind of lenders if you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan. You know, if you want to improve your home, she can connect you with gardeners, landscapers, painters, the right kind of vendors that she has used and has experience with all over. That website, cindycarava.com, it'll show you the listings, former uh, homes that she's uh, sold and thoughts and comments you can find on Yelp and Zillow, reviews about her from people that have worked with her. 
Cindy Carava is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. You've probably heard her on this show a couple different times. She's going to be honest with you. She's not going to BS you, but she's going to make your life easier. She's going to work hard for you and do all of those things that you don't want to do or you're not even exactly sure how to do it. Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. It's time for the book of Boba Fett. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Matt Velasco joins me. We're going to talk about everything in the world of Star Wars. All of the movies, anything that ties to Boba Fett in any way, shape, or form. We're going to get into a deep dive scene by scene. Everything that happened in episode one of the book of Boba Fett. Matt Velasco, he's going to be here with me every week doing these week uh, weekly... See what I did? It's going to recaps, weekly recaps. I was combining a weekly and recaps, and out came recaps. That's what I guess we should call them. It's me, it's Matt, it's we doing a recap. Our recap coming up right here. We've got the book of Boba Fett, episode one. Then the new year starts. It's going to be a really fun new year for a lot of you Star Wars fans. Tons of Star Wars content coming up. Disney Plus has opened up a new world for a while. We've been living in the MCU. We've been living in that Marvel universe, uh, recapping a lot of the Disney Plus Marvel TV shows. And and after a, about a, a year or 16-month hiatus uh, or so, they had some bunch of Marvel projects. But now the focus is going to shift for a little while to Star Wars as the book of Boba Fett released episode one last week and our good friend matt velasco who's joined us matt joined us for the mandalorian recaps last year matt joined us to talk about episode one and episode two so we're going to make our way through those movies but right now we've got some actual week-to-week star wars episodic live action tv to talk about matt how cool is this um it's it's unbelievable i was telling you right before the call that i I'm, I sometimes forget we're getting new Star Wars on a week-to-week basis, and I'm I'm uncomfortable by I miss the I miss the <laughs> excitement and the event yeah. quality, but I guess I just need to think about it as major events in my life happening on a week-to-week basis instead of every two or three years. So there are a few things that have happened actually recently. We didn't talk about them here, but we may be talking about them in some way, shape, or form over these these recaps or as we continue on into other projects that we review and recap they had the bad batch which was a, a very oh, good yeah, show yeah. on disney plus I, and i love the bad batch it was I, really I was, really good i i thought just visually it was it was stunning i i fell hook line and sinker for uh omega who we could speculate maybe she'll be showing up in the show i mean yeah. uh we could use any <laughs> well we'll talk about our thoughts on the show but i i hope it's <laughs> i'll just say off the bat if the entire show is about how he earns the respect of criminals and Mos Espa, I don't know. I, I just not. Yeah, there's got to be there's got to definitely be more that. to it than <laughs> than where we than what we uh, what we got. Um, exactly. Be, because this this episode in. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you in the Bad Batch. I like that. Visions was also really interesting and just kind of well done, intriguing visually. If you're someone that's into like anime and comics and stuff, you'll probably really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but we get to pick back up. With Boba Fett here, who of everybody in Star Wars, this guy is probably one of the more intriguing, kind of polarizing characters because there was so little actually known about him in the movies. And so much of the legend and so many Star Wars fans that were into Boba 
they everything was speculation or it was through other source material. But now getting to see and getting a lot of these gaps filled in, we're kind of picking up with Boba right here, and we're sort of on the timeline that's about five years after the return of the Jedi. Yeah, it's a weird. I mean, I said on the show before when I was recapping with you for for Mandalorian. I don't. I mean, I get why Boba Fett is popular. I mean, I think he's it's a it's an incredible uh, character design, uh, less is more kind of scenario. But he was never central to my fandom in any way, and so you know, I, I, I'm a skeptic. I mean, I'm going to be approaching this show with a skeptical eye, and I want to be, you know, I, wow. I want to be here on this show in a few weeks saying, like, I was so wrong. They, Filoni and Favreau shocked me again. Yeah, and, um, and they, we can trust them because they have a nice track record, and they've been doing really good work with, like, a lot of the the Marvel MCU world building has. But the, the this show, no, I mean, right off the bat, we can just say, the first 12 minutes of this show, there isn't any dialogue. I, episode, I like that. Which is kind of cool. Their, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I mean, yeah, um, I'm, you know, my my Star Wars fandom, a lot of it rests with kind of the the thematic elements, the mm-hmm. the 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 mythic storytelling, the grand storytelling that I've talked about on our our episode, Star Wars episode uh, recaps. What what I love the most about it and what I always say to people who are like, oh, the dialogue in the prequels is horrible. It's like if you could watch these movies without dialogue and just images and sound and music, there's a story being told. And yeah. I think Filoni's always understood that. Favreau gets that. And they told a story about, I mean, I, I was going to save this for later, but the first, like, like kind of 12 minutes of this <laughs> of this show were, like, the passion of the Christ. Like, they not, were. <laughs> it was, no. like, about this, this torture and rebirth of, like, Boba Fett, all told visually. Um, it was awesome. I mean, and, and even the kind of images at the start that are establishing the connections of places we've been with Boba Fett before. Um, I really, I actually really like that. Um, it's 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 more the the plot. Like I I the the show. My kind of take home point is the show left me with the question of what exactly is this show going? What to is the show about? about? Right. Um, and we'll get into that. I think there's some clues about where it might. Go or maybe some more, you know. We'll get into it. I, I yeah. think there, there's, there's stuff here. I actually, from what I've seen on Twitter and Facebook, and I've tried to stay away from a lot of write-ups about the show or podcasts about the show to keep it fresh here. But it's been a kind of tepid response. Like, a, mm-hmm. okay, you know, that, that's kind of how I would sum up the. Yeah, response. I'd agree. Yeah, and no, it, yeah, it's. I think people are so excited to be back in the world that we're in. Right, we're back here. We're with Boba. We're we're just like you said. You get the Star Wars feel right away from everything. The the ambiance, the look, the music. Mm-hmm. It's just what you know. It's a different tone. And what exactly are we we going for? Like I said, what are we trying to accomplish in this time period? What story really are we trying to tell here? Um, is it you know? And and that's. I, I guess I like asking these kind of questions. It's inter- it's interesting because compared to some of the other, like I keep you know using Marvel and the MCU because we've been yeah. it's a good great comparison to go back and forth with the the worlds that they've built. But with a lot of the shows that come forward, like Hawkeye just went well, they they would loosely use some of the comics you know mm-hmm. to build on, and it's a little bit different with Star Wars. There are some things that you can see. You know, oh yeah, that was kind of mentioned here. That was teased, but th- this was sort of like 
people have joked this was building on the uh, Patton Oswalt scene from oh Parks and Rec, which was hilarious. <laughs> my 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 buddy sent me that this you know the side by side comparison, and I I mean it 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 kind of shows how safe of a bet this show is that it's almost you know it's almost like a crowdsourced hive mind show mm-hmm. put to film. It, you know, in a sense, nothing really. You almost could have intuited everything that was going to happen with his escape. I mean, we yeah. knew he had some ties with the Tuscan uh, Raiders from 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 Mando. Some some allusions to that. Um, I don't want to. You know, I actually what I was going to say before. I actually liked the show. I think more this episode in particular more than maybe where I kind of it seemed that Facebook and Twitter kind of fell mm-hmm. on this episode. But um, yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not sure where they're going. Um, I'm not sure what story they're going to tell. And I was both surprised and not surprised of how much it felt like Mandalorian, both because of the score being uh, 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 produced by um, Gorenson, Ludwig Gorenson, right? Mm-hmm. I think is the name of the composer. Um, and then, of course, being directed and written by Favreau and even down to the way the credits were composed. Yeah. Um, the The chapter style. It is very much, you know, it is the book of Boba Fett, but it's part of the, you know, larger kind of saga of that Favreau is putting together. Right. Yeah. And, and we've been told that the Ahsoka show, the um, Rangers Obi-Wan. of the New Republic, which is probably in jeopardy because Gina Carano is not coming back, that yeah. those shows <laughs> were going to tie in together in the end. And maybe Ahsoka is going to take a different, you know, kind of, draw on a different visual language, influenced more by samurai than Western per se, uh, have a different kind of uh, a sound to it. But this was very much the, you know, sister show of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it, uh, to to a degree I, I didn't expect. I actually thought they might kind of carve a different niche, but that doesn't seem to be the project here. No, Western, you got a lot of the uh, martial arts, especially in the first 12 minutes where there's not a lot of, Dialogue. There's not lots going on. Everything's visual, um, and it is. You know, they don't take long to to kind of to scratch that itch that a lot of people wanted to see what happened to to Boba yeah. in the Sarlacc. In the Sarlacc you know? Yeah, and that's something that a lot of people had been asking for, had been been begging for, and it's. I think something that they've said how that they may even be going in, you know, this is the book of Boba Fett. We might at some point have the book of Bo-Katan. We might have the book of there might be different characters. I think they could even just take a little run with on these sort of limited series if they want. We're not exactly sure if we see at some point, um, you know, throughout the series, different characters like you mentioned Omega. Uh, Do we see Mando show back up at some point to kind of lead back to his Next series, next season, when that when that series comes back up, maybe he's popped up in one episode here. He has to interact with him in some way, shape, or form. A lot of questions asking, a lot of new stuff on the horizon, but very, very interesting first episode. I thought it was just interesting that they chose this episode, and it does kind of show you how they have so much more freedom nowadays with streaming services. Like mm-hmm. years back, they would have never had this be the first episode because it, it like you said, it's so it's not that. Wow, exciting with a bunch of action that it's not going to really hook a bunch of people right away. This is going to probably need to build up after a couple episodes before we sort of figure out what's happening. So mm-hmm. you can you get that opportunity nowadays where you can kind of you have a little bit more freedom and patience to build stuff. I think on Disney Plus, then mm-hmm. this couldn't have been just like 
a, a show on TV or something right off the bat. It would have been a, it would have been a hard sell off of yeah. episode one, I think. You know, that's interesting because you've been bringing up the Marvel shows and Hawkeye dropped the first two episodes, which made mm-hmm. a lot of together, which made a lot of sense because the two main characters don't meet until the end of the first episode. Yes. Uh, and anyone who's listening to your podcast knows all the <laughs> Hawkeye spoilers. Absolutely. I won't get into that. Absolutely. But uh, this I almost felt like this show might have benefit fr- benefited from the two episode drop. I agree. But I'm probably going to be proved wrong this week. Maybe Me there's too. a reason yeah. they didn't do it. But my dad, so my dad's not a Star Wars fan, but he's a huge Western fan, like watches Westerns on a daily basis. And so I I lured him in to watch the show with me. And he kind of sat down in the part where uh, Boba Fett was tied up to the post with the Rodian. We'll get there. And he just sat there and he was he watched the whole thing without making a cynical comment about, you know, my kind of sci fi leanings and all that. And right when the, the credits hit, he's like, is that it? Like he wanted it is the another one available. Yeah. He wanted to watch the next one. And my I mean, I was so struck by that because I knew there was only one. And so I didn't have that reaction. But um I wonder if we're gonna get a, a big pivot in the in the next episode. I agree. I, I could see it going, it was, you know, is is it yeah. gonna be something that's gonna really light up the internet? And they just wanted to give this little palate cleanser where it's like, you gotta see the Sarlacc, we gotta give you some sense of why this guy is who he is, and then you know, it's almost like a soft, if there'll be, you know, the, the pilots back in the days of like normal television, I guess there's still normal pilot seasons and stuff, but pilots were often like kind of their own standalone. And then it's the second episode kind of restarts in a way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we'll get something like that. I'm totally speculating. I know. I've me, me too. But you know Earth what? They haven't. In, in, in from any of the stuff that I've read or like listened to in any recaps and stuff like that, most a lot of people didn't get screeners of this. Yeah. So they didn't know really what to expect. Um, so a lot of people are kind of in the same boat where we're all just kind of wondering together, which is very interesting. And we'll get into uh, everything that happened scene by scene. We'll go through episode one of the book of Boba Fett. And we kick off Matt. With the uh, Lucasfilm title and uh, the Star Wars title right off the bat. And we open in Tatooine, Jabba's palace. It's empty. And the throne is empty. But upstairs, Boba is in the healing Bakta tank. We Something we've seen with Luke and with Vader. This is something that's popped up many times throughout Star Wars. When people need to kind of heal, recover, recoup. And it one thing that we're, we're we see very early on is that when... Boba gets into this he, he gets into these really really deep Dreams that end up becoming flashbacks For us of very important Moments and scenes in his life Yeah I I have two So my kind of question with the back to tank Because it was in some either the Teaser or in a, in a TV spot um, And I thought okay the back to tank It's because he's been pulled from the Sarlacc But this is five years or whatever Six years mm-hmm. after, after the Sarlacc So is a back to tank, a chronic condition that he has, like he needs to right? treat a chronic condition or these injuries from his, you know, being minimally digested by a Sarlacc uh, in the in the Sarlacc pit. Or is it just self-care and like most Espa, like okay. you just do this on a weekly basis, is it like yeah. going to get a massage? Um, I'm, cu- I'm very curious. I'm not in. 
and you we think that like later on in the episode when we see him out in the streets and then he kind of like he's he's injured and he's I need to get back to the back of right. the tank, right? You yeah. start to wonder it's kind of it starts to it's like something is this a crutch now that he's like leaning on is he really really physically struggling a lot more than than he wants us than we are led to believe um yeah it's, it's yeah is he gonna it, what if i i'm just going off the, the rails yeah, please do what if he like knows he's dying or something yeah, something like, like that right what if there's gonna be that kind of because what's his personal what's gonna make this character interesting and sympathetic to us is it that he wants to rule by respect? I don't think so. Like, I think what's going to be the the Grogu? <laughs> what's exactly? Gonna, what's going to really like draw us in emotionally in the show? And and nothing really. I was I was into this episode, but nothing. I was not emotionally drawn into this episode. Right? Completely agree. Um, there, yeah. And there, I, I think I've heard little little rumors and teasings that there's going to be something. Like that along the way that will at least draw people in. Um, but but right off the bat, yeah, we see him and we ask questions now. Right? I mean, is he is he is this a physical, real physical toll? Something just to do, um, you know, to keep himself in the best of shape. But he seems like he needs to be in there, and he's spending a lot more time in there. And that's where we see a flashback of Camino, the planet where um, he was created, born, and. We see that stormy night as it always is over in Camino. There was some of Camino in the Bad Batch, mm-hmm. which um, you know has some ties uh, to this show. And we actually see the moment where he picks up his father's helmet on the battlefield. Young Boba staring at it. You almost the way they do it too. It's really well done, where he, you can kind of see his reflection mm-hmm. while he holds up the helmet, kind of just to let you know, like, oh yeah, that's going to be his uh, in the future. Yeah. So. What did you think about the uh, the flashback scenes here in the dream uh, when he gets into the back of the tank? I don't know. I, I was so delighted. You know, I'm a big prequel fan. Uh, and uh, anytime there's that kind of synergy, not really synergy, but the kind of visual cues of the prequels, original films and sequels, you know, to some degree are integrated. I love I love that stuff. Um, and you know, is this simply a nod, right, to cue, to remind the viewer of the previous appearances of this character? Will his origin or childhood be in any way, right, integral to this show? Uh, I, we've seen no clues that it will be. Will the flashback sequences be a recurring structure in future episodes? Like, will we be actually seeing two stories unfold over multiple episodes? Um, so those are all the thing, kind of questions that run into my mind when we start seeing these flashbacks. I think it's just to cue the viewer, right, where you've mm-hmm. seen this guy before. Yeah, um, just kind of, but, it seems like does it's kind of reminding you again, hell yeah, here's where we were, here's where we were, just kind of giving you a little bit more backstory, first episode of a, you know, of a particular show here. And he, we don't get too long before we, uh, you know, we, we get right back into Boba in the Sarlacc pit. And he's inside the belly, and the sounds of the squishing, and he's gasping for air. He can't breathe. We see the intestines all around, and they pay off so many lines through the years. What C3PO <laughs> said, just like different things that have been mentioned about this. We see, we actually see a stormtrooper mm-hmm. being digested. Yeah, in, <laughs> inside. 
I, that was a nice touch. I uh, I got the C C three PO quote. In his belly, you will find a new definition of pain and suffering <laughs> as you are slowly digested over a thousand years. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, um, you know, I I I kind of wrote in my show notes like this entire sequence is the culmination of decades of fanboy dreams. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's something like this in the uh, ex- extended uh, expanded universe or however it's branded now nowadays. Legends. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, this is the, this is the part of me that it was, you know, I didn't, I'm not here for this, right? I mean, I, I was fine living my life without a Boba Fett show. I love Star Wars, but he's never been, you know, kind of a central fascination for me. And so, you know, it was cool. I thought the design was awesome. Like, um, and, and, you know, the, the escape and the music, like, um, I'm almost glad we didn't spend. We spent just enough time with. That. I agree. Like we didn't need. Just, people were even met, were frustrated that we didn't spend more time. I don't think we needed it. We we saw everything we needed to see. He took yeah. he took the uh, oxygen from the stormtrooper. Took a breath. Uses his flamethrower to light a fire inside the belly of the beast, and he crawls out. He appears from beneath the sand, and you know you just know that his. Beskar armor is stronger than that armor of the stormtroopers that were probably getting crushed in there, and so lots of little things for Boba. But he he makes it, and he's laying on the sands in the desert with his armor. Another uh, quote that gets fulfilled here as he, he was left for dead mm-hmm. uh, in the sands right. of Tatooine. Right, um, and and that's kind of you know what I was saying the the whole passion of the Christ like. I think what this show, this episode in particular, and maybe the show in general, I wonder how much they're going to try to explain who this character is, or are we going to just accept that he is a man with a code, or are we going to learn throughout the show about what makes him the person we've met in Mandalorian and Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, which is not the character in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Like, there, no. there, there is nothing... I mean, I can't think of a single thing in The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi that suggests to me this is a person who would not torture someone, right? I mean, um, and yet in this show, he is, you know, essentially doesn't want to take a different path to He's ruling. the good cop to Fennec's bad cop, you know, like when yeah, they're playing, yeah. they're playing little good cop, bad cop and stuff. And he's the one who actually wants to, you know, we'll get to the quote, he wants to rule by with respect. So you're right. It's such a, it's such a turn. From the character that we were always thought to be, to be this hired for gun hitman mercenary assassin with no emotions whatsoever, and then he shows up in the Mandalorian and he's here to help he helps save Grogu. Yeah, I mean he you know I he, he's not a humanitarian, right? But like I I still think that you know this episode gave us some sense into how he thinks about how he relates to people where he is a stranger, right? It's called Stranger in a Strange Land. Like, um, you get a sense of how his his values after his, quote, death at the Sarlacc mm-hmm. are formed, like, in this trial by fire, right? Yep. In this yep. kind of stripping down of who he is and a rebuilding of Boba Fett, right? And so yeah. I think that the show is acknowledging to some degree, right? The kind of, who is this guy was my response, right? When we saw the tragedy, the second season episode that really foregrounds uh, Boba Fett, in, in the Mandalorian, I think this episode at least is trying to suggest that this is a different person than the mm-hmm. person you would have 
you didn't know this person, but the person you encountered in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And whether or not the show is interested in delving deeper into the psychology of what makes Boba Fett tick, I mean, that's a big question for me. It may be very, it may very well be that we don't see any more flashbacks with the Sand People, and it's just now, you know, we're we take it mm-hmm. up with with Boba Fett in the quote unquote present. So. Yeah, or or do we continue to see him sort of, you know, rising up maybe through the ranks there? Because there's a, there are a couple interesting things when we do show uh, when we do see Boba with the the staff, the little kind of stick that he has. It's kind of like a training gaffy stick that the kids mm-hmm. use. And then when he shows up in the Mandalorian, which is more present than some of the flashbacks, he actually right. has like a full on gaffy stick that you wonder if it was something that he may have been given to him and it, we see at the end of the episode he's starting to earn the respect of this group so is it do they let him go does he stay with them for the for a while do we even like you said do we even see any more of that or was it just hey here here was what happened sort of in between and now right. and now here we are um it, i'm not sure yeah yeah it would be interesting if at least you know the first few episodes if not the whole season it might get a bit repetitive you know, what I took from this show, right, is that the the kind of lesson he learns about re- leadership or kind of cultural communication, to be very abstract about it, is like forged in that interaction, right, with, mm-hmm. with the Tuscan Raiders. And it informs how he's acting in the present of the show. And so will there be, for example, with, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but with the gangsters that they see spray painting this this homestead, will... Will his involvement or interactions with those gangsters in the past come to inform how he interacts with them or other criminals mm-hmm. in the present? Like, I wonder if they'll keep this double structure, at least yes. for a couple more episodes. I kind of would like it. I mean, I, I think I my favorite stuff in this episode was the Tuscan Raider uh, stuff. Yeah, so. I agree. Uh, I agree. All the 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 kind of fl- flashbacks to kind of set us uh, up a little bit better to let us know who this guy is now and, and a little bit of why. As he gets dragged through the desert by the Tuscans, his skin is being burned, crisp fried in the uh, the hot desert sun. They actually revive him. So at one, first, the Jawas come when he's passed out. Oh right! And they take they take his helmet and his armor, and yeah. they take Boba prisoner for a bit. Um, then it's the Tuscans who he's getting dragged by the by through the desert, mm-hmm. and they actually sort of they they're a little bit more. Um, you know, respectful to him, even though they're they're not really the kids are kind of messing with him and stuff. But they're at least they at least revive him with this worm fluid in his mouth. I think that's something that came from a video from one of the video games. That oh, interesting. Playing into, I was I was reading that they that might have been something that uh the 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 certain bugs give them you know give them fluid and more uh, energy when they're when they're oh. in the so they're uh, they're using all things now for uh to pull from, and they actually. Drag him sort of at the back of their caravan through the <laughs> desert, and the music during the background of this is is really kind of cool. It's this choir, this men's choir, as he's being dragged through the desert with the sun burning on him, and then we get the title, "The Book of Boba Fett: Stranger <laughs> in a Strange Land." So mm-hmm. Boba is not in great shape here. Yeah, no, um, I, I, you know, th- this kind of whole the sequence really kind of introduces. What I really love the most about this episode was, you know, the stuff with with the Tuscan Raiders, and you see them they're they're marching in single file, right? Just like we learned in the very first Star Wars 
uh, property, Sam, Sam people always write single file to hide their numbers, Obi-Wan says to, to Luke. Um, and, and you know, you were saying about kind of the, this torture or the, the kids messing with them. What I really took away from, from these scenes, and actually, I guess we're going past the title card, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. It is... There's a logic to what the Tuscan Raiders are doing that we're not totally clued into, but that the creators of the show have thought through. And, you know, I kind of read it as the children engaging in a sort of play torture. Right. And that the the child who uh, uh, eventually takes him out into the desert, this is some sort of initiation or rite of Mm -hmm. passage. Like nothing to me in those scenes because of the way they were staged. Uh, they're being overseen by by someone who's the tribal head. Seems that this is not an arbitrary, right? This is not, no. this is very distinct from Sh- uh, Shmi Skywalker being captured, in my mind. Yep. This that, is earning the stripes. This is, yeah, but, you're right. This is like, even to when they take, he, he, he takes him off to like investigate, I think, whatever the, the smoke is and the raiders that are there. But it's basically like, you know, you take the prisoners off yourself. You have to come back yourself. The kid is... Obviously, he brings back the head, but you're right. This is this is like a learning experience. This is part of your your curriculum. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, you need to yeah. do this to become a a an elder part of the tribe. Yeah, and this is like you know one of the things that Favreau and Filoni have done in you know starting with the Mandalorian is really add this kind of cultural depth, cultural reality to the Tuscan Raiders that that didn't really exist in the the original films um, and. And not really in the prequels either, right? Where they're essentially a, a caricature of uh, Native American groups drawing from kind of stereotypes from Western films, right? Um, where they're the aggressors, they're the raiders. I mean, that's built in their name, the Tuscan Raiders. The Sand People has a kind of pejorative uh, term to it, but uh, tone to it. But what we're seeing in the show is like a sense of even these Tuscans are different that look different than the other Tuscans we've seen. Their houses mm-hmm. are different. Um, they're they're you know they they have certain kind of jewelry and adornment that I don't think we've seen with Tuscans before. Yep. So it's a sense of like this is there's like different ethnic groups among the Tuscan Raiders. And I you know I'm an anthropologist, so you know in in broad strokes we study human cultural variation through time. And so yeah. seeing that reality right that kind of world building right. Essentially, world building is like <laughs> reverse engineering anthropology, right? And right. So no, see, and it, it, the more awesome. attention to detail and the more they put into it, the more people appreciate it. And nowadays, everybody, I mean, there's so many of us dorks out there that are going to watch and notice every single thing like that and really appreciate how much they do and how many things they try to pay off. That was, um, it's, I really, really enjoyed a lot of this, like I said, 12 minutes, um, to start where there's no words being said we get a lot of noises and stuff from the from the the Tuscans and we actually after the title screen comes up and the we actually stop at the Tuscan camp and that's when we see the youngling who's kind of poking at Boba with the small stick and the kids all start sort of like we said they're kind of beating on him but it doesn't seem they're being watched while they're doing it this isn't like right. out of out of turn they're supposed to be doing this. It's kind of, uh, you know, they're showing them this is what happens when you bring in someone, when you capture them. They're just like, they're, they're growing up here. One of them actually stomps on Boba, kind of knocks him out, and yeah. he, wake, he wakens uh, at night and he's tied up next to a fire. He's next to another prisoner who's also tied up. 
and it's a Rodian who <laughs> I believe the voice of this character was the the guy who voiced Darth Maul. And it was Ray Park. I, oh, no, I, no, no, no. Oh, Sam Witwer from yeah, and there's like a really incredible voice actor who we've seen pop yeah, up before yeah, he's here great. and there. Um so I mean, the interactions I thought between the two of them are pretty funny as um, Boba sees. So there, it's basically like a little campfire. If there's a fire, there's Boba and the other prisoner that are tied up. And then we see a Mastiff who's laying there. And a Mastiff is basically their version of a dog. Very aggressive. But they have been able to train these animals to to be loyal to them. And so Boba... That's one of the things that we really find out throughout this episode And I think we're going to find out throughout the series Is they're going to make sure we know he's not the joke That a lot of people thought he was with the way he went out <laughs> This guy is very, very ingenious when it comes to Using his surroundings, getting out of compromising situations He can make do with very little and find a way out And we see this a couple different times in this first episode, we see it when they show us what happened in the Sarlacc pit. We see it right here where he kind of he makes a little bit of a noise to wake up the Mastiff. And he sort of lures the Mastiff over to him. And then he strangles the the Mastiff to kind of choke it out. Doesn't kill it, but he puts mm-hmm. it to sleep. And then he uses the teeth to cut through the the ropes that have tied him up. And, he, and he's able to free himself. It's a it's really really smart thing to do, and it just he's he's tough. He has no fear, and he's just a very smart guy. You know, street smarts here, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I'll ever get over the fact that he just like the way he dies. Like I I don't think short of refilming that scene and editing <laughs> Return of the Jedi, it's always right. going to be goofy. Like it is. It's always going to be goofy, but um. Yeah, no, I think, you know, he he has he has those street smarts. He's clever. He doesn't, you know, he's our hero. There's no way he's going to kill the equivalent of a dog. Um, so kind of <laughs> make sure we still we're we're still on Bubba's side. <laughs> um and and then he turns, I think after is it after he escapes that he turns to the Rodian? I think he, he asked him first, do you right. want me to yeah, he says, Rodian, do you want me to cut off your bonds? Mm-hmm. And the Rodian kind of alerts. Like makes some noises and he blows the cover That was yeah that I mean I I think it makes sense makes it a More interesting story but it also Suggests to me that the Rodian isn't Probably a criminal per se Right you know I mean There isn't some sort of code Or shorthand that He would have with Boba Fett if they were Both in the game so to speak right Mm -hmm. Boba Fett at this point has been in the game You know with Jabba for a few years At least um so again, that kind of arbitrariness of the prisoners, I I think, you know, it seems like they were just captured out of opportunity. And the, the Rodian doesn't collaborate for whatever reason, right? Doesn't maybe he trusts Boba even less than the Tuscan Raiders? Hard to say. Uh, but he blows the cover. Maybe all Rodians are kind of, you know, um I, I know. know. I, I, swear, annoy- I guess. Yeah, annoying. I don't know. It was whatever it is. Yeah. He so that was that's what alerts. The other younglings who are basically like keep It's like this is their job to watch the prisoners right now mm-hmm. This is their task to keep an eye on them So one of the the little youngling Tuscans They end up running after Boba And then then the Mastiff kind of runs after Boba And the rest of the Tuscans do also Boba tries to fight one of them off But at this point it's a combination of You know he's been dragged through the desert He's obviously in awful physical shape 
But the this leader of the Tuscans who we see at the end of the episode also is a legitimate fighter and 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 does away does away with Boba with pretty quick work, kind of knocks him back out as uh you know Boba's first attempt at escape is thwarted here as they quickly get him back. Yeah, I I so I can't remember he did fight the leader. I could I I know he didn't fight a child. In that no, no, it was thing. they kind of stepped back and they right. stood they kind of waited a moment and then some maybe, I guess maybe it wasn't the same leader at the end but one of the higher elders right. stood stepped yeah. out and fought him and it was pretty they made pretty quick work of him. Yeah, no, I liked it too. You know, again it's 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 alluding to some sort of code or rule of engagement that isn't spelled out for us, but it's obvious, right? There is some, right? Even though this is not planned, as I read it, like this kind of initiation or rite of passage, like it's not planned for him to escape. But even when they capture him again, like it almost makes me imagine that if he had beat that person in hand-to-hand combat, he would have been able to go, right? I agree. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen, Dune, it was reminding me of Dune, uh, if you've seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, the new Dune film. How they kind of, that one-on-one combat scene in the end seems like really to follow some really uh, kind of strict cultural uh, uh, rules, so to speak. The and dark so, saber, you know, yeah, kind of like that too. You know, you got to be win it in uh, in battle. Um, this is this is where we we finally get Boba to wake up. He's so he, he gets knocked back out again, and then we hear. For the only words uh, after 12 minutes were when Boba spoke to the roadie and just asked, do you want me to cut your bonds? And he said, quiet, quiet. That mm-hmm. was it. Um, and I guess I kind of joked with you before. Now, uh, a lot of these TV, what's nice about the TV shows is I can get a, I can get a look at the full script. They're yeah. very, they're much easier to get than movie scripts because um, they come right out. You can just transcribe them even. And this, I had like seven pages here and the other Marvel MCU ones were like 30, 40 pages, you know, yeah. of. Because they're just dialogue and quips and back and forth and so much talking. But there was literally um, th- this was all action, all setting the scene of uh, of Boba. And this was 12 minutes if ish out of like 34 minutes that were on screen. And then, you know, four or five minutes of credits to end the episode before we get Fennec. Mm-hmm. Saying, Wake up, boss. And we hear the droid say that the healing session has been suspended. Mm-hmm. Boba gets out of the back of the tank. And he he's looking good though, right? Yeah. Just compared to where we just saw him, he's a lot thicker. He's got the weight put put on. Like that thing's doing some good work for him. I need to give me one of them, Maddie. Yeah, no, I mean, Tamara t- uh, Morrison. I don't know how old he is, but he looks great. And I, he I mean, does. Um, you know, Attack of the Clones was we're approaching twenty years. I mean, he's <laughs> aging pretty well. Yes, he, he looks but, yeah. just great. And he tells Fennec that the dreams are back as he gets out of the back of the tank. She doesn't really uh, address that much, but she lets him know that they're lined up to play uh, to pay respects. Let's go. Uh, I'll let you. I'll let them know you're on the way. And then we get a, a pretty cool scene. This is another one that maybe it won't hit home as much for you or I, but some of the people that are the Boba Fett really big fans probably love this scene seeing the droids helping him suit up boba uh with his armor then the helmet really great music in the background and just a big moment seeing um this character get that the best scar and all the uh uh, his armor put on him yeah you you called it i just um 
I it's cool, but it just doesn't. Cool. No, I was gonna say fine. It's cool, but it's not gonna do the same for you or I as it would for <laughs> if you're a big Boba Fett fan. Then you would love this scene, the Sarlacc stuff. You'll really like. It's not that we don't like it. It just doesn't quite. There are other right. things that will make us get a little bit more uh, emotional than those. As um, they so they're now set up at Jabba's in Jabba's palace on Jabba's throne, and people from. The town are coming in to pay their respects to the new crime lord, to the new big boss. Mm-hmm. And the first one who comes in <laughs> is speaking to them, and they have no idea what this guy is saying. Uh, it, it, Boba looks over and is like, "Did you catch any of that?" And Fennec's like, uh, "Something about friendship." <laughs> and they they joke about needing a protocol droid, which got people thinking. Maybe we see one of our old friends show up here at some point. Uh, maybe we do get a C-3PO sighting if they need a protocol droid. They do have a droid that's named 8D8. Yeah. And he was the one who lets them know who will be coming in next. As coming in next, it's Dolk Strassi, leader of the Trandoshan family, protectors of the city and its business territories. What do you think of the look and the setup with Boba on the throne as uh, everybody's coming in one by one to pay their respects? You know, it's a kind of a, a shift in tone, not, you know, in part because of what you said with, with the dialogue. But uh, once, especially when the mayor of Mos Espa, the mayor domo of Mos Espa comes in, you know, has a kind of sarcastic, kind of playful quality that kind of took me off guard, right? Because we were very much in the like warrior code <laughs> suffering <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of register. And, you know, the, the, the show, Kind of gives us a sense of maybe some of the more colorful characters that'll that'll populate it, its world. Um, I really like the the Gamorrean guards bit. Um, it, as far as you know, the kind of little fanboy winks. Um, these presumably are the very same guards that that Luke uh, chokes and kind of pushes aside mm-hmm. when he enters Jabba's palace, which would have been, I guess, five years before this or six years, whatever. So. Um, it, it was a nice, you know, it, it was it was a a, a playful scene. Um, again, you know, Boba Fett shortly will go. I do not torture, and I just where does that come from? I what? Mean, he was like really? in the other room. <laughs> He's in the other room when Han's being tortured and Empire Strikes Back. Like <laughs> you know, maybe he had qualms. We just didn't hear it. Like I, you know. Why does he even want to rule? Sorry, I'm going on a rant now. Like, no, no, why please does do. He even want to be the dynasty. I was gonna say, why is he interested in this? Why would this he seems, want that? <laughs> yeah, does it seem so? Like, why do you want the responsibility of all right. of this? Yeah, but, um, yeah, it did, did seem very weird. I agree. Like, it just so, so as we'll, we'll find out more and more through the uh, through this right. series. But but we got Doke Strassi, who uh, Boba says he used to work for. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doke says a thousand tidings to the new Diamo, and he says, uh, "May you never leave Dos Espa." And Boba makes a quip, "Even when a Trandoshan pays you a compliment, it sounds like a threat." It did kind of sound like a threat. <laughs> May you never leave Mos Espa. He kind of said it real kind of creepily. And then we get um, AD8 again, letting us know that um, the mayor's here, presenting his exile. Excellency Mok Shais, mayor of Mos Espa and its surrounding plateaus, but it's not the mayor. It's actually his major domo who shows up. This guy is a really funny comedian. He plays um, the uh, Andrew Meyer in Veep, mm-hmm. the uh, the husband of Selena Meyer. Yeah. He's, he's just really funny. Yeah. And you're 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 spot on with like the he brought some some comedy here, which was definitely like kind of almost jarring. 
Yeah. It's like, yeah. like, whoa, this is this is a different tone from this really serious kind of dark 13 or 14 minutes that we just had. And he's cracking jokes. He said, um, I'm actually the mayor's major domo. And, you know, Fennec kind of raises her eyebrows. Huh? We were told the mayor was coming to pay tribute. Ah, yes, indeed. With apologies. I understand how one might draw such a conclusion from the correspondence. But Boba is not trying to get into fights with anyone here. Says, you know, extend my greetings and appreciation for the mayor's tribute. But that's where there's a misunderstanding. The mayor came looking for a tribute, not bringing a tribute. He wanted something that for Boba to give to him as a tribute. And that's where Fennec starting to, you know, she's starting to get pissed. So you bring no tribute. Um, The mayor's heartfelt welcome and regrets that he's been drawn away by pressing matters. And um, and then he says, you know, there is another matter, the matter of tribute. And Fennec is like, he wants you to pay him tribute. Vova can't believe this. I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. And uh, Fennec immediately goes to, shall I kill him? And Boba right away says, no, he works for the mayor. So he wants to establish himself as the ruler. But this is yeah, this is definitely not. Something that we would have ever thought was consistent with Boba. We saw him in The Mandalorian, so now we know he's not the same guy that we remember in Return of the Jedi. But this is, and this is the redemption arc for uh, for Boba, huh? You, you could almost imagine this Boba Fett turning to Fennec and be and saying, "No disintegrations," right? Like he's yeah. now <laughs> he's kind of the disciplinarian in a way. I don't know. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but no, but you're right. Um, yeah. I, you know, I. I, I actually I, I think I don't know if I want a show that explains to me why he has an anti-torture position, right? Sure. Like, I don't sure. think I need that show. No. But but in a way, I I I I do hope I'm going to go on the record here on that's what G said and say I think I want more flashbacks. I want a little more about really the question of why do you want to rule this throne? Like what mm-hmm. you know. There's got to be something. There's yeah. some, right. There's some reason. There's some interaction he had with someone. He oh, he feels like he owes it to something or someone. Mm-hmm. He's got to get. Like he says, he's looking. We start asking about Omega. I don't know. There is there questions. Does he know more about his past and his dad and the, and his family and what's gone on? Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, there's got to be more to, than than what is just on the surface here. Mm-hmm. As um the uh, the major Dormo leaves as. Fennec says, Lord Fett offers the gift of your leave unmolested, <laughs> which I thought was a funny way of putting it. And the major Dobos, whoa, um, hmm, apologies and appreciation. The mayor may take it differently, but I shall indeed convey your sentiment. And then he starts to walk off and he stops and he kind of turns back and says, I would not be surprised if you receive another delegation in the near future. Uh, I think I think our next well, no, our next scene will will be. The, the delegation to a few new ca- characters, but then shortly after that, I think the action set piece is essentially the delegation, yep. Uh, yep. presumably that the mayor sends. And Boba tells Fennec to keep an eye on that one. She says, "Don't worry, I keep an eye on everyone." As we again see another act of Boba's respectful leadership, where uh, the droid eighty eight brings him the Gamorans that were once the bodyguards for Jabba, who you just mentioned. We we're led to believe these are the same ones that were interacting with Luke. They actually were also bodyguards for Bib Fortuna, 
They did not surrender even after their patron was killed. They were captured alive as a tribute to you, Lord Fett. Their tortured squeals will send a piercing message to all potential challengers to your thrones. And he takes a look at them and says, I do not torture. Yeah. Which, yeah, this is. Yeah, good good for, I mean, good for Boba Fett. I'm not, I just want to yeah, go different. on the record and say I'm we're not, not, we're not, we're not wanting him to be torturing, but it's just um, a different guy that we were led to believe in, you know, the years and years I mean, up until about last year in the Mandalorian, right? Uh, everything else we had led been led to believe before was that Sky was going to be a uh, uh, one of the most evil, badass dudes around, and now he's being very level-headed. Yeah, yeah. And maybe and, you know, I do not torture. Like, I mean, he was tortured, right? And so, yeah. you know, in, in a sense, in, in a way, you can watch this episode and maybe get all the answers you need about his code, right? In the way he interacts with the Tuscans. Um, and it's maybe not that interesting of a question for the show to 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 pursue, but I don't like I said I don't know if I'll ever fully get over the the you know the essentially uh, this reformulation of a character based on a sort of fan desire consensus, which I guess I should get over it. That's actually how a lot of this media works <laughs> nowadays. Um, <laughs> And, and it, you know, I'm not above it. I love this stuff and I, I can't wait for the next episode, but um, I'll just leave it at that. So. Yeah, no, no. We'll, we we get the, the Gamorans now who Boba asks, will you be loyal to me if I were to spare you? They kneel before Boba. Fennec tries to warn him this is a bad idea, but he disagrees. And the next scene we see Boba walking the streets with Fennec and with the Gamorans like, any leader or ruler would be walk would be kind of down amongst their people. The difference is, it here they would be carried around uh, on a on a litter. I mean, we saw that with Jabba, which was funny. Jabba was always snacking on stuff, right? As he was being carried around, he always had grapes or whatever he had. And Boba doesn't want that. He says, "You know, I, I'm not being carried around the streets like a useless noble." Yeah. And she tries. Fennec tries to let him know. Look, it's a it's a sign of respect and power to the people of Mos Espa. They're used to seeing the huts paraded around the streets. Things would go a lot smoother if you accepted their ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of you know this is where it kind of clicked for me what this kind of episode was doing. Right, like he's learning their ways, accepting their ways. Like I mean, this is what's happening in the present, and that's what's happening with with the the Tuscan Raiders. Right, trying to learn, figure his way through this this new world. Um, the useless nobles thing, right? That kind of makes a little more sense. Like, you know, someone who's who's often bit who's been a gun for hire, like may naturally have a disdain. I mean, you're always doing someone else's job in a way. Uh, that that makes a lot of sense. His his father served a you know useless noble from a certain point of view. Um, Count Dooku was a noble. Like, I think I I, I that kind of resonated uh, uh, with me. Um, I was gonna ask you, have we ever seen the huts been paraded though? Like that would be no. an awesome <laughs> right? I'd love to just see how many people it takes to carry to carry Java, to Java all around, right? Uh, we... <laughs> that, that was I mean, then that's kind of interesting, right? To get a sense, you know, Java Java's rule, I don't know how long it is canonically, but it's at least from the time of Phantom Menace, right? To mm-hmm. Turn of the Jedi. Yeah. And so 
You know, it's interesting to think that maybe, you know, Return of the Jedi is kind of a phase where he's essentially retreated from like public view, uh, but maybe was more outgoing. You know, he clearly he holds hosts the Bunta Eve classic. Um, the you know the fanboy for all those fanboys who want to see I say that with all respect for all the fanboys who want to see the Sarlacc pit I'm the kind of person who like if a, if we see a pod race in this show that would be my Sarlacc that's gonna pit. pop you right that's when the when they were on the pods for a minute if I was gonna say we saw it uh right outside the moisture farm again for a moment and um we get we get back into the cantina here yeah. um and we get it's the a different uh, cantina. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the same band. Same same band. We get um we actually get the Max Rebo sighting, the blue elephant looking creature. He's been a fun topic of discussion um through the years. And there's actually a different version of that Cantina theme that's kind of changed up a little bit. This is actually a pretty upscale looking little cantina. Matt, I would love this I'd love to spend some time here. Music, yeah. gambling, drinks, they're playing poker. We've got um uh, there's one droid that's that's uh, like a dealer at the poker table. He kind of looks like the droid that they have at Star- at the Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. The I think I Rex, yet. Uh, which is yet. great, great. Yeah. And um, it's a really fun kind of ambiance and atmosphere inside of here. I'm really excited, right? You know, we'll meet shortly this new character who looks to be a main character of the show based on the promotional material. Um, the, the businesswoman, the lady Garza, they call her, or, or Madam Garza. Um, she's yeah. intriguing to me. I, I, I want to know more about this person, right? In, in, in the way she speaks, like there's a lot, I, I got the sense that there is a lot more under the surface here. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to spend more time in the, the cantina. Really quick, you said, so Max Rebo, was he on the sail barge? He was in the cantina. He playing so Max Rebo plays in Jabba's Palace. The yes, Max yes. Rebo band plays in Jabba's Palace. Yep. But then I think there's also music on the sail barge. Yep. But I mm-hmm. can't remember if it's Max Rebo. I think so. I think until he, he I, survives. Yep. All, sail he's barge? still he's here. All the he's here. That's what they said. How is he still around? How yeah. has he made it? But interesting. <laughs> there's a, there's some funny um, little Easter eggs when you dive back into them, and and those, these are a lot of things that I. You know, on my first watch, I wouldn't have caught, but on the second and third watches, when I do them to, for you know to have these conversations with you, those are a lot of things that I'll pick up. So, oh yeah, just having a blast in here. As one of the droid comes up, to, uh, ask them to, if they want any drinks, but Fennec lets them know they're not here for drinks. We have business with Garza Flip, who you just mentioned, and Boba looks around as uh, a couple of uh, Twi'leks actually. Um, saunter over to them, all sexual, like they are, like they usually are, and they ask if they want to get their helmet serviced and cleaned. That's not a that that's actually what they did. They they were actually giving them a a helmet cleaning and service. And <laughs> Fennec actually turns them down, but Boba says, "Sure, take both of ours." And then he looks at at Fennec and kind of jokingly uses her quote right back at her. Things will go a lot smoother if you accept their ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, it's the nice. I mean, I, I think you know, if if there's something to be said about this episode, is that it 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 is ah, simple. Such a bad word. It is so kind of efficient and lean in its storytelling. Like it mm-hmm. has a very clear focus, right? It's like essentially the the whole episode could be summed up, and things will go a lot smoother if you accept their ways, right? Yep. Um, yeah. 
So, and I, I didn't, that didn't totally land for me the first time. It was really the second time I watched it where I, the first time it was like, I was almost taken aback by the abrupt ending. And, but when you kind of see it, you know, see the stranger in a strange land motif playing out on these opposite timelines, um, it's, it's a really nicely crafted episode, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and conceived, if not, you know, it's not flashy, but I think it's really, you know, has that kind of, was very tightly workshopped, actually, although it seems a bit random at first. So Madame Garza welcomes them to the sanctuary, asks if they want to partake in any of the sundry offerings, sundry offerings. And uh, then you get, you know, Boba says, no, no, it's fine. But they do um, they actually ask, would you like your Gamorreans hosed down and fed while <laughs> we are sequestered? No, this won't take long. We can do it right here. He introduces himself. He introduces Fennec. And he says that he has replaced Bib Fortuna. Um, she actually, she even responds, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see your litter." He says, "I wasn't carried on one. I walk on my own two feet." And she apologizes again. She kind of sensed that she may have uh, offended him, but he just says, "Hey, I'm here to introduce myself. I'm assure, I'm and assure you, your business will continue to thrive under my watchful eye." She thanks him, and um, she thanks him for the gracious introduction for making the long journey. It's our little slice of paradise. You are always welcome, and 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 uh, it is yours now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like this this dialogue. You know, although it's not antagonistic, it kind of reminded me of that first Django Fett Obi Wan scene where it's mm-hmm. very kind of uh, very short, quick, uh, not snippy per se. But but as he, they're almost playing a game of chess in my mind, right? Yeah. I, I don't think mm-hmm. it, they were too heavy on that. But I think both of them are are holding back, right? Or, or absolutely being overly, almost performatively polite. It felt very, you know, it felt pitch perfect from like a Western perspective. Like the you know you, you walk into the saloon, you're you're new, you're trying to get information, you're trying to suss out kind of the the, the clientele, uh, the the kind of leadership. Um, I, I I like that. I, I saw some criticisms online about how like the dialogue was kind of humorless. Um, I, I saw it actually as kind of an you know a, a mastery of a certain style, and I think this this scene was uh, exemplified that. And they uh, <laughs> when they get their helmets back, Fennec jokes that well yours looks uh, shinier than mine, as Boba's helmet has been filled with a bunch of uh, money. Bunch of the local coins, gold and yeah. silver, as uh, they make their way out of the cantina. Boba says, uh, Jabba had many vessels. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover if we are able to keep his empire intact. Fennec just keeps trying to let him know, hey, I can do this. You don't have to do it. He rarely left his chambers. But that's when we get the line that has been in uh, a lot of the uh, the trailers. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> <laughs> is uh Fennec the relationship between Fennec and and Boba though is is good. Boba wants her to speak freely every time she has an opinion or she has some advice on something. Mm-hmm. She says in difficult times fear is a surer bet. Mm-hmm. And that's like a cue almost. Like she says it mm-hmm. and it basically cues the assassins who jump from the roof and basically surround Fennec and Boba. Mm-hmm. And there are like five or six of them all around, and they have these. The technology I thought of this was kind of intriguing. They have these really like big laser shields, mm-hmm. and they've got these long 
sort of tasers and Boba and Fennec are basically surrounded. They look at a moment like they're in trouble. Fennec's trying to kind of run and, and leap her way out. Boba's trying to use some of his, you know, his tools and weapons, but they're in they're in a, a really tight quarters. So he, he can't really blow things up or or send out a you know a flame that could kind of come right back at them. Mm-hmm. Um it's actually the Gamorans who end up sort of getting involved in in Turning things back in the You know evening the numbers basically here Once they get involved to they give Boba and Fennec a shot and they They sort of scare a few of these assassins away Yeah I I loved I love that little bit right that that Well seemingly that Fennec was Wrong about the Gamorrean guards they're just Fiercely loyal right I I don't think there's going to be that the Gamorrean guards are some plant and they ultimately Turn against no but I think they're like On his team I I, that was a, A nice touch um you know, I, I think one thing we could, if I was, you know, to concern troll a bit, it's like, I, on one hand, I really want this show to not have Jedi or the Force. I want to see if Star Wars could do that. Like, mm-hmm. is it possible to have a show that doesn't go back to the the core? Um, on the other hand, you know, this this action set piece was okay, right? I mean, you know. We 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 saw so many of Boba's tricks in the Mandalorian, right? You know what? Um, how will they keep the action fresh in this show, right? When you are kind of dealing with a set arsenal, right? yeah. Um, I think they'll do it, right? They they kept the. I mean, a lot. There isn't that much lights. I mean, there isn't that much lightsaber in the Mandalorian until you get to the last twenty minutes of season two. Um, so yeah, you know, but uh. Uh, I, I kind of like more of the Fennec rooftop uh, parkour chase. Uh, Me too, a little Aladdin, man. I was like, Aladdin. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, we gotta I get thought. a little. I wanted the Aladdin Absolutely. theme, you know, in the back. I wanted like one jump, ahead of, like one of the like Aladdin yeah. songs. It was great visually. I thought it looked hilarious. Um, I mean, like you said, it, it looked great. And I, in my head, I'm like playing the Aladdin stuff, but it because it just reminded me of that and being a Disney thing. But she's able to chase them. First, she's able to turn their weapons against them. They do shock Boba, who kind of falls over, and then the Gamorans run the assassins off. That's when Fennec jumps up and starts to chase them, and he tells her, Fennec, alive. Yeah, and, uh, so that's when she starts the uh, Aladdin rooftop chase, and uh, Boba actually sends off one shot from uh, from his wrist, a very Tony Stark of him, a uh, little, little Iron Man action just plucks off one of these assassins and Fennec is in pursuit on the roof here, uh, kind of leaping from rooftop to rooftop. Visually, it looks really cool when they back out of it and you see the background and like the canyon behind. And then you've got all of the like the visuals of the city where they're you know, leaping and chasing and she really outsmarts them. She's kind of chasing them around and then it looks like they've, you know, they've kind of cornered her. She, she, Changes direction and she sort of gets to the place where they're they're heading to, and she's able to turn the weapons around on them. And she, since there are two of them that she catches, she kills one of them because she only needs to bring one back to for Boba. I thought that was a kind of a funny moment too, just to give everybody an idea of how vicious and aggressive she is. Takes their weapons, kills one, keeps the other alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought it was you know Fennec doesn't have much to do in this episode right i mean she's the the foil to to bubba the 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 bad cop to his good cop as you said 
And I think you see, right, when she's on her own, her her way is maybe not exactly the same strategy as uh, uh, Boba. So I like you kind of got a sense of her own individuality. Uh, oddly enough, I'm <laughs> in her killing someone. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but no, I, I think, you you know, she is an assassin. I mean, I mean, Boba Fett is also was essentially an assassin, a, a bounty hunter. She feels hunter, very so. loyal to him. He saved her life. You know, yeah. he he she wouldn't be around if it weren't for him now. So <laughs> she's yeah, she is definitely awesome. She's really great. And I think I was reading. So she was in Star Wars now. She's been in the MCU, and she was also a Disney princess in movies. Right. So. Which right. just talk about some some credits on your resume there. You've been in some some big worlds. Who is and she in the MCU? I'm drawing a blank. She, I think she's in Shang Chi. Oh, okay. I think so. Okay. And then and then um, Mulan, I think, is one of the Disney mm. princesses. So yeah. she's uh, definitely. I, I, uh, I like. I really liked her character in um, in Mandalorian, uh, and and it's and you get a a little bit more of her. Actually, a couple episodes with her in uh, The Bad Batch. And so that's mm-hmm. another kind of track laid for bringing Omega in, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess is what I want. I guess I can also put my cards down and say, I kind of want that. She was an interesting character to me. And I think the show needs some other ingredient other than the crime, you know, crime sin- syndicate angle, like Boba rule angle. Right. Very much. It needs a little more so, emotion, something to get emotionally invested in. Yeah. Than than that. It'll it'll be inner like every episode. If it's the weekly, like they were doing with the Mandalorian at the beginning, you know, the, mm-hmm. the what we have to do this week, or this is the task of the week, or we have to accomplish that. Everything they do is always going to be entertaining and it's always yeah. going to be visually done. It's going to be fine. But we want a little bit more than that. We want some of the to get some of the feels, you know. Yeah. Like we were getting when when week to week we started worrying about Grogu or what's happening. Then we start, we got that relationship between um, Mando and him and Grogu, and we start you know the the last couple episodes. You think of when he was taken off the the helmet and just the you know mm-hmm. some of the feelings there. It's what we'd like to get here with this show, and we'll see what are maybe some of the the catalysts or some of the tools they'll use to try to play at our heartstrings. Mm-hmm. As yeah. uh, we then. So yeah, Fennec outsmarts them and takes the weapons, kills one. The Gamorans actually get Boba back to the 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 Bactopod, and he says that get me back to the Bactopod as he's kind of struggling on the floor. And once they and like you said, man, what a great soldiers! They help right away, save the fight. They pick him up off the floor. They take him right back. They get him right in the pod, and he's and he's good to go back into the dream world. Yeah. I like, you know, this kind of flashback. They do something weird with the film that kind of like, you know, cue you in to this shift in in time, right? Um, though it should be pretty, you know, obvious uh, to even a casual viewer. But w- one of the nice little touches, right, is that the second act of the show, right, when Fennec is like, wake up, boss, right? Essentially, that's how this flashback begins because it's a Tuscan child waking up Boba who's probably basically saying, wake up, guy. You know, um, and we're back in that world, right? And he's tied, he's back tied to a post, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's basically where we last left him after he'd kind of gotten knocked out um, in the middle of the night. Now, now he's back tied to a post. And the, it, it, one of the kids that 
sort of feels like he's in charge of Boba, one of the the younglings. Mm-hmm. He takes Boba and the other prisoner, the Rodan, and they're they're chained together, and he leads them into the desert with a mastiff. Basically, it looks like they're investigating. You can kind of see smoke off in the distance, and it was almost like they told him, "Hey, take the prisoners, go see if anything's going on. If you get into trouble." You know those guys will take care of it, or you know. But this is this is your task for the day, mm-hmm. and they're kind of spying on this moisture farm. It sort of looks like where Luke grew up. It's not, but it looks kind of give you the visual of what what this was. And on this little farm, there's uh people, a, a group of raiders mm-hmm. that have taken over the the house that seem to be ransacking everything, robbing the place. They jump on pods and they fly back out of there. So. I'm sure we're going to revisit these ra- this this was not just for nothing. They we're going to revisit yeah. these raiders. They had a big symbol right. that they placed on the door mm-hmm. afterwards. So like you had kind of hinted at, we we have to imagine Boba has come across these guys at some point and knows who they are or again will they're going he's going to run into them here. Um but this was what the what the youngling Tuscan was was sort of I guess meant to do go check out what was going on bring the prisoners out there and then and head back but I got a long trek through the desert yeah um yeah no I I you know I'm wondering why did they take them out there you know and part of me thinks that this is why I've kind of chosen to read this whole thing as some sort of like in like initiation ritual into adolescence or something where it's like you have to like the the prisoner has to kind of deliver the life sustaining water to the captive taker and the captive yeah. taker must drink it and the, i don't know like i'm i'm kind of reading into this right no no uh, maybe i trying I agree. to make it a bit more uh, ritualized than it actually was but i think you know i kind of took it as they go out there simply to make these people dig water and like the the act of their suffering and then the other the captive takers nourishment is like the whole point. And they happen to see this gang, you know, spray painting and, and, and looting, whatever this homestead. And I imagine this is either the introduction of a key criminal faction or, and, or, right. They're going to be the next, you know, chapter in this parallel mm-hmm. story with the Tuscans, right. Yep. If we go back yeah. that, um, now suddenly Boba Fett is assisting the Tuscans maybe to reclaim, you know, um, not to project too much of like current politics on the Tuscan Raiders, but, you know, they've already established in the Mandalorian, this idea of like, this is their land and the, you know, mm-hmm. the home homesteads and these other, you know, crime Lords are kind of, uh, uh, taking their land, taking their, their resources. So, you know, to what degree does, Boba Fett helped them reclaim their territory, right? And then he, for some reason, decides that he's going to reclaim this territory of 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 Jabba, right? Um, again, I don't know if it's something that really needs to be explored, but it it could be that this criminal faction will actually come into play in both the past and the present. So we'll see. Says they kind of are out in the desert, like you were saying. It's it sort of feels like there's a purpose for them to be out there. They forced the prisoner, the youngling forces uh, Boba and the Rodon to dig to find these little kind of bits of water. And Boba can't really understand uh, initially, but he asks to dig and, oh, dig? You want me to dig for that? Okay. So he starts to dig. We see that the Rodon first, the Rodon prisoner finds one first. And Boba 
then finds one and he actually takes a sip out of it and that the youngling kind of whacks him and says no i you know you give it to me first i get it and the kid the youngling actually takes it and just pours it out um, he kind of to, i think to kind of wa- give some water give the dog to the, a little the, water yeah he kind of like dog, wants to give yeah. it, it's kind of like yeah. a hey look you don't get this you know yeah. but this is for um, the dog boba yeah. actually makes a crack at the at the mastiff dog before he looks over at him and says uh no hard feelings mate so yeah, we we know that he didn't kill the dog at least the mastiff at least. This was this was the same one from before that he only choked out and and used the teeth to try to uh, escape, and so that Boba finds some water. Uh, the Rodon prisoner finds some water, and I thought you were probably gonna like this too. It, this was set up very much like a dig, um, where <laughs> the the Rodon prisoner is like looks like he finds like a fossil almost, and he's kind of like. You know, yeah. like it looking totally at it reminded me of uh, Jurassic Park. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Just, I totally thought yeah. so. And and he, he kind of brushes off more, more of the sand. And then this massive arm just pops up. And I don't think they have a name for this, this creature yet. Um, it was just referred to as sand creature. Mm. And it's this being that. Pops up through the sand and it it's got three sets of two arms slash legs. Yeah. It's got a it's got a very Goro from Mortal Kombat look. Ah, that's where you know it felt familiar. So for me, it was like very old school kind of Godzilla. It yes. felt like an old toy yeah. I had, almost like it was claymation, but mm-hmm. smoother. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Goro, that's that's another right. Um, something subconsciously it felt familiar, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't quite the, place the it, sets yeah. of the arms, you know, like, yeah. and then, and how it's able to just, it throws its the arms up and, and it can walk upright, but then can also get down like on all fours slash sixes and like, yeah, like use, you know, and, and move much quicker. And yeah. so this is not something that we've seen before at all. Boba is hung upside down by this thing. Remember, he is still chained to the other prisoner. Mm-hmm. And the the Tuscan kid actually at one moment saves Boba. And it looks like this thing is is about to get the better of Boba. He's got him hung up. And the Tuscan youngling comes over and stabs the thing in the foot. Mm. And the beast starts to go after the Tuscan kid. But Boba from behind leaps on the back of this thing. Wraps the chain around its neck and chokes it out, standing tall on top of the creature, just like the uh, a nod to Leia, what she did to Jabba, who he's taken the place of. Yeah, no, this kind of fulfilled that whole like, you know, almost biblical mythic rebirth where he like he strangles and slays the beast and then he casts away his chains. Like, um, it was one of the more like, you know kind of indulgent moments but but earned like i kind of liked kind of liked the campiness of it of how like the music swells the sun is shining behind his you know uh uh back um yeah i i don't know i mean it was a it it felt it felt fret right i mean monster combat is kind of integral to 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 star wars and is so much kind of mythic storytelling but it felt it felt fresh and exciting and we got to see a new monster and um you know, the show will have to be if it's not going to delve into the Force and, and Jedi, and I kind of hope it doesn't. It will have to be creative in time, 
kinds of you know action set pieces it has right so i really liked the the return to the camp so you know boba stands tall there was a lot that was told this this reminded again of like the tone of the first part of this episode where there wasn't a lot of words being spoken after this boba returns with after he slayed this beast and the kid the little youngling he's actually carrying back the the, the head yeah of this this sand creature like a trophy and he's excited he's running up and celebrating with it and he brings it back to the village and he's taking credit for it he's like hey look what i did i killed yeah. this thing look i got this thing yeah and uh you know boba doesn't say anything he sort of lets him take credit for it but you we get the the it's reminded me a lot of the episode of the mandalorian when when uh mando had to help cobb vanth and the local Jawas kind of take care of that monster That had been torturing them You get the sense that this was a monster That had probably been torturing this group of people Or had probably killed a lot of Tuscans Through the years So they were all celebrating They're cheering And most people knew that the kid didn't do it And in fact I think it was the elder Like the chief of the tribe Who ended up coming out And he stood next to Boba And he gave him a cup of water Mm-hmm. Like the ultimate sign of respect there In the desert So he knew Boba did that And it was like a hey you know thank you You know that You probably saved a lot of our lives here's some water it, There's a lot of things that are said without saying anything mm-hmm. And that's sort of what you were talking about With how cool the early part of the episode With and the studying and just the The way that this tribe is You get this real sense of You know society yeah, and, I, and like yeah. The, the rules, and like they've got they've got rules and regulations. And this is like what you would study, like you said, in in, in history, some of the earliest settlements and things like that. Yeah, I mean, in my kind of head canon, <laughs> is that the this beast, right, um, is maybe something stories are like children know stories about this beast, right? Maybe there's a story of a child who slays a beast, and it's like the child is like performing a myth come to life like and and then to be clear i'm totally making this up but the point is like the the visual language of the show like kind of creates that space for you to like imagine the world which was always in part what made a new hope so exciting to audiences right it's like this illusion of the clone wars right this sense of this broader world um that that in many ways was like you know not to get into my my gripes was kind of lacking from the sequels, right? The sequels mm-hmm. were very close, right? Kind of more of a, like, it's kind of a very close uh, cast. You know, you don't get into, you don't get a lot of like kind of exploration of different cultures. And no. When you get other worlds, it's very brief, right? Um, and what Favreau and Filoni are doing over multiple episodes across two different shows is you're getting these other sense about the kind of way this deeper sense about the way of life of, of the Tuscan Raiders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, instead of avoiding the Tuscan Raiders, which are kind of, again, founded in this, like, racist stereotype from from Western, you know, film adapted to a sci-fi scenario, they're going to, you know, not correcting it, right? I don't think, I think the episodes, you know, four and episode two kind of, they are what they are. But you know, really engaging with what it meant, right, for Lucas or for any filmmaker to take, you know, Native American culture and present it as, you know, in one dimension. And instead, they're looking at this 
native culture of Tatooine and trying to flesh out this this society. And yes, it is violent, but there is a kind of rules and logic to their violence. Yeah, there's like um, a beauty to it, you know. And, it, and, it there is a structure. Yeah. So I I mean that for me again like that's what I don't think I was ready for that in the first. I didn't know what show I was watching the first time. Mm-hmm. It ended so quickly with Abruptly. that of water. I, I, I completely expected us to go back to the present day. I kind of had lost track of time. I should have known it wasn't that long of an episode. Um, but when I watched it again, it really, you know, it was such a nice kind of vignette, like clear, very crisp, well-drawn character episode of like why this person approaches strangers the way he does. <laughs> um, and... It was almost a bot, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we have this prisoner now that that Fennec has caught, it was almost like a bottle episode. Like it was, a, you know, one kind of very clear thesis statement. Sorry, I read a lot of papers. Very clear statement, like very tight, like uh, uh, structure. Um, And so, you know, I can't wait to see what we're going to be talking about next week because... um, is it going to just be continuation of prisoner interrogation and meeting with crime lords? Um, yeah. What show are we watching? Do they find out who was trying to put the hit on him or whatever that was, you know, and do they get deeper in exactly like that's it's, it's, this wasn't a show that I had, I thought bad poorly of this wasn't a show that knocked my socks off, but this was a show that I just, I didn't know what show, like, I think you've kind of hit on it a few times. We don't really know what show we're getting still. We didn't before, and we still don't. And that's, at the very least, intriguing. Because I'm right. curious where we're going. And I right. don't think, I trust them enough to to think that it's not going to be bad. And I think they understand. They know what they're doing when they set these shows up and these movies up. And a lot of times the way they release the episodes, like you were saying, comparing them to the Marvel shows that have, have dropped too. It felt like there must have been a reason why they didn't. And it felt like there was a deliberate sort of pacing and feel to this episode that I I I just get the the sense is going to be very different. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, on the other hand, it could just be kind of adventure of the week western, and we really and that's are. fine. It, it yeah. could be that. Um. But on the you know another way to think about it is like you know with Mando, I don't know if Mandalorian took a huge risk. I mean, after all, the lead character looks. A damn lot like Boba Fett, which is part of the appeal. Um, but you know, they just they swung big at the end of that first episode, and you're introduced to this you know, baby Yoda, which was, you know, I mean, the most popular thing that Star Wars has done since Empire Strikes Back. I right? don't know, like yeah. a complete cultural sensation. Whereas like this episode, you know, was like they hit a single, like they, they mm-hmm. got a man on base now, right? Absolutely. You know? And and it it'll be interesting to see what they're building toward. But I think you're right. Like we live in a time when not only are Favreau and Filoni like steady hands and they know what they're doing, but everything connects and everything builds to a bigger story and a bigger universe. That's kind of the Marvel blueprint that is now seemingly the Star Wars blueprint. Um, So yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, after the first episode of Mando, we never thought we would, be seeing Luke igniting his lightsaber and marching down a hall, right? Like that. Or maybe we did, maybe we could have imagined it, right? But where will we be in two seasons? Like, I'm getting ahead of myself. Where will we be in three weeks? Um, It'll be interesting. 
We will be right here on That's What G Said Recapping uh, each episode for you Yeah, I think we, I mean, is there any Final bows uh, or thoughts you wanted to put on this one as we uh, we you know move forward to episode two. No, I think I think I laid it all out yeah. on the table. Let's see, you know, will will Bubba win our respects? Right, that's the Abs- real question. Absolutely. Will he will he give us the feels that so many others have, but we haven't quite been, you know. We didn't have all of the Boba action figures, uh, the, the the limited editions through the years. But no no uh, issues personally with Boba. Let's just see what what they pull at our heartstrings in this show. And uh, we'll be here with you every week. We're back in the Star Wars world. Matt, thank you so much, man. I'm I I love chatting with you. Um, every time we have one of these conversations, it's so much fun. I get to you know you know pick your brain a little bit. I get to throw some things out at the wall and and get your responses and see where you go and. There's always a few things that you probably remember or you noticed that I never even thought of. And that's why it's so much fun talking it out with a friend like this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be, we're going to sign off right now and I'm going to deep dive Max Rebo's history. <laughs> I, uh, there we go. <laughs> Max Rebo truther. How did he survive? So. <laughs> so next week we'll have more Rebo and we'll have episode two of the book of Boba Fett. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood, you're looking for something all natural, soy wax, non-toxic baby, scents for every season, now don't be afraid baby, just spell it out. C-E-R-A-N-O-S.com And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off, mmm, mmm. All natural soy wax candles, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. If you know your friends or family members love candles, let them know about this brand of candles. They're different. It's a small business. They do everything themselves. They found the best way to create candles is through the soy wax. It gives you a better burn. It gives you a longer burn, and it gives you more bang for your buck and they're healthier for you. The promo code G-I-N-O is going to save you a few bucks too. A great gift for someone if you're not sure exactly what to get them or any of your friends that are interested in candles, please direct them to sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com. Finishing it up with the old wrestling rewatch, Andrew Champagne joins me for December to Dismember. This show was just awful, awful, but we had fun discussing it. The bad shows sometimes are some of the most fun to discuss, Andrew Champagne aboard for the old wrestling rewatch. Oh yeah! Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> well, we're recording this at the end of December. It is December to dismember. Yes, we're going to go back to that show. We are going to talk a little December to dismember. Andrew Champagne joins me. The best Christmas present I could give Darren Zocali was to just say, hey, DZ, me and Andrew will take care of this one for you. Well, in fairness, he's got an excuse and he's hardcore. He's hardcore. He's hardcore. Darren, love you, buddy. Hope you had a good holiday season. But yeah, uh, I picked this show for a defined reason. But as I mentioned, when I picked it on the old wrestling rewatch a couple of weeks ago, we were going to get to this show at some point. This isn't one of those things that I deliberately went out of my way to do. There is historical significance to this show, and we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go through. Gino, thankfully, it's short. 
Yes, it's just two hours and 14 minutes overall So it's not going to be something that um, You know, you're spending hours and hours And kind of wasting your time on And there are, it's bookended by uh, The opening match The Hardys versus uh, Eminem is, is a very good match It is, it's a, it's a good match It probably just goes a tad long at, at over 22 minutes But they needed a couple things To fill this show Because the middle part of the show j- There are there are only two matches on the show that actually feel like they're pay-per-view quality. That's the problem. It's the first match and then the main event. And the main event where maybe it's a little bit underwhelming and maybe it's poorly booked, it's not exactly like it's the worst main event you'd ever see. There's act there's still some top-tier talent in there. It, it just doesn't feel like any of them ever get out of first gear. You know, that's sort of the problem, but it's it could be a lot worse. The middle part of the show though, it's just Everything on there is something that you wouldn't even really care all that much about on TV. Balls Mahoney, Matt Stryker, uh, you got Elijah Burke and Turkey defeating the FBI, Davari, Tommy Dreamer, Ariel and Kevin Thorne versus Kelly Kelly and Mike Knox. So those are just there's nothing about those that screen pay-per-view whatsoever. This was the only ECW branded WWE pay-per-view. Andrew, tell us a little bit about this WWE CW. Project. Sure. So, longtime listeners of the old wrestling rewatch may remember that we covered ECW's One Night Stand in 2005. That came after WWE produced a DVD called The Rise and Fall of ECW. Almost 20 years later, I would argue it's one of the best ones they ever did. If you see it somewhere, by all means, you know, pluck it out of a discount DVD bin, go check that out. Because it's a very good documentary that's pretty doggone honest by WWE. It is. Standards. They do. A, they do a lot of um, rewriting of history every now and then. You know, WWE likes to do. But but that was one that was I thought very well done. Yes, that one was good. They did one night stand. That's a fun show. But after that show, the idea started kicking around for WWE to have a third brand. And once those conversations kicked into gear and rights fees started being discussed, plans were put in motion to bring ECW back under the WWE banner. And if you think this sounds like a bad idea in hindsight, oh boy, are you right? Because here's the thing. ECW wasn't so much a wrestling promotion so much as it was a cultural thing. And you're not going to get that cultural thing in a corporate environment like WWE. And then there were these little things that would pop up here and there. They were on the sci-fi network, so they had a zombie at one point that just did not fit. And the other thing that we'll talk a little bit about, and there's a couple examples of this in this show, the ECW originals that stuck around, they were used in some cases as enhancement talent for guys WWE Mm -hmm. wanted to get over. If they had called ECW something else, it might have worked. When they called it ECW, and one of the first main events, it might have been the first main event of the weekly TV show, was Batista against Big Show. No shot that was going to work. And there was no better example of that than this show. Because look, spoiler alert, the show ends with Bobby Lashley winning the title. Okay, the crowd actually pops for that a little bit, despite the fact that they didn't like Bobby Lashley all that much. 
Bobby Lashley would go on to be a pretty big star. But here's the thing. That's not what ECW is. No. ECW was guys like the Sandman and Raven and the Dudley Boys and Cactus Jack. It wasn't this. This is and what the they this is like early early shades of what they wanted from NXT. What they they yeah. just it's just another brand for them to try out some new stars, some new guys and gals that they think might be future future main eventers they can look at it as a okay hmm well you know lashley could be someone that we think and and think about it right now look like we're we're talking right now as bobby lashley is getting set to main event another pay-per-view and and the thing is if you look at lashley's career you can run that 10 times i think we got either the worst or the second worst one because he spent several years off in mma doing his own thing but this show one more thing this show was so counter to what ECW was supposed to be, that Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon got into an argument on Vince McMahon's plane after the show. Vince liked the show and liked the way that it ended because his guy was holding up the title. Heyman was angry. Like, they what had are you talking fight. about? He's like, what are you talking about? This was terrible. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just like, yep. how do you think this is good? They had their fight. Heyman was sent home. And he was away from wrestling for six, seven years, whatever it was, until they brought him back to be Brock Lesnar's manager. After Lesnar came back, this entire thing, it's not good. There's historical significance to this show. It's not good. There's some stuff, though, that if you look at it, there's some things that, from a historical perspective, are fun little nuggets. But... Amidst the fun little nuggets and amidst the fact that you get a pretty darn good opener, you have to deal with stuff like the mixed tag match. That is you just... have to deal with stuff like a green as grass Sylvester Turkey, who was never going to do anything in the wrestling business. You have to deal with them pushing the great freaking Kali on ECW. Talk about a fish out of water there. And you have to deal with the fact that in the Elimination Chamber match, yeah, they got to an ending that made sense, but they did it in such a way that the booking inspired chance of we want refunds. Yeah, just a, like you said, this is one of those bad shows that historically has some significance and was was going to be on our checklist to, to get to at some point. And that point is now we're talking December to dismember. So we had uh, actually just six matches on the the card here, including the extreme elimination and only chamber two match. Of them go longer than ten minutes. Yeah. So as as much as we're talking about the bulk of this show being pretty bad, it's that the set. It's that there are you know five or six segments in the middle of the show that are just kind of like bad, 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 bad all in a row, and then the main event where if you're grading it in a complete vacuum. If you're just watching the main event as a match, not listening to the crowd, not uh, relating it to the to the old ECW and what this was, then okay, it's fine. But you have to take all those things into account. You have to take into the fact that they're this is a main event on an ECW branded pay per view, and they want Bobby Lashley to be the guy standing tall at the end. That just doesn't. Bobby Lashley was the guy that could have been standing tall at the end of any WWE show. On any other network or pay-per-view It just 
it was not right. And you were kind of hitting on one thing too, Andrew, that this is the kind of thing that would never work in a corporate world. This is the kind of thing that you just can't even recreate. You know, like bringing this back ECW on its own, it still wouldn't have worked at the time period that it was right here 10 years later where the the culture of the world was a little bit different and everything, you know, and and then those guys and gals, the Sandman and the people that everybody loved 10 years before, they still wanted to see them, but but you just don't care quite as much, you know, like they're just not as hot. They weren't as buzzy. And so it was just kind of a bad marriage all around here and uh, we get into it with December to December and I thought the opening match was uh, was really good Andrew it I mean thinking at least a three star match here 22 minutes plus probably didn't need to go more than 15 but you can understand why when you see sort of the rest of the match no real knocks on the match whatsoever couple blown spots here and there we had Johnny Nitro and Joey Mercury with Molina versus the Hardy Boys here and uh, Eminem are the heels in this one um Molina uh, she looked really really good at this point Jeff Hardy Yeah the, Mo- Molina is the high point of this show from an aesthetic perspective it's a ski slope on down the rest of the way if you just want to tune in and watch Eminem's entrance and then turn off the show. You can be forgiven for doing that. So they tried to do the like smaller arena here as uh, we did have Joey Styles and Taz as the uh, ear announcers for this show. And we are in Georgia, December 3rd, 2006 for EC WWE ECW December to dismember the yeah, the uh, the end of this match was was pretty good. Matt Hardy, hot tag. You get um uh like a couple clotheslines and a bulldog side effect. Um, leg drop by Matt. Things started to pick up a little bit here. I think at the time Jeff was the IC champ uh, also here, and you had a uh, one or two spots there towards the end that they may have gotten a little bit botched. Molina jumps on the apron. Uh, Jeff goes. So Jeff goes to pin. But ref is is distracted here. Jeff ends up going after Molina. And then Nitro, Jeff moves out of the way. Nitro ends up hitting Molina and knocks her down. Jeff with the roll-up, you just get a two-count there towards the end. And Eminem actually hit their finishing move. But Matt makes the save. And you get a double twist of fate. Kind of looked like one of the, the... Things I was reading because I was kind of looking through it. One of the recaps said it looked like a double RKO, and I kind of agreed. It sort of did look like a kind of like a double RKO with you had a uh, Matt stacking the two of them on top of each other, and then you get the Swanton bomb on both guys covered. So I thought some really fun spots, some cool spots. I had this over, you know, and it's and you probably grade it on a curve a little bit more because the rest of this match isn't great. But to me, this is three and a half. Um, I, I, I probably wouldn't get it to four. I think it was over three. So I definitely had it as like a three plus. I'm going to let, I'm going to have it settle around three and a half or so. What'd you think about this one, Andrew, that ended up going uh, 22 and a half minutes? Yeah. Stars wise, we're in alignment there. Uh, I have this either three and a quarter or three and a half. The first 10 or 12 minutes of this match is really, really good stuff. My one issue is they do a spot that none other than Jim Ross has said he absolutely hates. And it's become a lot more prevalent now than it was 15 years ago. And my goodness, it's 15 years since this show and the Hardy boys are still kicking around. This is uh, this is something. But first 10 or 12 minutes of this match are a lot of fun. They start doing these dives and it's 
One guy dives to the floor. They're down for a little while. Both guys come up. Third guy hits a dive. They come up. Last guy hits a dive. What's the point of that sequence? There's no psychology involved there. It's literally just to pop the crowd. Now they get the reaction, but there's 10 minutes of the match left after that. Now the rest of the match is fine, but once you get that kind of reaction, it's tough to get that kind of reaction again for the rest of the match and the finish. That's my one quibble with it. Eminem were both pretty young at this time. You could tell they saw something in Johnny Nitro, AKA John Morrison for obvious reasons. The guy looked like a million bucks and it was sort of a sense of, okay, once he learns how to work, he's going to be really, really good. And it turned out he was, um, there were a couple of really cool hot tag sequences in here. Some of this was old school stuff, cutting off the ring, making the Hardys sell for Eminem's offense. That was pretty good. 22 minutes, it's a little bit long. You probably could have done 17 or 18, and that probably would have been just as fine. But hey, this is a short show. They needed quality wrestling to fill the void because, let's be real, you're not getting it anywhere else on this show. As openers go, this was just fine. Three and a quarter, three and a half. It's a good opener. It's a historical curiosity because this is Team Extreme, the Hardy Boys, going to a version of ECW. It's not bad. It's good. Is it great? No, but compared to everything else on the show, it looks like Steamboat and Flair. I was going to say, on the on the curve here, this is the A++. And trust me when I tell you this. One look at Molina's outfit and you can tell this is not a TV PG show. No. That's all no. I'll say about that. And I've been trying to be very delicate about the way <laughs> that dancing, I word that. Dancing around that that uh, nicely there. As, um, we got a little promo from RVD talking about wanting to win the, uh, the, the title in the main event. Pretty basic. Nothing, uh, nothing crazy. And then, then we get Matt Stryker. And he's in a pink sweater. And he comes out and he cuts a promo as a teacher on his opponent, Balls Mahoney. He said the match tonight will be contested under extreme rules. I, you know what? This did make me laugh, though. I will say just the way that he, he, he like set this one up. He said an extreme enforcement of the rules. <laughs> so here's the thing about this. I know what Stryker was trying to do. He was trying to do Lord Steven Regal's shtick for mid nineties WCW. Absolutely. This is a it's Jerry the, the King type of gimmick. thing. You know, absolutely. Yeah. The problem is this is ECW and that doesn't work here. ECW at its height was the polar opposite of something like that. And yes, they had guys that could work. These this was where the cruiserweights and the luchadors came to prominence before WCW and WWE snapped them up, right? But It's just one of those things where if they had done that on a Raw or SmackDown, I think it would have gone over far better. But it goes over on ECW, and my goodness, bless Matt Stryker's heart. He's trying here, but he winds up with a past-his-prime version of Balls Mahoney. And you watch this match, and I don't know how you can't come away with any other impression other than Paul Heyman is a booking genius because for a couple of years in the late nineties and early two thousands, balls Mahoney was a draw in ECW. Let that resonate for a moment. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you kind of hit this, like you, it's just the execution that striker is so green and he just isn't, isn't sharp. This is where you can see that, 
you know, some guys with the same material can just do the same shtick way, way better. You know, he starts mentioning, <laughs> um, and he asked the official to please enforce the following rules no gouging of the eyes, no pulling of the hair, and, um, and you know, n- Based on what we just saw, no maneuvers off the top rope. And in light of my opponent's name, no foul language, please. Now let's see if Balls Mahoney can wrestle under striker's rules. He's He's got trunks that say uh, striker. Um, he's got trunks with his face on the butt. We did. He, he did get some good heat. I mean, we got some big striker sucks chance. It just, this felt like a segment on TV, like a heat segment. This didn't feel like something that should go on for seven minutes And I think that was the problem Because between Mac coming out, cutting the promo And then the match This ended up going about ten minutes And on TV with a commercial or two It probably would have worked a lot better there Um, There was nothing really hot about the match Honestly, after balls came in The crowd wasn't really into it There was a spot here or two that they might have laughed at The weird strikers rules Didn't even really play all that much Into the match here And it just It it didn't it was weird Like in, in this When you work this gimmick Usually the heel gets a cheap win Based on the rules or the rules Play into it it was just Again like really poor execution here With this match I just didn't get anything out of this Andrew yeah um, bless Matt Stryker's heart He's trying here But he's green There's just not a whole heck of a lot that he can do uh, Stryker crotches Balls Mahoney on the top And rolls through into an arm bar That's a decent spot Then Balls Mahoney makes the ropes And gets this really lousy comeback He tries to throw this back body drop And he barely bends over For Stryker to launch himself into the air I mean There's just only so much you can do there. Balls does get a sit-out spine buster for the win that as finishers go, I guess, is okay. But other than that, the only memorable thing about this match is either Joey Styles or Taz pointing out that you've got to wonder about a man who wants to sit on his own face. (laughs) uh... That was an actual line said on this show about someone in an ECW ring. We then got a look at CM Punk, who was uh, warming up backstage. Punk was getting ready for his first chance to become the ECW champ. And then this is something that is worth talking a little bit about. So we get the backstage shot of Sabu getting looked at by doctors. He was knocked out. He was taken out. Paul Heyman showed up to ask what happened. Uh, doctors kind of told him they just found him that way. Um, you know, and, and what again, what was really weird about this, right? The way they were doing it, you sort of feel like Sabu is going to show back up at the end of the night and win the match or be in the match. It wasn't – it didn't feel consistent with the way they write somebody off just and they're off and, and and then we don't see them. It was – I don't know. It was weird. Like I just was, oh, yeah, Sabu is going to come back later. And then when they announced a different wrestler later on in the night, the fans were not happy at that point. But you could sort of see it in Heyman's face. I think throughout a lot of the night that he's got what do they used to say about like Lex Luger, you know, or some of the guys that you tell, face. They were wearing it on their face when they were about to lose. You know, <laughs> Heyman kind of looks like that. He's he knows he's losing here. Yeah. Um, 
So Sabu gets laid out backstage. And look, in a lot of other promotions, this would have been a fun angle. Hey, guy with name recognition gets taken out before a title match. Who did it? They never paid it off at all. But that's not the worst thing about this segment. The worst thing about this segment is they have extras portraying medical personnel. And I don't know if you caught this, Gino, but one of them uses a stethoscope to try to listen to see if Sabu still has a heartbeat, which means that, yes, someone was trying to portray the fact that Sabu may have died. My God, I don't know what this is. This is not ECW. It is not anywhere close. And I replayed that segment three or four times, just laughing at the guy listening for a heartbeat because he moves the stethoscope around on Sabu's chest a couple of different times. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. My (laughs) God, this was terrible. So, yeah, I mean, um, so I guess the rumor and, you know, like you had said, but kind of getting you got to this point a little bit when we were when we started the show Vince Vince was never into the Sandman and Sabu and that that part of ECW to him this was just like another brand he didn't get what ECW was it's just it's hardcore that's what it is it's hardcore you know he didn't he didn't get the whole like it's these Guys that shouldn't be wrestlers making it. It's the gritty part. It's not just a separate brand that you th- you slap a few letters on and you have the same WWE stuff. And th- this was where you could see they were just a little bit out of touch. And and as I as I hit too, like I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna give WWE one thousand percent of the blame in that I don't know how much ECW with Paul Heyman at this time and all those same guys would have even worked. You know, no. it, it it just it may not have ever worked again, and then you have WWE trying to to put a the square peg in the round corporate hole, and it's just not it's really not going to work in that sense. So, no, not at all. And if it had just been a case where they did one night stand, one night a year, it might have been okay. Two thousand five's one night stand, great show. Two thousand six's one night stand. And show tremendous main event. If you remember anything about that show, chances are it's the sign that says, if Cena wins, we riot. Um, if they had kept it like that, mm. it might have been a case where they had a legitimate B show that had a lot of the gimmick type matches. You know, you do tables matches, you do TLC matches, stuff like that. But when they went weekly with ECW, under the WWE banner, it was never going to be the ECW that was popular among a lot of wrestling fans in the late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, my goodness, the 2005 One Night Stand was supposed to be a nostalgia show. And usually it takes 10, 15, 20 years for nostalgia shows to come on. But that's what the point of that show was. It was different. And instead, this just comes off as a different branch of the same tree. Oh, you, I am. I am going to say though, as I look ahead to the, the next match coming up, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed that Darren isn't here for this to talk about one thing in this that we'll get to. Um, so we've got, uh, Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turkey that come out and, uh, Burke cuts a little bit of a promo, calls it the Elijah experience. 
And uh, can we talk call- about the line in this promo? The man bear? No, no, like a wild animal in heat. We're going to leave our mark. Oh, what? Gosh, who's writing that? So we're gonna we're we're gonna piss on you. That's what we're gonna do. We are gonna who's writing this? R. Kelly? Are going to urinate on you in in that context? I, I mean. Um, you were talking a little bit about Turkey. He was an MMA guy that they were sort of hyping up. Didn't really, never, never hit with him in WWE. And you know what? Um, Elijah Burke, he's got something, you know. And he he had a better career, a better run. Um, in TNA, when he yeah. he, he, did a, he did a lot of announcing in TNA. I think he still. I don't know if he still does, but he was yep, doing some. Angelo De Niro is what yeah, he goes by now, and doing some stuff in NWA too. But he's yeah. got ability and talent. It didn't. It wasn't like he was a complete miss in WWE either. He just didn't spend a whole lot of time in WWE. I, and I was watching a lot of the TNA stuff um, when he was on. And he was, you know, he was always fine. Um, yeah. Um, when he went from WWE to TNA, unlike a lot of TNA signings, which was take every WWE cast off that's ever main evented anything and just see what happens. This was an instance where a lot of people at the time went, oh, this guy actually has good some signing. potential that yeah. he hadn't realized yet. Maybe TNA can build this guy up. And he has a lot of charisma. He's got some talent. He can cut a promo. It's just a case where he came into WWE, as I recall, very, very young. And probably needed a couple more years under his belt before he was going to make any sort of an impact under the WWE banner. Because he's got a couple of decent moves. He could talk a little bit by the time he was done. He just, he was green in this particular instance. And it would have been different if this was, say, a developmental brand. If this was NXT 2.0, this version of Elijah Burke would have fit right in. But it wasn't marketed as a developmental brand. It was marketed as ECW. Big, big, big difference. And that's the reason that a lot of Elijah Burke stuff isn't remembered so fondly in WWE. Did a lot of good stuff in TNA, though. He had a couple of good matches, a couple of good promos. And a lot of that stuff, I think, is up on YouTube if you want to check any of that out. I mean, the match is just very, it's just very bland. It's it's like nothing. Um, it, you know, Trinity is out there um, with the uh, the FBI. So what we got little- is she wearing? I, I have no idea. The like, correct this, answer is not much. Not this is definitely uh, piggybacking your point that this wasn't a, a PG pay per view pay per view here. Um, I just double knee attack from Burke. You, you know, you get a sweeping leg sweep takedown. Marmaluke gets a hot tag, couple drop kicks, big forearm, double drop kick on Turkey, uh, flapjack. And then Turkey hits a forearm shot, and then Burke hits the finishing move, the Elijah experience. They get the win at six four one. Skull crushing finale. It's the same move. Oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, Jeff Jarrett also kind of had used it, I think, for a, a little while. The also. stroke, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and look at that, Andrew. As um, I mean, it went like six and a half. At least it wasn't that long. It actually probably felt a little bit longer. And what I thought was kind of weird was that even during this match, you've got Styles and Taz talking a lot about Sabu. So you feel like, you know, he's going to come back out. They're talking about how, oh, you know, Sabu and this and that. So it's like, oh, yeah, he, he'll be back in the main event. Sure. And he'll probably end up winning that match. But, it, you know, in about seven minutes and uh, 
Here you go, DZ. As they, Joey Sile says, it's a Rivadurchi for the Italians. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, so, here. <laughs> you know, I felt bad for the FBI here because they're trying hard. They did a couple of hot tag sequences that look pretty cool, but the crowd just doesn't care. This is a death spot because when you think ECW, among other people, you think Sabu. People bought their tickets thinking Sabu was going to be in the main event and wound up the victim of bait and switch. They're like, the oh, wow, where... Sabu in the elimination chamber. He's not going to win that match, but we're going to see him do something nuts at least and probably get our money's yeah. worth, you know? Yeah, he's not going to win the match, but he might die. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they do that. And then when Burke and Turkey are coming out, the crowd's chanting bullshit. And for obvious reasons, there was no reason to do this. And None. None. it just... Have him lose and be eliminated right away. That's fine. And it really cast a pall over this match, even though, look, the match isn't anything special. FBI's trying hard. Uh, Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke are decent workers. Little Guido, also known as Nunzio. Um, But this is why WWE's version of ECW didn't work. The originals that were left behind were often beat by guys who just didn't fit in that were put there to give them something to do. And it didn't work. The match wasn't all that great. And also, just as another you know, jab to the fans, Turkey squashes Little Guido after the bell. And, and it's just, it, this wasn't a case where the bad guys win and everybody goes boo. This was a case where the guys that shouldn't have been there won and the fans are wondering why they had to sit through it. It's a different kind of heat. So now we're uh, backstage and we see... Sabu getting put on a stretcher and and in the ambulance, RVD and CM Punk are there along with uh, some of the other referees. They're all kind of talking about what happened. Taz <laughs> says he thinks that it was a uh, Punk or RVD who did something to Sabu. And yeah, I'm just a little a little looking at Sabu again. Where if they did this once or normally on the write off of someone like you see them injured, they'll hype the severity of it. But they kind of they kept showing him and talking about it. It was just like they kept thinking like it, they kept acting like he was going to be back at some point. Um, as we got set for our next match, it was Davari with the Great Kali against Tommy Dreamer, and I think Taz says that Kali's having a hard time finding opponents to face him after what he did, uh, what what he's been doing to some of the members of the uh, the roster so far, and. You kind of hit it like they keep going back and showing clips of Cebu not in the main event and then they come back to these matches and these poor guys in the ring have no shot none none it's like oh hey by the way remember one of the the your all-time favorite ECW wrestlers remember how I bet a lot of you ECW fans that you know probably weren't even the hardcore WWE fans may have bought one of these tickets to this show thinking you were going to see something pretty cool and how we bait and switched you really really poorly and we're not even going to fill in Sabu with another someone that you would have really enjoyed i mean this you could feel it sort of suck the life out of this crowd every time we came back from or the two times that we came back from those clips yep and then on top of all of that after that you get Davari cutting the token angry foreigner foreign language promo, which is just no, not an ECW. No. And then you realize 
that Davari solely exists in this context so that the great colleague can have something to do. And who do they put up against these guys? But Tommy Dreamer, who would find a way to lose to a mannequin. Um, my goodness. It's just why anybody would think this is a good show flow to follow is baffling to me. Um, the crowd died for the middle 80% of this show. We got Davari versus Tommy Dreamer. This comes right after that promo that you mentioned that Davari comes out. And um, it, yeah, I just, you know, they're, they're putting over Kali and it's like at the very, at least, at least this is better than if it would have been Kali versus Dreamer for seven minutes. Cause Davari is, a, is competent in the ring, but nobody cares. That's the problem. Everybody understands what just just what Andrew said at this point. That Davari is just a tool to get Kali over, and and you know you get Dreamer doing his best in here to try to make something out of this, kind of bumping all around. Um, the ref ends up sending Great Kali to the back, so it's Davari and and Dreamer, and we get this chin lock rest hold that goes on for way too long, then a sleeper. So it's just. Bad work in the ring. They're just, hardcore. They're this, hardcore. Right. This is like They're Mick Foley hardcore. doing the gimmick in ECW or to get heat. You know, this, this is like what's going on here. Um, Tommy on the comeback, really basic stuff. Reverse DDT. Uh, Tommy hits the drop kick and um, end up. It ends up with Davari reversing a DDT into a roll up with the tights. 722 hardcore Andrew is right we get a roll up win holding on to the tights this is bad and no nobody the crowd wasn't into it the match was just slow didn't get going really at all and then after the match dreamer starts chasing davari and then of course kali is there and he lays out Tommy Dreamer, big choke slam on the stage, and the announcers, you know, started talking about how they're trying to put over Kali here. And so again, we could just read into what they're doing. Um, the heel hooks the trunks, Davari wins, Kali leaves Dreamer laying on the ramp. Very basic, but it wasn't even like this is the kind of thing that if this was like an ECW heel with someone that they would have liked, if this was a younger guy, a Paul Heyman kind of guy, I don't know, it would have worked. Maybe okay Nobody wanted to see Kali We knew what this was A big new big guy from the WWE The Davari was uninteresting And then you got Tommy Dreamer out there Like who's one of the people that On the show These fans would have been excited to at least see And you have him in the most meaningless Nothing Like he could have been in the main event And lost and just taken a good beating You could have put him anywhere on this show And it would have had decent value, yet you put him into this match. You could have just let him cut a promo, like for ten minutes, and just talked about what ECW was. Instead, you have him here. Yeah, um, I applaud you for not mentioning Tommy Dreamer's uh, horrible acting as he's selling the choke slam. Oh, he's God. yelling that he can't feel his feet. So bad. Like, so, come just, on. What's the point? What is the point of this? How is this going to make anybody involved any money? No, absolutely not. The match was not good. The one spot that I liked a little bit that I thought was creative was Dreamer going flying over the top rope when Kali pulls the rope down. If that's the high point of the match, 
it's a terrible match. And unfortunately, things go from very, very, very bad to even worse in the next match that we're going to talk about. But first, we see Paul Heyman and Paul Heyman's ponytail makes an appearance. He reappears. He goes into the locker room. Hardcore Holly's uh, there. He says he needs a replacement for Sabu. And he says it's going to be Hardcore Holly. And, okay, let, like, so I actually had forgotten when we were just talking a minute ago about how they every time kept checking in and repeating the name Sabu, which was like the worst thing that you can do. Why remind us of this before every match again? Again, you remind us of this again. And the guy that you replace him with, Hardcore Holly, is a guy that has a place on every wrestling roster. But the the place that he has is a guy that's towards the middle to the bottom of the card, a guy that is probably best served in a tag, someone that you can use at not just as enhancement talent, but you can use to get your stars over more. But Hardcore Holly, I think, has been in one big match in his entire WWE career, which was a match against Brock at the Royal Rumble, and they actually did have a little bit of a storyline in it. Other than that, he's never been... Been presented as an interesting character He's never been portrayed as anything Remotely With personality I guess they were going for the oh he's hardcore Because he was the former hardcore champ In the the Late 90s early 2000s But it just It was like such a bad Selection for someone to fill in For Sabu too In this crowd Once they realized I think And this was about the point when they when they said we're going to fill in Because that's when you know that they're probably not coming back now Because now it's like uh oh Now all the spots are filled He's not just going to come in randomly and be in the match So now he's probably not uh oh This is when that sort of like sunk into the fans And they were not happy here Andrew No, no they were not And I can't say that I blame them Um, Look, if you're Hardcore Holly You are a respected member of the locker room Who has had a long career who can have a decent match with pretty much anybody. Fine and dandy. But between him being put in this match and the storyline that he was involved in, which I think we need to step back and reset and talk about this for a minute. Paul Heyman was a heel authority figure. They made Paul Heyman into a creepy version of what Vince McMahon would have been if he ran ECW at this point. And that was never who Paul Heyman was. You knew that Paul Heyman ran the show in ECW, and when he came out to cut promos or anything like that, you knew stuff was important. But he didn't have a character. He was just playing Paul Heyman, the guy that ran ECW. But Paul Heyman now has a posse. He's got Big Show. He's got Test. He's got Hardcore Holly. And he's got the two guys that walk around in riot gear. Do we have any idea who those two guys were? I'm being completely serious. I have no idea who was under those masks and the riot gear and the shields and stuff. Ugh. It, it didn't work. Oh, None I... of this worked. And the fact that anybody thought this might work shows that whoever thought this might work had no idea what ECW ever stood for. If we're being led to believe that Paul was setting this up for his guys, you know, putting another one of his guys in the match here. And um, it's just nobody cared. 
Nobody cared. No. This isn't what they wanted with the ECW. This was what you were going to get on WWE TV, which was fine. Some people like it. Some people don't, and that's fine. But you didn't need another brand just doing the same exact thing. Um, Precisely. So, yeah, we uh, we get to the mixed tag match here. Kelly Kelly and Mike Knox. I believe Mike Knox recently had an NWA title match not not he, long he ago. He did, yes. He came out of absolutely nowhere to be on NWA. He had a run as Nux in uh, TNA. TNA. I believe he's an part of Aces and Eights. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, he had a couple eights. year run there. And honestly, not the worst worker on the planet. No, for a big the dude. The problem is he just, there's no personality. There. Just generic big guy. None. He, generic big guy that can move everybody, everybody drink he he is best suited as part of a faction right you know what i mean because he doesn't stand out all that much and that's when he's when he's along uh, when he stands next to a big star he'll look tough and imposing and he can be their muscle it's a good role for him uh, it just he can't be the guy and no. in situations like this this is so weird with him and kelly kelly holding hands they come out they're they're doing the Kelly Kelly's sort of got a crush on CM Punk or she's like in love with CM Punk. She wishes him best of like good luck later on. Knox keeps getting mad that Kelly, you know, is so in uh, interested in CM Punk. And in fact, uh, may it, I point something out here just really quickly? Please do. Um, Kelly Kelly wasn't even 20 years old at this point. She has no freaking idea what she's doing. Bless her heart. She's trying. This isn't on her. Please remember that as we go through this match, when we talk about Kelly Kelly being a horrible wrestler and whatnot, not her fault. So this thing goes about like seven, almost eight minutes. And I mean, it's bad. Like, and it's, and like you said, it's not her. She is 19 years old. She is not a trained wrestler. She has, she knows the basics at this point. She's very, very good looking. And, but that was, like, that was what, what was it? She was just the young girl, the sort of young spitfire. And early on, it was Nux, you know, and this is a mixed tag. So you got the guys against the guys and the girls against the girls, big boot to the face. But it's just nothing. Like, there's nothing going on. It's just, like, walking around, very little. You get a headlock. Then Ariel comes in. So Kelly's in. And this is her first time in the ring. And she's getting choked. And she's getting kicked. And Ariel, you know, uh, puts her foot to the leg of Kelly's throat, kind of choking her there. Kelly dives, jumps out of the way as uh, Ariel comes running at her. And then Kelly kicks. I mean, that was it. It was like her own, the only thing she was able to do was sort of like try to kick away. She went for the tag to Knox, but Knox was, he just jumped off the, uh, the ring apron and he walked away. And it's kind of like an F you to her for, you know, being so interested in CM Punk is he leaves her there. She just gets absolutely destroyed and taken advantage of and Ariel Sits on Kelly Kelly's face after hitting sort of an STO. Hitting is a loose. Right. I mean, uh, so after this match, that was folks. You can't even really grade this match, to be honest. Like, it's just not worth. Yes, you can. It sucked. It's not even It's like on a star thing. There's no, I mean, it was minus two. I gave it minus two. 
is as low kind of as you would want to go because it's there's nothing good about it. The ring work is bad, and there's no story, and it doesn't see it. The it's out of place. It just you, you do want to give Kelly credit because it's like wow, this is a 19 year old girl out there who just kind of like thrown to the wolves, and she's just kind of screaming. She's trying. At least after the match, you get the Sandman, who comes in through the crowd. He ends up hitting Thorn with the Singapore cane a couple times. And then he goes crazy, you know, hitting him 10, 15 times, celebrates with some beer, crowd cheers. So, I mean, it just, this is just, you know, you wanted to get this, again, the, the, you got the Sandman, you got Tommy Dreamer here, you got Sebu that you have, you know, you have written off. You don't want these guys to be in big wrestling matches on the show, that's fine. But you couldn't have found better ways to use them in segments than this. Right. Now, the one thing I will say amidst this sea of crap that we're wading our way through, they did one thing right on this entire show, and it was the way they used the Sandman. Now, a large part of the Sandman's appeal was never going to happen in WWE because there was no way they were going to let the Sandman use Enter Sandman as his theme music. You can tell this because in various different recordings of One Night Stand in 2005, you're not sure what theme music you're going to get with him. He came out to Enter Sandman. It was dubbed over on some recordings, wasn't dubbed over on others. Him coming out to Enter Sandman in 2005 in the Hammerstein Ballroom, that's legitimately powerful stuff. That'll get you fired up. Well, Kevin Thorne and Ariel, I believe was the young lady's name, uh, decide to try to beat up Kelly Kelly. Out comes the Sandman for the save. Exposition time for you, folks. The Sandman, he of upstanding morals and values, who once was in a a storyline with his estranged wife, Lori, and his young son, Tyler, where Lori and Tyler started worshiping Raven, comes out to protect the all-American girl because reasons. Um, But what they did, they brought the Sandman out. The crowd goes bonkers. And gee, it's simple. Sandman comes out. He drinks beer. He hits unpopular guy with a Singapore cane 15 times. He drinks more beer. He goes back up the aisle and... There we go. We have Crowd's the best segment of the evening Crowd's that lasted happy. three minutes. And Gino, wrestling is at its best when it is simple. And, and this segment nothing was... Nothing complicated. It was it, good. It was. And it was just... This could have been used in a even like more main event level. This could have been even used to go off the show. This could have been used in in different ways. This was, like you said, the best thing. They didn't have to do much with it. It's very easy to produce. You literally just tell the guy, hey, look, go out and do your your shtick. You're not even going to wrestle, so we're not worried about how you look in the ring. Go do your thing. Hit the guy with the cane, drink a beer, go crazy. That's it. That's it. Boom. Let Dreamer cut a promo, do some babyface Dreamer. Let Sabu, if you don't want him in there, then let him crash back into the match and mess some stuff up. And let RVD literally win. just turn the lights off. That's all you got to do. You don't like, even need Sabu for that. Just tease turning off the lights, and then the crowd thinks Sabu is coming back. The crowd thinks Sabu is coming back. The crowd thinks Sabu is coming back. 
Turn on the lights, and there's Paul this, Heyman laughing hysterically outside the chamber. Tell this, me that wouldn't have worked. And this was weird to me because, you know what, for as much as he gets crap for being out of touch with certain things, I feel like Vince, in a lot of times, would do the right thing on the pay-per-view, and then he could just kind of fix it the next night or the next week. You know, he would give people the moment. He used to do this a lot more, and they don't do it as much anymore. I, I think of Zack Ryder at... WrestleMania, right? Just things like that, where it's like, hey, let's give them the big pop, let's give them the big moment, and then, yeah, they're not going to be the guy or the gal that we want to build around moving forward. So then we can have them lose in the next week or so, and we can kind of go the direction that we want. But at the at the big show, and this was a big show in that it was an ECW show. It was it's it it, it was supposed to have the ECW flavor to it. It would have been great to have all the ECW stuff here. Give people the moments, give people the feels, and then if you want to start building away from that moving forward, that's fine. But at least reward some of the people who bought this show for you and who tuned who tuned in and and make them go. You know, it's it's funny. It's sort of how it is right now with the uh, with the Marvel MCU world, right? There's so many projects and there's so many movies and shows that it's hard for everyone to be like a standalone, and then and then also. Serve the purpose moving forward right But they they do a pretty good job sometimes Of okay if you just watch that show or that Movie it you walk out feeling Entertained and WWE isn't doing Didn't do that here at all Enough in this show and um, They they get caught up in a little bit Of a trope nowadays with that too where It's more about The ongoing It's more about the amount of content That we're going to put out there than necessarily Everything needing to be an A, we can just put out a bunch of C plus stuff, and that'll that'll do the job. So, yeah, this was this was the it, it did go from the worst part of the show to the best part of the show though pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, it's sad that we're saying the worst part of the show involved Kelly Kelly, but that was uh, that was the case for a very not green... her fault. She was nineteen no. years old. She had been signed to a contract less than a year earlier after John Laurinaitis saw her as a model and saw dollar signs. And look, for as much as people rag on Kelly Kelly and for you know certain reasons, whatever, she busted her butt. And by the end of the time she improved she was with WWE, she was a passable worker. She didn't have to be a passable worker. Not at all. She improved. She finished. She was retired by the time she was twenty-five. She comes back and she does legend spots, and she gets. And she's fine. She's fine. She's in. Yeah. She's in really good shape. And you know, like you said, she was twenty. She was nineteen here. She retired. She was twenty-five. She's just like a smarter person overall nowadays, right? You just know things more about psychology. She's probably watched a lot more wrestling and been around wrestlers and listened to smart people talk about the business way more now than she had ever at this point. And um. She, she she was really dating Punk, right? Was that a, was that real, or no? I don't know. I know CM Punk had a number of relationships with uh, members of the women's roster before he settled down with AJ. Um, yeah, so I'm I not won't sure speculate on that. Dated, I'm not. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, not sure not he positive. dated Kelly Kelly though. So uh, that was just part of the the storyline they were uh, running with here. As we get you set up for the main event now, and I mean the booking was. Was 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 not good. We'll get to it in a second. First, we get Bobby Lashley being interviewed. This took forever. Um, we get the video package showing everything that he's you know that have, that's happened to him along the way. They're stacking the deck. Nothing's gonna stop him. 
We then had Big Show backstage with Heyman, Test, and Hardcore Holly, and then another video package with all of them, including Sebu. And I mean, th- like you said, how long? Th- this was about the n- about an hour, not even an hour and a half into the show, and we're getting this. So it's like, oh wow, we're gonna get a really, really long main event, which. I mean, we it was twenty didn't didn't get the twenty five minutes with six people in it all and and eliminations. This it was just a lot of kind of crap getting there. All like everything about this show seemed very poorly produced, kind of poorly put together. I think you could tell that just Heyman was on his way out because a lot of the things that there wasn't attention to detail with a lot of stuff. No, there really truly was not, and. Honestly, when I saw the length of this uh, pre-match stuff, I thought, wait a minute, did they need to like assemble parts of the cage? Because that used to be what WWE would do with the old school cage matches is they'd find little things to do to pad the time between matches so that they had time to set up the cage and whatnot. But cages right above the ring. Nope, this was uh, this was something where they just decided, oh, my goodness, we need to fill time. Let's see how we can fill time. This is how they did it. And then they brought everybody out because it's the elimination chamber. Everybody gets their entrances. Um, And it's just the more you look at this, the more you say, okay, the lineup for this match is not bad. No, it's not Sabu, Hardcore Holly, notwithstanding, you get RVD, you get CM Punk, you get Bobby Lashley, you get Big Show. Four legitimate Hall of Famers. Mm -hmm. You get... Hardcore Holly, who's a good hand. And Test is fine. Test test was fine. Although what I will say is I don't think Test would have passed many tests judging by the way he looked at this show. No. He was clearly. And when I say this, I I say this with the understanding that Test did not die well. Um, He was clearly on the gas just judging by the way he looked. And if you look at his stuff from the early 2000s, he was sort of lean. He was this tall, lean guy who was 6'5", 6'6". He comes out and it's like it's a refrigerator on sticks. Uh, Yeah, he's on the gas here. But you look at this lineup and you think, okay, okay. this could be all right. Yeah. Well, then the match starts. RVD and Holly, uh, Hardcore Holly start. And then we get the countdown clock from five minutes. So every five minutes, the next entrant will uh, come in through one of the pods. So RVD off the top. Um, he misses a cool spot, uh, diving spot. And then he lands on the cage. Holly slams him on outside the ring. And then Holly's they're going back and forth outside RVD with rolling thunder. He ends up jumping over, uh, hits the splash. Then uh, Holly with the suplex. Here comes number three, CM Punk. He's the guy that everybody wants to win. He's the one that's that's the hottest in the match. He's young, and he's who Heyman wanted to win. The, the story was Heyman had told Vince, hey, look, Punk is going to just choke everybody out one at a time in this match and look, look badass, and they said, absolutely not. There's no way. There's no how. And, of course, uh, Vinnie Mac generally gets the – Gets the win when uh, when it comes to uh, yeah, any kind of decision. And and Paul Heyman talked about this on his own individual DVD, where the difference in philosophy between Vince and Heyman was with Vince. He repeatedly said, "Pick the hill you want to die on." Heyman's philosophy is, 
Why should I have to die on any hill? And that's <laughs> why this didn't work. <laughs> um, so Punk gets in the mix here. He, him and RVD had some fun kind of back and forth, as you would imagine. You know, the two probably you know, real solid workers in the match. And RVD gets kind of it's busted open early. Punk and Holly back and forth. Hall, uh, Holly slams him into the cage. And then for a little while, it's Holly working on both of them in a superplex um, on Punk. And RVD is getting pretty busted open at this point. He yeah, ends the up, stuff with the crowbar was sort of uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. He hits a uh, kick to Punk's face. And then we get the number four entrant out. So it's Test. Uh, Test goes after Punk. And then the crowbar stuff was, yeah, a little uncomfortable against RVD's head. He's all busted open. Now, and RVD turns it around, clotheslines, kicks on Holly, then a chair shot to Test's head. Some of those things don't hold up very well. Um, RVD hit a drop kick into the chair, which was always kind of cool, though, on Punk as Punk is in the turn uh, against the turnbuckle. And RVD hits the five star frog splash. Instead of winning, Punk is out. <laughs> and and so, out first. First, out first. And the crowd is pissed because there are two guys in this match the crowd wants to win Punk or RVD. Punk the most. They could get behind RVD. Lashley is like the indifferent. Any of the heels would have would have been even worse than what ended up happening if it, if it would have been one of them. And we're you know we're down uh, CM Punk. He's out. And this was yeah not great. Tess uh, gets ready for a big boot, but uh, he ends up going for uh, Tess. Looks like he's going to set up a RVD for the big boot. He ends up getting Holly, and there was this really weird pin where we didn't know the ref kind of stopped, and it was awkward. It was bad, and now Holly's out. It was just the you know that's what happens in a match to make it disappointing is that it's a combination of things, right? Think about this match. It was supposed to be Sabu, then. The beginning, you get the the weird stuff with the video packages that are going like 10, 12 minutes to set this whole thing up. They even have the video package with Sabu still in it when they put it together. Then these guys come out. You have Punk eliminated first. And then when Holly gets eliminated, it's a botch. It's like nothing is going great at all here. And you get RVD jumping off the top rope. He hits the jumping kick on test. So RVT RVD is on top of big shows pod. Um, big show grabs him by the feet and then test hits RVD with the chair slams him to the mat. Test goes to the top rope and he hits a flying elbow drop and he pins RVD. I mean, so that's awful, right? The fact that, RVD or Punk had to be in this match till basically the very end to at least give the crowd. This is like a Royal Rumble, right? You have to have somebody in, even if they're not going to win throughout, that the crowd wants because at least it keeps them invested. You cannot have eliminate the top baby faces right away because then nobody cares the rest of the match. Who do they want to win? Who are they rooting for? I know Vince is setting it up to make Lashley be the ultimate baby face, but it. He you you had to know that they they didn't want that, and if Lashley ends up winning, that's fine. But now at this point, RVD's gone, and what makes it worse this this is twice where this happened in this match, Andrew too, where 
There's somebody just standing there for like seconds until the next man enters the match. You're just you're just waiting. To quote the crowd, we want refunds. Yeah. Just uh, wait, just waiting. This was bad. Um now I'm gonna play devil's advocate on one thing here. And that is I don't think Punk was quite ready yet, but you needed to strap the rocket on him sooner rather than later. And I get the logic behind what Paul Heyman wanted to do because when punk comes in, he's the first guy in, he comes in, he gets a big pop. The in-ring action is fine. Within three minutes, the crowd's dead again. They needed to do a little more work with him before he was ready to carry the ball in that type of setting. And thankfully they wound up being in a situation where once CM punk was ready, he had that series of matches with John Morrison. Some of those matches, not so good, but that helped establish Punk and get him ready for his run on the main roster. Long term, that wound up just fine. But as far as the route they took to be able to get to that point, why not have Punk be like the Iron Man type who winds up going from start to finish and coming up just short? Like, this isn't hard. It's not complicated to come up with ways in which to work around Vince McMahon not wanting CM Punk to win. Um, This was bad, and it had nothing to do with the in-ring action, which was more or less fine. The Test Holly stuff was just a horrible botch. Uh, Nobody was quite sure if it was a two or a three count. Holly just rolls out of the ring and walks back up the ramp, presumably because he doesn't want anything to do with the shit show that's happening in the ring right but the thing that gets me is this so rvd gets pinned lashley's pod is supposed to open Heyman's stooges keep it shut let's look at this from a logical perspective shall we if i'm bobby lashley can i be pinned while i'm in the pod no can i be made to submit while i'm in the pod no you're just going to be the pod surviving longer Yes, if the pod is of structural integrity and soundness, I'm safe in the pod. I'd have welcomed that with open arms. But one thing I will say that at least sort of salvages that entire thing, um, Lashley busting open the top of the pod, coming through, kicking Tess down, I thought that was pretty cool. It's just the way that that started, any smart person would have said, hey, I can't be beat here. I'm just going to sit here and collect my thoughts. Come on. There's not a lot of logic in the way that this match was booked. And it's incredibly unfortunate because it's not like these guys weren't trying. Oh, so, um, I mean, the elbow drop looked okay, but geez, we had Bobby Lashley, number five, he comes in and uh, those guys in the riot gear, they take out the referee and I'm curious as to who those guys were, and I'm going to need to try to look this yeah, up. Yeah, let's see if we can find that. So Lashley ends up climbing to the top of the pod. He hits a clothesline off the top rope on Test, and um, he throws Test into the pod doors. Then Test gets the chair. Lashley ends up yeah, with a boot to the face, snap suplex, and a crowbar shot to the ribs. He hits a spear, eliminates Test. Crowd isn't really into this at all. And now he's got to wait a minute. Until Big Show's there We're just literally there's a minute two minutes of this match Where the guys are just waiting for the next one out What's the timing issue like You know the the Lashley spot At least it was part of the story Okay they were trying to hold it 
for whatever you know, whatever reason, like Andrew said, it that didn't make sense. But now I've got it. I've got it. Okay. They were the they were the Basham brothers. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. The Basham brothers. Yep. So uh, as it turned out, they reunited at house shows. They were the un they were the unnamed mass security enforcers. One of them tore a bicep, and then they both got released in January. The more uh, you know. So Lashley, he waits. Here comes Big Show. Uh, Heyman says a few things to Big Show, and he's got the barbed wire baseball bat. Lashley's got the chair, and as Big Show attacks, Lashley blocks him a few times. He hits Big Show in the ribs with a chair. He throws him into the cage head first, and then Big Show did a blade job. He busts himself open. Lashley keeps throwing Big Show into the pod, and uh, then uh, Show... He's throwing Lashley into the ring now, and he's got the advantage. You have Heyman kind of screaming, finish him, Mortal Kombat style, as uh, <laughs> Big Show hits a couple clotheslines here. And then he goes for the choke slam, but Lashley's able to counter it into a DDT, and he he gets caught up. It looks like Big Show's about to hit a power slam, but Lashley's able to back out of it. He hits a spear, and he covers for the win. 24 minutes, 42 seconds. It just, like we said, if you're just looking at this match and grading it without the sound in a vacuum, okay, it's like a an average match. But everything that goes into it makes it so much worse. All of the booking, the uh, the timing issues, the the stuff that's a little bit off, um, the the Sabu stuff, the way that they didn't have Punk or RVD even booked to finish to towards the end of this match or a little deeper into it, just a really disappointing way to go off the air for this show. And you're trying to build, and that's the problem is that Vince is, you know, you would have thought through the years that he may have learned that Vince, you can't force these guys this way. It's going to backfire. This happened with Luger. This has happened how many times through the years now where you're trying to force someone. It Luckily, John Cena was talented enough, and we see now he's a, he's, you know, he's a movie star now. He's, he's got the it factor that he was going to do a lot better job than anyone else you would have put in that role. And people who booed John Cena for years and hated John Cena when he came out, they still watched the product and it wasn't like go away heat for him. It, Roman Reigns, we saw the same thing happen with Roman. It took how long till they finally just said, screw it, let's let Roman be the heel and how great has it been since then? And poor, I, I actually, watching this at the end, don't you feel bad for Bobby Lashley almost? Because it's like, yeah. what if, this guy's not supposed to be in this spot. And nobody's giving this is supposed to be a big moment for him. He's supposed to be a guy that you look at and you go, wow, yeah, he should be a main eventer, but he shouldn't be here. This doesn't fit. And you put him in a spot where the crowd's not going to be into him. You didn't if you wanted Lashley to look badass, why didn't he start this match and go through everybody even or at least do something a little bit more impressive? I mean, he had like a few seconds interaction with test and then a few with the big show. That was it. It wasn't even much. He wasn't in the, the match for more than six, seven minutes long. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it, these shows are funny where they have the really great openers and, and you're like, oh, you know, this is a pretty good match. And then it's like, 
yeah, this is a pretty, this will be a decent show. And then it's just every single else on the show just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think people discuss this show, as you were saying at the beginning, as like, oh my gosh, it, there are worse pay per views out there, people. There definitely are. There are some shows that have nothing redeeming on them. There are shows that have two or three of the worst things that you'll ever see all. This just had a lot of bad. And at least the bad was so. You know, was was pretty short altogether. This is a two hour and fifteen minute pay per view, but it leaves a bad taste in your mouth at the end. Going, this was supposed to be ECW. Yeah, and that's the main thing. If this had been, I, I'm I'm picking a random B level pay per view name from WWE's lexicon. If this had been WWE Battleground, is it as offensive? No. Is it good? No. Is it as offensive? Absolutely not. The problem was. They were putting a WWE product, slapping ECW's logo on it, and calling it something that wasn't ECW. And that's not fair to a couple of the people that were on this show. Bobby Lashley, for as maligned as the booking was, and justifiably so, did a really good job of making the crowd forget they hated him. He had a couple of spots in the main event that the crowd legitimately popped at, whether they wanted to or not. And there were a couple of times where you could see there was a reaction and then the crowd suddenly remembered, oh yeah, we hate this guy, boo! Which is my personal favorite reaction, by the way. But, my goodness, whatever this was, it was an ECW, Paul Heyman knew it, and that's why there was the fight between Paul and Vince on Vince's plane. Vince is never going to lose that fight. It's his plane, for goodness sake. Um, and you wind up with a situation where Paul Heyman is out of the wrestling business for a very long time. ECW as an entity wouldn't go more than a couple of years after this, and for good reason. ECW goes away, NXT starts up as sort of a talent show sort of thing, and it evolves into what we know now as WWE's either third brand or developmental brand, depending on what they want to call it. It varies week to week, uh, but this was a train wreck in a lot yeah. of different ways. We were going to get to this show at some point. I'm happy we got to it now. I did y'all a favor. Darren did himself a favor by not appearing. On the show. <laughs> uh, Darren, seriously, hope you feel better, buddy. Uh, but yeah, it, this was just a, a suboptimal in pretty much every possible way. Yeah, and you know, you just kind of go through. You know, a lot of it, I remember reading about how people were mad because it ended so early. You know, they yeah. paid. And, it's a $40 pay-per-view. And and you pay, and this thing ends like 45 minutes before normal. Normally, the shows would go till 11 o'clock Eastern time within about a 15-minute window, right? Some, some of yeah. them will end a little early. Sometimes your timing's a little bit off. They end about 10.45-ish or so. But this thing was done... I said it was a two hour and 14 minute show So this thing ends at 10, 15 Eastern time A lot of people who paid big money Not only were they not satisfied with what they saw They didn't get a lot of it There, no, there was no, at least a couple other matches That you could have fit onto the time But I mean look at what, look at what was there What else would you, would you have wanted A forced couple other matches That would have been even less um, Farther down the, uh, the line Than the ones that we got here you, you know, you had all the stuff with Punk And how, not only, like we said Did they not put him over, but Let's do the opposite, let's have him be the first guy out 
Right, I- I- immediately we'll have him eliminated So he didn't ever even seem like there was a, a remote chance That he was going to win this match And he, yeah, it just, uh, it didn't connect And we'll go sometimes two, two and a half hours And this will be end up probably being one of our shorter ones Mainly because it was a short show And there were only a few matches on the card And, you know, the opener and the uh, the closing match Were the ones with the most relevance The The middle Bulk of the show were things that just don't really stand out very much um, when you look back on them. But uh, it's one that it's a good background show. You know, if you're someone who's a wrestling historian, you, you like watching a lot of these shows. It's December, so it made a lot of sense to have the uh, the seasons beatings right now and uh, and to play this one. But Andrew, we are going to take on a really fun um, task for our next old wrestling rewatch. This is something that you and I did. For Wrestlemania I think it was last year right before Wrestlemania Where we did the history Of Wrestlemania and we are going to Go through now we won't be doing Our deep dives like we did For this show that you thank goodness Because that would take like five days I was going to say that would be like a uh, We just would we would just do like a A live stream that just didn't stop For days but what we are going to do is We're going to spend maybe five minutes on Each rumble and we're going to let you know uh, what the history of the Royal Rumble event is like We go all the way back to the first one We'll mention who won each year Maybe what the a couple of the, the final entrants in the Rumble looked like And maybe a match or two on the card that stood out to us Whether it be positive, whether it be negative Just things um, that are memorable from each year at the Royal Rumble We did this for Wrestlemania And I did a small one for Survivor Series And I got really good feedback from, from a lot of people Because I think, Andrew, what ends up happening You get a lot of older wrestling fans Who may not have been watching as much recently Or maybe they, for whatever reason Kind of have fallen out of it But they love to kind of go through And take the journey year by year And remember, oh yeah, that Rumble, or that one And then they can kind of hear what's been happening Over the last decade or so um, it's a little like a, a little cheat sheet for if people want to go back and rewatch a Royal Rumble. We can say, oh yeah, hey, this one really good, worth the rewatch. Couple good stuff on the undercard, and this is what was happening at the time period. Yeah, they won, they got their match at Mania. So a little bit of a, a snapshot of the the Royal Rumble from each year. How does that sound? That sounds perfect to me. And also, just as a heads up. We've done a lot of these Royal Rumble shows in the past. Mm-hmm. The yeah, so we've got the full so, deep dives on. Yeah, many of them. Exactly. So if you hear something that piques your interest, chances are we've probably taken a look at it or discussed it in some form or fashion. We really do need to do like a, an in-depth catalog as far as a list of the shows that we've covered and where they are and whatnot. Get, get Milo on that, will you please? We're, what good is a kid if you can't have him do unpaid work? I was going to say within about a few months, uh, we'll, we'll start having him log stuff on. I've got I've got the little database, but I will definitely do a good job of uh, – of um, making sure that it's a lot more um, organized and just have it all in categories. Some of the uh, we'll get it up on a website eventually where we'll have what companies we've done, what years we've done and everything. Well, I'm just thinking because we're coming up on a hundred episodes and that's when syndication rights start kicking in. (laughs) I'm just saying if if Spotify (laughs) wants your stuff to, you know, run in perpetuity and we all get royalties of about four cents every time somebody plays it, you know, we may as well be able to get that all squared away. But on a serious note, no, the Royal rumble is a lot of fun. And even the bad rumbles, there's usually something that you can take away from whether it's somebody returning, whether it's somebody that had a long run, whether it's a match on the undercard, 
there's usually something you can take away from and say, oh, I remember that. Or, oh, I remember that. Either way, it's fun to look back on that stuff. I love rewatching as many of the Rumbles as I can get through each Rumble season. And hey, with the Royal Rumble on the horizon, Chino, we're going to be on the road to WrestleMania soon. Here we go. Here we go. It's coming. It's coming. And uh, the Rumbles nowadays, too, are are... Some things can get a little oversaturated, but it it is awesome that the women get an opportunity now because there are For really, sure. really uh, incredibly talented women that uh, should get the ch- the chance to shine. And there have been a couple of these women's rumbles that in, that are better than the men's ones. You we know? did the first uh, rumble, and that was also a year that had one of my favorite men's rumbles as well. Uh, and just rewatching that first women's rumble, that was a celebration. It was yeah. not a perfect wrestling match. It didn't have to be. It was freaking cool. Uh, and there's a number of different moments in the women's rumbles over the past couple of years. And even in the men's rumble, uh, even a couple of years ago, Nia coming out and entering the men's rumble. There, you know, there's it's stuff like that that you randomly pull and you're able to say, oh, I remember that. That's the benefit of a show like that. And I'm looking forward to doing that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll be doing the history of the Royal Rumble next. Darren will be back with us, and we will go through each Rumble, a little uh, a little snapshot of everything that happened, what to keep an eye on, what was good, what may have uh, may have not stood the test of time. We're going to talk the history of the Royal Rumble on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch. So uh, Andrew Champagne is uh, it's been the holiday season, so some of these have come out a little bit different. You'll probably. Be hearing this uh, like around the the New Year's time. So let uh, everybody know what what are some things we can look forward to from you, Andrew, uh, with the uh, with the year turning to 2022. Andrew Champagne on Twitter is probably the best place where we can just catch all your content, right? Well, there's a bunch that's been going on, and I can't say too much because of when this show comes out, when it doesn't come out, whatnot. All I'll say is follow me on Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne. Follow me on Instagram at, at 142 Winners for some biting insight and commentary, including from a recent unplanned trip to Billings, Montana. It's a thing that happened. <laughs> Can't wait to hear more about that from Andrew Champagne. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, you have a great rest of your night and look forward to uh, rolling through the rumbles with you. Thank you very much. Rest in peace, John Madden. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, right as we were recording this too, we uh, we found out. So, someone who is iconic, you remember that voice forever. And uh, Little Giants, what a movie, right? What a fantastic the annexation movie. of Puerto Rico. Just a great one. So uh, we cannot top that. No way. As we finish up with the, the replacements too. Oh yeah, the replacements is great. Yeah, he's going here and he's going there, and it's just Kiara and he's just a Falco. It's I'm gonna watch one of those right now so we can get our uh, our fill. On Madden, Andrew Champagne, you hear him on That's What G Said on the Old Wrestling Rewatch with us. And yeah, you can make sure to check him out on social media. Give him a follow on Twitter where you can get all of Andrew's great stuff. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to Andrew for helping us out with the Old Wrestling Rewatch, December to Dismember. Going to... <laughs> Do my best to somehow find a way to torture that good friend of mine in some way, shape, or form. The Book of Boba Fett. We are back in the world of Star Wars. Matt Velasco helped us out with Episode 1. Sam Sherman with the full card for Sammy Houston for Thursday. He's going to try to have it called Sam 
Houston, Sherman, Sam Sherman, Houston, and with all the money that he's going to fork in on Thursday. And then Martha Claussen, we'll be checking in with her all throughout the meet before big days, before big stakes races, so she can get us all prepped and let us know what's going on with the connections and those horses. Lots happening in the NFL playoff picture this weekend. Thank you so much to all the sponsors of That's What G Said, Better Than Dot Vegas. Go give them a follow at BTV Bets DRF. Make sure that's where you go to head before you play the races. Anytime you need past performances or any help, you go to drf.com, stable, duel, get those entries in and play race win. Big games coming up. Sam Houston, Santa Anita will be playing in all of those. Cindy Carava, full service realtor. And sarahcandles.com, all natural soy wax candles. Have an awesome couple days, folks. We'll be back and previewing all the big racing and sporting events for the weekend.